Welcome, everybody. All right. Let me make me kill this audio here. Welcome, everybody. Okay, interesting um, video here. You know, uh, I've been working on a book, actually, and I hope to have it ready at least in ebook format soon. Um, I want to get it right, though. I really want to get it right. It's an important topic, one that's been on my radar for a long time. And that is the topic of weaponized psychology and the thought that maybe the few are controlling the many because they understand the human mind better than the many. And they're using that understanding of the human mind and they're exploiting it uh, for their own selfish gains. So I, I really um, have been trying to wrap my head around this and I, I know I don't know everything about it. Uh, they they have a huge head start on us, but um, I think it's a very important undertaking to try to understand how our brain works. Because if other people know how our brain works and we don't, then they can basically rule over us and and trick us into doing work for them and uh, all sorts of terrible things. If if they are bad intentioned, uh, there's the possibility that somebody with a good understanding of psychology can be a very good influence on you. Say like a good uh, coach or something or a good parent. Uh, but I think the best thing is for us to all kind of share what we know about the topic and to not keep things occulted for our own benefit. You know, I think that's what happens a lot. And uh, just in general, I think there's been a lot of privatization of knowledge and of technology. And uh, rather than sharing the light with the world, they bury the light, they, they hide it, and they uh, keep it to themselves. And then uh, they use it in order to uh, manifest their desired outcome. So uh, I have a number of books here, I actually was kind of cleaning up my room. And uh, just going through my books, kind of just like sorting them, I just have like piles of them all around. And sometimes the good books get buried underneath it. So that's why I'm a little late to start here. I was reading through and I, I just kind of, uh, I want to open up the lines. That's something big that I want to do here. Um, so big shout out to the people in the chat. Magic Ang Angel, Rutherford, T.I. So I'm going to put the uh, link in the chat. And if anybody wants to call in, please do. Also, big shout out to the people on Discord. Um, Discord, I haven't been on there very much since we set it up a few months ago, but I'm going to start getting back on there. So that's what we use for the call-in show. I'm going to share a link with them out there. Live now. All right, so... Let me show you the book I'm working on. Here it is. Um, this is kind of the working cover. How minds and behaviors are controlled. That's basically the question I'm trying to ask. I know it sounds kind of crass or clinical or something, but um, I just, uh, I think it's really the question at hand because I look around and I see a lot of brainwashed people and my question is, how were their minds controlled? How were their behaviors controlled? Uh, because to, first, to undo something, we have to understand the problem. We have to understand what we're up against. And uh, 
I think what we're up against is subliminal conditioning. That's kind of the best phrasing I can come up with or the weaponization of psychology. Subliminal conditioning is uh, basically them training us to act in a desired way using subliminals. So if you look at the word subliminal, basically it means beneath or below the limit of perception. So where you, you perceive it, it uh, but it's not conscious. So it affects you, but you don't notice it. And I think that's one way they, they get us. And um, I was reading this book here that was pretty interesting. Uh, where'd it go? Um, I think it was this one here about child psychology. And they had this part in here about fantasy and reality on television. And I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, Basically, it talks about the children's ability to to distinguish between reality and fantasy and how television might be warping and uh, hurting this ability. And uh, it reminds me of there's a great line in in this Payday Monsanto song. I can't remember which song, but he said, uh, corporate news fading into cartoons. And I think that's really interesting. And what this book, I was just reading this. I never really thought of this before. But it talks about like a um, a series of questions that children might not understand. So, for example, um, are, are the characters on the television real or imaginary? Is the video image itself alive? Or can it be separated from what is supposed, from what it's supposed to indicate? Is Mr. Rogers on the TV a living person? Or is it an image depicting a living a living person? So, um, I remember this, this conversation I had with my cousin, uh, who's younger than me, and I asked her, well, she was telling me, I think, what, what she liked some show on TV. And I said, well, would you be interested in making a show like that one day? Just trying to get her to think about, you know, the fact that it's... Um, <laughs> that it's kind of fake and that people make it and that that's something that she could do if she so 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 wanted to. And I could tell she hadn't really ever thought of it. She kind of shrug, uh, shrugged off the idea. So I kind of got the impression that she just likes to, you know, turn it on and immerse herself in that as like almost a, a reality. And uh, that, that conversation comes up in my mind here. Um, but here's a, a sample interview uh, between a psychologist and a child, and uh, apparently like a, an example, six-year-old boy. So the interviewer, the interviewer asks, is the boy on the show a real boy? The child says, yes. He is? How do you know? Because if it's not a cartoon, then it's a real person. And then, and then it goes into like, okay, how can you use questions in the Socratic method to to make it clear to the child that what they're looking at isn't real. But I, I just think that's kind of like a, a interesting thought that I'd never really considered before. It's like, okay, so they turn on the news. They think that's real. They switch over to uh, some cartoon. They know that's fake. But then what about the, if they turn to another show on the television and, and they're looking at these different people interacting and they're looking uh, at them as role models, how how do humans act? How do um, how does conversation work? What should I say in certain circumstances? And uh, I think that's really um, an important factor 
in the weaponization of psychology that we're talking about here. So uh, there's a couple of quotes I start with. Uh, this is kind of just a work in progress, but uh, I like these two quotes, one by Aldous Huxley, Aldous Huxley the other by Edwards, Edward Bernays. The first one, one believes things because one has been conditioned to believe them. That's Aldous Huxley in Brave New World. It also is a lot like that Truman Show quote. Uh, people accept the reality with, with which they're presented to, or with, excuse me. Um, here's the Edward Bernays quote from 1928 propaganda book. He says, we are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. In almost every act of our daily lives, whether in the sphere of politics or business, in our social construct, or excuse me, in our social conduct or our ethical thinking, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental processes and social patterns of the masses. So that is very interesting, and I think it, it rings true to me. Um, so welcome, everybody, to the show. Again, I'm going to put the, uh, the invite link out in the chat if anybody wants to join. Um, also, big shout-out to Zen Buddha Master for, for showing. And uh, Zen Buddha Master, I appreciate your support on Patreon. And uh, really appreciate all of the Patreons. Thank you all so much. Uh, here's the call-in if anybody wants to, uh, you know, speak your piece, sound off on this. Uh, even if you just call in for a few minutes, you don't have to. You don't have to stay for hours or anything. Uh, but let's let's keep going here. Um, I, I believe that we're all victims of mind control. Let me put some this image up here. So uh, I think we're all victims of mind control, and that people don't really understand the amount of control that we've all been subjected to you just all it has all you have to do though is look at the budgets of brainwashing industries like marketing public relations reputation management and i think that'll show you how much money has been spent every single year and and there's probably orders of magnitude more than just what you see there uh but every single year your parents, your grandparents, your brothers, your sisters, you have been inundated with all of these different signals that they're sending you that are designed to make you do what they want you to do, be it buy a product, vote for a candidate, support a policy, etc. And uh, I think that has a big compounding effect. So once you have one generation brainwashed and they start reproducing and bringing children into the world and raising those children, they're going to impose their own beliefs on the children a lot of times, either through reinforcement or just modeling, you know, leading by example and, and being a, a role model. And uh, a lot of times that can have a big impact on, uh, on children, obviously. And uh, I think that's one way that they do uh, a lot of their brainwashing is through the parents who are delegated the responsibility. So um, this has really been looked into, I think, by a lot of different institutions and organizations like the ones I mentioned earlier, the uh, marketing and public relations, especially, and governments. I think governments have a big uh, need to understand how the minds of the people they rule over work because you can't hire enough well, maybe you could, I don't know, but it's hard to hire enough law enforcement officers to rule over a population that hates you, right? Is that even possible? Uh, if they hate you enough, you're not going to be able to even hire any people to work for you. 
let alone enforce your laws and your edicts. So I think they really have to, uh, they have to use the illusion to do the heavy lifting. All right, let me check this chat out. Um, Zen says, long before we can articulate how we have been indoctrinated into mind control, we must first theorize that a conspiracy to do so exists. That's a good point, and they don't want us to uh, theorize that. That they, they try to put a wall up. It's kind of like in the movie Truman Show. You remember he goes to um, to buy a flight ticket, and he goes to the uh, the travel agent, and on the wall it has like the airplane getting hit by the lightning bolt, right? So they have these different guardrails that keep us on the island or wherever Truman is, <laughs> and um, that's a good example. That's kind of like the the poster on the wall of the plane getting hit by lightning that it's a psychological barrier and in that movie it's interesting another psychological barrier on truman is like the fear of the the water right so they have him a fear afraid of the the plane and the water because there's like an incident where he or his father drowned right in front of him and uh that's kind of that's they try to keep people so far away from conspiracy theories that people sometimes never will even consider it I call those mental IEDs. They put these mental IEDs in people's minds. And then when somebody says the wrong word or, you know, makes the wrong or engages in some wrong thing, as far as the establishment has conditioned people to, to see it, their, their I, mental IED just goes off and they, uh, they can't, and they can't continue. They just kind of, um, they shut down. So, and shout out to Endure Unto the End. That's a cool name. I haven't seen that one before. Welcome. Uh, Endure says they are constantly trying to get us to buy things. So they brainwash us with marketing and commercials. Yep. And um, product placement is one of the biggest ways they sell sell, uh, sell stuff. And uh, like here's an example that maybe people haven't thought of. You know, Twitter, uh, you know how much they talk about Trump and what he's tweeting out and uh and we know there's a lot of people who love Trump, right? And they think he's being victimized. So when they when they say, "Oh, Trump's being censored on Twitter or, or Trump's saying this and it's outrageous." It makes people want to go sign up for Twitter. Right? And um another thing is like they they engage in all sorts of uh strange strategies with commercials. One is that they put lots of faces on the on the um on the screen, right, in the shot, because humans have a natural tendency to want to look at human faces. And they've, they've proven this even with young, young infants, um, where they, they, you know, had the baby at the bottom of a, view, of a viewing contraption, and up above it, they have a target pattern and a face pattern. And they move the two around and see what the baby looks at, and it looks at the face. So they use all these things. So they put a bunch of attractive people on the screen, and that makes people want to look at it so um another thing is that they'll they'll play the commercials at a louder volume so you'll be laying there watching the television and then the commercials just start blasting at like twice the volume and um it used to be even worse i think until they they passed some laws that said you can only have you know these levels but it's still ridiculous and uh, and just imagine the effect that has on people when they're asleep and the audio is playing um that's why I recommend people turn off the up next on YouTube 
so you don't accidentally fall asleep and then just get like mind controlled by uh whoever's buying ad space on YouTube. So uh, let's keep going here. Um, here's kind of my table of contents. Um, Zen Buddha asks, does this cord allow one to call in on a smartphone? Yes, yes, it does. Um, there's a Discord app that you might have to download, but you can try going to that link and it might work through the browser. But if, and I, yeah, I, I think the app's pretty good. I don't know. Um, I don't know if we can trust Discord, but it works well. <laughs> so I, I understand that people might not want to install strange software under their phone. I, I would understand. But it should work through the browser. Endure says, I hate commercials with a passion. Uh, I do too. Uh, I really do. But I think like the obvious commercials are red herrings. As in, I think there's more nefarious stuff that they do that actually has a bigger effect. And um, and they try to get people that you feel similar to to, to use it and to product place. And, um, yeah, they, they do all sorts of shady things. So, like, that's my example, I guess, that I wanted to get back to. So uh, we know that the marketing and PR industries are huge and spend tons and tons of money. But if you just add up all the different advertisements that, they're, that they show to people, it doesn't really add up. Like, there's, I think, a, a big portion of their budget is more uh, cunning and more deceptive than just running ads. Right. That's a pretty obvious thing that people that's not a, that effective. Right. I mean, unless you're like Nike or something, it can just keep running ads every day for somebody's entire life to brand your image or whatever. Um, I don't know. I just don't I, I think there's other ways that are more effective for the companies. And I don't think that they have any. Any shame. <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for. I don't think they have any shame to employ shadow tactics. Let's look at uh, Google, for example, and YouTube. They could be put. They could push products with um, their algorithm, and uh, they could work with huge corporations to see, okay, what type of videos that that people watch lead them to buy more of a certain product, and then or or they could actually like produce videos and put them out as different people, and then really just kind of like promote those heavily. Or they could um, get somebody who they have on their team who's going to product placement all their stuff or product place all their stuff. I don't know how to make that into a verb. But uh, they have some controlled person who's going to sell out to them and they prop them up and they say, okay, let's have you go door to door giving people $10,000 or something. And then everyone's going to be like, wow, this person's awesome. And then we'll show that video to everybody and they're going to subscribe to you and, and feel good about you because they have a really good first impression of you and then that person's going to start peddling and, and rocking certain clothes or making certain jokes you know all sorts of things are possible at that point once they build up a star so um there's almost so many different tactics that it's hard to really explain it all so um that's what i try to do in this book though and it's it's still a work in progress, but here's kind of the table of contents as kind of a, 
I just kind of want to brainstorm with people on this. Uh, oh wait, we have we have a panel. Um, wait for it's on the panel. Uh, if I don't know if he wanted to be, but I just drug him in. Uh, shout out to wait for it. Appreciate you. Um, feel free to chime in if you wanted to be on the panel. And then uh, here is T I Y, as well. So welcome T I. And uh, feel free to chime in, guys, um, as we go through. Uh, the basically, I wanted to talk about how are are how are all the people around us being, um, and are us too? How how are we all being conditioned and persuaded to do things that are not in our self interest? And uh, how can we free people like my parents, who really believe? all of the propaganda they've taken in over the years. So um, let's go through. Uh, basically, the way I break this book down is the first section is about mind and behavior, the psychology of how we arrive at decisions. Uh, then in chapter two, I go through the main manipulation of, uh, methods. And um, then chapter three is about childhood and infancy and how our worldview develops and how it's molded and how that process is super important and why they want to, you know, definitely be involved in that process to say the least. Um, chapter four is the history of propaganda and mass deception, uh, conditioning via arts, media, and entertainment. Chapter five is going to be about selected, uh, a selected history of psychological research. And that's about like 30 to 40 psychological experiments that I think people need to think about. And uh, a lot of it, some of them just show how depraved the industry is, the, the, the study of psychology. It's like, wow, they, they'll admit that they went that far to, to learn something about our minds. <laughs> um, that's really heinous and awful and wicked. And uh, what else are they doing that they don't even admit to? Like we have uh, some horror stories in the history like China and Soviet Union, uh, CIA even, um, Nazi Germany to name a few, and we, we can talk about some of those. Um, and then I think this is a crucial topic in terms of a lot of different subjects, but um, especially psychology, and that is the, um, the tendency of knowledge to be privatized and the ramifications of said privatization. And uh, also they're able to run more and more experiments than ever, exponentially more experiments than ever because they are utilizing computers on massive data sets and the computers can design and execute an experiment, learn from it, and then weaponize it. Then uh, the next chapter is controlling information. Oh, wait, I'm not even listening to the panel. They might be wanting to talk. I realized I need to put my earpiece in. So welcome, welcome to the uh, panel. Uh, wait for it and T.I., if, if you guys were trying to talk, I would have missed it. So, uh, oh, there. Hey, wait for it. How's it going, man? Let me, uh, let me unmute you so people can hear you. Okay, go ahead. Hey, yeah, just, uh, <laughs> that last comment you made about the massive data sets. Uh, I was just having a conversation with, uh, with another coworker about that specific topic and the massive migration of company data to public clouds 
and how easily they can access all of that data to run those <laughs> algorithms against. And it's uh, right. scary. Yeah, and think about it. Uh, you know, sometimes like Google servers will go down or something, and you realize how many companies store all of our data on Google servers, what's called Google Cloud. <laughs> yes. Uh, Google, Amazon, yep, Azure. There, you know, it, it's it's odd how there's a push to decentralize the power grid, um, but we're going the opposite direction um, and centralizing all of our data. It's just yeah. uh, really really scary. <laughs> and we're centralizing our information exchange. So uh, that was actually the next thing I was going to talk about. It's um, super important for the people who are trying to control the masses to control the flow of information and control information uh, itself. And uh, I think that that's something we need to look at, uh, just how they rig the information flow. And uh, I was reading here, um, I don't think this is the actual art of the war or whatever it's called. Uh, what, what's that book called by Sun Tzu? I, the, the book I'm holding here is called Sun Tzu and the Art of Modern Warfare. I think I just picked this up at like a thrift bookstore a couple years ago. I, I never really read it, but I was flipping through it and I was like, wow, this, this is really uh, interesting. And uh, they had a section, a whole section in here about winning the information war. And uh, obviously that's super important and it's been important for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So now they're just taking it to the new level with uh, the internet. It's almost as if they saw the potential. They're like, imagine if we have screens that light up, that information shows up on, and everyone's just in their house, and then uh, we control what everyone sees, and, and and then everything else was us just being sold on the premise. What do you think about that? Yeah, exactly. Um, when you think of censorship and how big tech is able to prioritize what we see and what posts are popular or go viral uh they're in the same way censoring and preventing undesirable posts and uh threads from being seen uh so in a way they are controlling our tv sets in in that 1984 novel uh the similarities are, are pretty pretty close um and then as well you, you touched about upon the, the data prioritization uh which i believe is a thing in the uk and something they've been trying to push here in in the states as well meaning these companies now can pay or lobby to have their data prioritized um and that would essentially crush the little guys, the little companies, um, and and really uh, reinforce the control that these big data companies have uh, over breaking news and and uh, getting their stories out ahead of uh, ahead of the game, right? Exactly. Did you see uh, Google had this thing called the Four R's of Responsibility? It's actually YouTube. And they said uh, one of the R's was raise up authoritative content when people are looking for breaking news and information. So they just came right out and said it. Um, and you're right. The ability for them to prior prioritize what shows up on people's feeds, 
what uh, shows up as recommendations on the right side of YouTube and on the homepage of YouTube and that kind of thing. That is a huge, uh, that, that, that's a huge, uh, powerful tool that they have that they can use for anything they want. They could enlighten and, and free humanity, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to go the other direction and enslave humanity with it and, uh, try to brainwash people. And remember back when, uh, shadow banning was a conspiracy theory, <laughs> And uh, now they come out and admit it. And I think in the future, uh, they're going to admit to trying to control people's minds with their algorithms. They're going to have like meetings in front of Congress. and They're going to be like, what are you what are you doing to make sure that people don't think uh, th- that NASA didn't go to the moon? And they'll be like, well, you know, our, our algorithm is always learning what content to show people to make them think more correctly. And so we just put into our database what we want people to think. We put all the correct answers in there. And so we'll we'll be educating people. Maybe they'll even say, like, we don't need public school anymore. We'll just watch YouTube. You know what I mean? Like in the future, I think they're gonna they're gonna admit to mind control with these platforms, but they're gonna sell it like it's a good thing. Oh, we can we can see it in real time already. If you just look at uh case of point the election results. And it started with the media companies declaring Biden president-elect. Now, he hasn't been certified with enough electoral votes to actually be deemed the uh, presidential-elect or president-elect candidate yet. Yet They went ahead and did it anyway. Big tech followed behind them. Twitter is now putting uh, disclaimers on even President Trump's tweets, uh, trying to control the narrative and forcing down your throat that Biden is and uh, already has been deemed the next and will always be. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, it's like uh, tell a lie big enough and repeat it over and over again, and eventually people will believe it. And. uh, it, it's kind of sad that they, they were able to tell everybody, hey, nobody's allowed to say anything until we tell you to about the election results. And everyone just waited and waited. It was much longer than normal. Days and days and days passed. And then they said, Joe Biden wins. It was like the AP or the New York Times or something. said, Or CNN probably said, Joe Biden wins. And then everybody, all the liberals just start pouring out of their houses and start celebrating. So even though it looked like Joe was going to win and nothing had really changed by the time they called it, they just are so entranced in the media, and that's who's mediating our world, that they just will wait like a, a dog sitting for a treat until they say, go. And then, you know, they a- act in a very predictable way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let me take an opportunity uh, to, to welcome uh, SK Arco, too. First time around the panel. Feel free to chime in if you uh, want to say something, SK. Just want to welcome you. And uh, I also want to uh, keep going through some of these other points because I think it'll help us brainstorm. So uh, let, it, let let me know if anybody has any thoughts on these because I'm trying to finish up this book. So I'm, I guess I'm multitasking and trying to get people's input into it so I can make it as good as possible. So uh, the next chapter is going to be about how the, uh, the powers that be can control counter ideologies and dissidents. And I think we could probably talk about for days about how uh, social media is doing that and how the media is doing that. We kind of touched on it just a few uh, moments ago uh, with their warning labels and their algorithms suppressing wrong thinking. 
it's really uh important for the the, the for them not just to push out what they want people to believe, but to snuff out and snip out and nip in the butt anything that they don't want people to think, any uh, inconvenient ideologies that might seep through. And remember the, uh, what's it called? The WHO said that there's an infodemic. So that it, it almost seems like this pandemic is like an allegory for information they don't like getting out and going viral. But I could be wrong. Yeah, it's like their their production test run, right? They're seeing mm. what exactly they can get away with, how far they can push it, um, how far they can censor you, right? Uh, spread false false information. So let's let's focus on the who for a second. Who who um, said that? Right, uh, the virus had nothing to do with China, or um, and then we we came to find out that they were actually in communication with China to suppress that whole <laughs> narrative. Um, and you take it further in the whole mask mandate uh, and how they're suppressing healthcare workers from telling the truth. Um, and right it's listen, have, it's it's listen to the scientists unless the scientist says something that the ruling elite don't want you to think yeah i mean i i have family members that work in the healthcare field and um they are very adamant about uh the pandemic uh not being uh what it is they confirm that all cases related um, if, if a person tests positive, right, any deaths are attributed to COVID, um, even though they had no factor in causing those, those deaths, um, they do get paid. <laughs> the hospital gets, uh, uh, what's, I'm, I'm at a loss for the word, Medicare, but, uh, maybe compensated uh, right. for, for any case related to COVID. So it benefits them. And uh, they are getting <laughs> censored by their uh, by the the managers and administration of these healthcare facility facilities. If they speak out or post something on social media, they are chastised and even threatened uh, with termination uh, if they speak out. So it doesn't just stop with censorship. It's it's coming down through the administration of these healthcare facilities as well. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. They, they have different ways they can keep people in line and it, it goes likewise back to colleges, right? You're not going to land in a good position unless you're kind of going along with the program, right? It's kind of a grooming effort, a grooming exercise in many cases for many industries, the whole college process. And, uh, you know, they're not, they're not going to take somebody on, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, Medicare professionals as much as other things in this, but uh, like, say, say these like politicians and stuff that like they go through skull and bones and stuff. And I feel like all of that's like a, a grooming process by which they can weed out anyone with a conscience and also compromise people. And uh, I don't know if I'm really explaining things right, because I'm, I'm mixing a couple of things because there's academia, then there's also, you know, blackmail and bribery, but I think academia in the process by which they they bring new professionals into the 
into the important fields. Uh, like, the, here's an example, journalism. I always wonder, like, how are all the mainstream journalists controlled? Um, and we never hear about that. And I think one thing is they never hire somebody unless they feel pretty confident that they're going to go along with the program. And, uh, and then they can always fire people if they don't. And then there's always the understanding that if you go against the grain, you're going to get fired. So, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, I think there's a, a definite correlation into how and where they fill these positions. So uh, where are they looking? Uh, where is their talent pool coming from? Uh, I'd be willing to put money on it. Uh, they are looking at schools like UC Berkeley, uh, Harvard, places they know where their indoctrination uh, lesson plans are, are being taught. Um, you can <laughs> take, for instance, uh, Malia getting uh, expelled from, was it, was it Harvard, I believe? Um, and then that immediately follows suit where all the other globalist uh, kids and offspring um, are shuffled off to when they have problems over in the UK. Um, I'm, that that uh, school now, I, I don't know if that's Oxford. No, you you may know Tim, but uh, <laughs> they're they're quickly shuffled off into another university, and and it's a reoccurring theme. Well, how about how about this? What what about the possibilities that are opened up now with like the CSA and the N or not CSAs, CIA and NSA apparatuses and Google and Facebook and stuff, and now hiring decisions could theoretically be made like on some deep psychological bases. You know what I mean? Like they could really uh, pinpoint exactly who they want and know exactly who they're hiring and what the risks are involved with that, with letting them in on, on certain compartmentalized secrets. So um, I think that's huge. Like, yeah, like monster and career builder and all those other uh, job search sites, they pool all your data together. They can run, AI and uh, analyze who would, <laughs> who would be the best candidate, right? And they send alerts uh, to those employers, letting them know, hey, we found the perfect candidate for you. Now, if all they're using are those job search uh, sites to, to fill their talent pool, uh, then yes, they could definitely be manipulating who gets what jobs and and uh what type of personalities are, are um suggested to those employers yeah yeah very, and i i have easily. a i have a feeling that google is going to get into the employment game if they haven't already uh and just surpass monster you know i feel like google is going to do that in most industries you know just start taking things over and uh just pairing and, and maybe they won't offer this to every one of their uh, customers, but for like their big budget customers or their friends or whatever, they have a vested interest in their success. Um, yeah. They'll probably maybe hook them up with like deep uh, personality uh, tests, essentially the results of their, you know, what's a better way to put it. Um, you know, they would bake in deep fill. Uh, gosh, I can't speak uh, personality results, personality analysis, into the results for who's the best employee for a given job and who would who's like 
going to give them trouble or it might be a high turnover risk or and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's huge. But, um, sure, like a Meyer Briggs tests and <laughs> yeah, we know that, uh, we know that companies love to do those personality tests. Like they love the more data they could get on their employees, the, 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 the better as far as they're concerned, <laughs> which is kind of yeah, creepy when you think about it. And uh, I, I think like in the army, they do a ton of personality tests and stuff too with new people. Um, but I, I'm just kind of flipping through this uh, Sun Tzu book here, and let's see if we can uh, if this gives us any ideas. Uh, there's a, a book or a section in here: speed and preparation, moving swift, moving swiftly to overcome resistance. Um, you know, all that comes to mind right now for that is how they've just done everything at once with this COVID situation. They just moved very swiftly and overcame a bunch of resistance by doing that instead of them saying, okay, uh, first up, let's see if we can get people to put up with, uh, wearing masks. And then, you know, in three years, once they're used to that, well, or maybe they start with social distance and then move to that. No, they just did everything at once. They're like, we're going to censor the entire internet. We're going to, um, shut down society. We're going to shut down schools, businesses, everything. Your masks are have to be on social distance. Um, so I, I don't know if that, if that's a good example here, but let me see what else. You can also throw the elect, the election. Um, so Monday will be two weeks, uh, since the election day. And technically I believe they have until the first of December, uh, to declare an official winner. If not, um, I think it then would go to uh, the states to um, go ahead and, and vote uh, based on the electoral college. If I have my knowledge uh, <laughs> uh, on point there. Um, so, so you're saying just a few weeks away, and then they and then they were nearing the vote. Is that what you said? Right, right. We still have another two weeks, right? Where uh, Trump can can protest and uh, request recounts and audits, but they've already declared Biden, again, declared Biden the uh, president-elect, even though he's not been certified. Now they're they're pushing and, and trying to say that Trump's lost all of his challenges in court when it, that, in fact, is not the case. And, you know, they're, they're trying to, like you said, just use speed and and push things through um kind kind of ingrain that thought that biden biden's already the president uh any resistance is futile and there's no point and uh when right. when we're still a long way off <laughs> from from any kind of decision right right yeah they want to they want to make it look like trump's stealing it instead of just contesting it you know in a fair fair fashion and uh, yeah, I want to ask you though. You sent me this link here, and I, I'm very glad you were able to hop on the show. And it's great to talk to you again, by the way. If I didn't already say that, uh, but you sent me this link on Discord um, to a video with a, a, a theory that I haven't heard before. Maybe they're just asking a question I haven't heard asked before. Is Kamala Harris's husband connected to Smartmatic Dominion voting systems? Uh, can you give us a little synopsis on why you shared that? Have, have you watched this video? Was it interesting? 
Uh, yeah, I did watch the video. The so basically the focus right now is on Dominion voting systems. Who um, in thirty three different states, they have like forty percent of the market, and and yeah, there was some uh, vote switching happening, and yeah, they've definitely been on a lot of people's radars. And the the, the green uh, uh, what was it called cast button maybe overriding people's votes, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. So Diane Feinstein and uh, more specifically her husband, uh, Bloom, uh, have 60% uh, ownership of all stock in that company. And they are also related to... Now, wait, wait, I, I've, I've seen that, but that was for like Avid Systems or something, right? I, I'm trying to think so, back of that image. And how, did that, how does that relate to... Like, I didn't see that... It, it didn't say domin, uh, Dominion voting at the top of that image that's been going around. It says um, like Avid Technologies or something. And then it had all these different like right, Bloom, right. Bloomenthal. What was the guy's name? Uh, yeah, I... Off the top of my head, I thought Roger it, Bloom. I thought, uh, but who was it? Whose husband is it again? It's uh, Diane Feinstein. Yeah. yeah, I'll look it up. So Go ahead. There's, yep. So there's actually Bloom. Yep. There's actually two voting machine uh, companies out there that are uh, have been questioned and uh, accused of manipulating votes, not only in the U.S. but in foreign countries uh, uh, such as Venezuela, even. Um, and the other company is Smartmatic. And <laughs> now Smartmatic was in the news in 2016 um, because, and, and oddly enough, the Democrat, uh, intelligence, Democrat-led Intelligence Committee uh, did a investigation and found they were uh, due to ties with China, hardware that was being sourced from China and used in these machines, compromised and put at risk the integrity of our elections. Now, these companies, uh, due to the, the people that own them or own influencing controls of their uh, stock, as well as you mentioned Avid, which is a software company, uh, the voting software actually runs on both of these machines. Uh, there, <laughs> if you follow the money trail, it all kind of leads back to, you know, a select few at the top globalists that go figure are Democrat. Um, and the <laughs> that article article is actually calling out the relationship between Kamala Harris. And her husband, which actually <laughs> um, was part of a parent company, which which actually owns. Uh, uh, let me pull up that article because I'm I'm gonna say it wrong here. But there's something like Staple Street Finance or something like that um, that I thought owned Dominion. <laughs> yes exactly but i still don't um, see where avid comes in i gotta say uh, staple street capital i guess is yeah, what owns so, dominion yeah so avid is the again the software that runs on top of the the hardware so no i've heard it both ways 
Um, just like you said that, you know, hey, it's it's uh, Diane Feinstein that that has and her husband that have controlling shares of the software company. I've heard that it's Dominion uh, voting systems. I've heard it's both, but as people dig further into this, what they're finding is these parent companies, shell companies, they all have a common theme in that uh, influential Democrats are either owners, controlling operators, or on the board of these companies. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard that, and I think there is some Democratic uh, influence and some uh, people who would probably vote Democrat that are in these uh, positions. But as far as like the Blumenthal and the Nancy Pelosi stuff, uh, the only thing that I've heard that I can vet because I like oh. to vet everything that I say uh, is Nancy Pelosi's uh, past aide is uh, now a lobbyist for Dominion. But uh, I, I try to be very clear about what I say and what I claim because uh, if I can't prove it, I don't want to get caught up into uh, – like libel or anything uh and I, I know they're coming out hard and they're saying oh no, no no we're not tied at all like i just did a quick search and uh just searching avid election software comes up with a bunch of stuff like oh po- posts falsify ties between election tech firm and democrats so they're they're really uh concerned with that and it doesn't mean it's <laughs> it's wrong or doesn't mean it's right um but yeah, no, I I know why people really want that to be the case, and I, I know why rumors spread about that kind of thing, but I, I need to see some proof, I guess. And I, if you have it, I, I'm definitely willing to look at it, but otherwise I've just got to be careful. Um, no, I, I definitely hear hear that and, and understand that as well. Um, what, what makes it so interesting, right, is there are there is proof that – at one point, right, Nancy Pelosi and her husband, that, that's the other part I was missing there, uh, Diane Feinstein, her husband, Kamala Harris, and her husband all had some type of influential position over Avid Software, Dominion Voting Machines, and Smartmatic voting machines i just uh, haven't seen anything like that I, i've looked i've done a ton of digging way for it i'm not, it's not this isn't the first time i've heard of these these claims but i just haven't seen seen any proof and it's like we can make claims all day and I, people do um but i just I, I i guess i'm just challenging you to provide proof on that you're gonna make you're gonna make me uh work my google skills off here <laughs> Well, I, maybe you try DuckDuckGo because <laughs> for that search, you probably not <laughs> Google's not going to be enough. a friend. But you I'm know, just... and that's so that's a great point yeah. that you brought up. I actually do use DuckDuckGo, but um, I use Google more actually. Uh, but I, I try to use DuckDuckGo on controversial stuff that I don't think Google has my back on. Isn't it something though? How we refer to searching as Googling. Yeah. Um, and, and how hard that was pushed. Right. And that it was pushed. And uh, yeah, that's another, you know, s- subliminal, just like the redefining of language so that you associate an action with a brand and with a product. I'm mean, thinking about how valuable it is to that brand and product. That's invaluable. Right. But, uh, 
Yeah, no, I, I, I know that like the biggest thing that I can confirm is that they gave a big donation to Clinton Global Initiative, which seems very odd for a uh, government vendor to be donated to some, you know, uh, politicians uh, <laughs> nonprofit. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, and that they even admit to that you can go to, um, their website, their dispelling misinformation page, and they'll even say, "We're not partisan at all." No, Feinstein and Pelosi don't own any shares, but yes, we did donate to uh, Clinton Foundation. So I, I think that uh, that one is I'm pr- pretty pretty proven, and I would love proof for the other ones. I'd love to be able to make a documentary and just blast it wide open, but. Only if it's true, you know. So have you also heard about this uh, Sintel uh, news where the some server hardware was actually uh, confiscated in Germany? I have heard a lot about that. Uh, a lot of it comes out of that congressman. I forgot his name. I can picture him, but I forgot his name. Um, coming out and saying that he had heard that on Twitter. Um I also heard I don't I haven't verified any of this, but that you know there are people that were vetting all these different um, endpoints that they were using for their software, and right. uh, they were pinging in interesting places. And then one of them that was pinging in Frankfurt went down, and I heard there's some like CIA building there that might have been hosting one of the servers. But it just sounds like a Tom Clancy novel, and I I don't know I just can't I, I don't know like if they were in I guess they could theoretically be doing operations with the army and just keeping the public in the dark but it's amazing how like little we're hearing about um from i mean trump will come out and rudy will come out and say oh the poll watchers were barred and um the results are invalid what is uh irreparable irreparably uh, i'm not pronouncing that right uh irreparably uh in invalidated or something uh i think rudy said tonight and i agree with him there but uh, i'm just that's pretty much as far as they take it. Um, no poll. The poll watchers weren't allowed in. Uh, the signatures verification. The signature verification wasn't wasn't uh, done right, and it was way too too loose. And there's uh, ma- they they say there's mail in fraud. So I'm with them on all that. But I just I haven't heard any official or um, any. I don't know. I'm not convinced about the Germany server, but it is weird that they. Well, I don't even. Yeah. I don't, I don't, go ahead. So my understanding, it's a Spanish-owned company, and uh, they host some of their servers in Germany. Um, and <laughs> yes, there are people that are claiming they saw American. Um, they they label it troops, but I find that hard to believe. Um, raided their their facility uh um but again just like you said uh i haven't heard anything and that was uh representative louis gomert of texas yes and shout out to ds who said that in the chat but uh yeah good so uh interesting enough this is another voting software protection company this little um company right so, uh, 
Yeah, there's it's it's just a a mess, you know. Um, that that expression. I think it's Bohemian Grove. The weaving weaving spiders come not here. I think the weaving spiders have been busy setting up this election system. Uh, yeah, <laughs> most definitely. It's so. There's another piece to this. All right. All this whole mess. Uh, apparently, President Trump signed an executive order back in 2018 2018 September yep and uh, that was a really interesting one um my understanding is that has to do with any foreign organizations interfering in the election or spreading propaganda related to said intervention in the election so that could that could uh involve like major news outlets too like in the United States and and it also involves <laughs> of seizing all their assets, right? Yes. So that could give credence to how they had, I guess, the uh, jurisdiction over this company. But like, the the bigger thing is what you just referenced, the media companies that uh, would potentially be impacted by this if they could prove... Uh, Election tampering, right? Right, or propaganda or something. It was it was an interestingly worded document, and I've heard a lot of different interpretations of it secondhand, so I don't know exactly what it says. Uh, I need to go back and read it, but um, yeah, very interesting, especially because when we first saw it, it was like interesting that Trump is making this executive order, right, because he was the one always accused of partnering with the Russians – to yeah. get him in the door and it's like oh I th- at first i was like okay trump's just showing no i don't need the russians help in fact i'm going to make it such a big crime that you know no one will can accuse me of it because i'm fighting it or so i don't know but uh now i'm thinking about maybe he had some intel about what was coming what do you think yeah so <laughs> my whole outlook on that is when when you are attacked from all possible angles by everybody and their uncle (laughs) claiming that you had ties to Russia, that you were working with Russia, that uh, you interfered with the election, that you (laughs) asked asked Russia to interfere, um, and then things kind of come out and it's proven that not only was Trump not involved, but those accusing him were actually involved. Why no charges have yet been, or no indictments have been uh, laid out. Uh, You got me, but when, when, when that's the case (laughs) and then, we turn around and have all these with, with this executive order. And then we have all this new suspicion and, and uh, accusations of voter fraud still occurring. It it makes me, it really makes me wonder why, why, why should we believe you this time? Right. If we, we couldn't believe you the first time you spent three years wasting our time and money on it, accusing an innocent man. And now it 
looks like he may have had an election stolen from him, and you don't want us to look into it. You, you just want him to concede the election. Uh, they were this, uh, Hillary Clinton told Biden not to concede under any circumstances. But now Trump shouldn't play by those same rules. I, I, it doesn't make sense to me logically. Right. And Skippy John Podesta gave the same advice. <laughs> and uh, um, I want to welcome the other panelists too. Crypto Node and Magic Angel and Wait For It is on the mic right now. Uh, you guys hold down the fort for 30 seconds. I'll be right back. I'm just going to uh, fill up my jug of water because I'm, I'm just really thirsty here. But uh, very interesting stuff. I'll be right back. Uh, you guys take over. Uh, big shout out to everybody out there in the chat and on the panel. If there was one other thing that, uh, <laughs> since Tim mentioned his name, John Podesta did push for disclosure of uh, UFOs and whether or not uh, that's a thing. And and oddly enough, Donald Trump Jr. was just pushing for disclosure of all things top secret. Uh, I was just kind of... That was really interesting to me as well, <laughs> especially given the current circumstances uh, with the election, um, the the potential end of, of Trump's uh, presidency and uh, the possibility of having disclosure of uh, top secret information. Uh, in fact, a lot of it, what I suspect is it's related back to is, is all the <laughs> the uh, intelligence committee interviews that Trump asked to have declassified and they have been backpedaling on and, and uh, slow walking out. They, they, for whatever reason, have yet to do it. I don't know if they're just biding their time so they don't have to uh, disclose the transcripts um, from those interviews and um, interrogations, uh, it's it's all pretty interesting. Go ahead, go ahead, you can go ahead, keep going. I'm looking something up real quick. Hi, everybody. Hey, Magic Callie, welcome, or uh, Magic Angel, I'm sorry, um, and shout out to uh, Wait For It, appreciate you uh, holding down the fort, and I got some water, so I'm a happy camper. Uh, go ahead, Magic Angel, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just saying that I was looking for something real quick, and that he had the floor. <laughs> oh, okay, and uh, Wait For It, I didn't hear everything you said, but I caught um, some of it, and uh, yeah, very interesting stuff. And so we'll have to see what happens with the election. Do you want to make any calls about what you're expecting? Uh, how this plays out? Uh, yeah. Um, I actually think there will be some, some arrests. Uh, there will be some indictments. I think there was election fraud. I don't know if it's on the grand scale that uh, the Trump campaign is alleging. Um, if that's the case, uh, then all mail-in voting needs to end. All electronic voting may need to end as well. And 
we might have to go back to uh, pen and pad and and <laughs> walk this back a few centuries. <laughs> yeah, uh, die in people's fingers when they leave the the pole place. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's interesting that you said that because the U.S. Uh, recommended that voting method because, quote, it was the only way to ensure a secure election. And I believe it was Afghanistan. Interesting. Yeah. Iraq. Well, I was reading an article the other day uh, from the New York Post. I've read it. I think a couple of them. This one, though, uh, political insider explains. Let me show my screen. Political Insider explains um, voter fraud with mail-in ballots, also titled Confessions of a Voter Fraud. I was a master at fixing mail-in ballots. And um, it's a very interesting article, and it basically just goes over what they do. And uh, one part of it here talks about uh, talking to people um, to see if they were going to vote or not, and then impersonating uh low activity or I, for, I forgot what the term is a low participation and um non-vote or registered but not planning on voting people and apparently uh insider or operatives would go to polling stations and pretend to be that person and a lot of times they don't have to show voter id and if they ever say like oh no no no, that person uh you already voted and then they'll just like make up some excuse and just bail right so um this would stop that because they they want you couldn't have an operative casting a vote for themselves in one spot that someone else that someone else that someone else so yeah i mean it's we have some huge problems with the voting system and it seems by design it's kind of like how the cia wants these tech companies to keep back doors in uh their stuff so they can get in there it's kind of like maybe that's why the the voting is so lax because these people who are running these operations want to keep the back doors and speaking of back doors, remember when they uh, snuck in like hundreds of thousands of ballots through the back doors <laughs> at the election yeah. night? Yeah, to the to three vehicles with uh, allegedly out of state plates on them in Pennsylvania. Right. Yeah. And then there was another uh, allegation, or maybe it was the same, of people like filling out ballots in, inside of a Biden Harris uh, van or something. There's been a lot of really interesting um, sworn affidavits and a lot of really interesting numerical anomalies. Like we have all these people who only voted for Joe Biden, but no other races. It's like, why yeah. would you do that? Yeah, if you want to talk specifically about the, the data anomalies. Yeah, let's do it. Any Anything you uh, saw? Yeah. So there was an article. Um, I did post that in the chat. There was data analysis done on the polling dumps that were received by these media outlets. Now, allegedly, it is the exact data that uh, was fed to the central database that these media outlets were were also receiving. And what the data analysis uh, analysts found was that in these dumps, they <laughs> so so what they do is when they send these these uh, the data the metrics essentially um, of of each polling cycle right they they take them in batches and then they send that that metric uh, to the database and and add in or 
in some cases, remove votes. Now, they made this available to the public, uh, whether it was intentional or not, we don't know yet. But um, you could actually see from one, uh, one transaction to the next that the vote or the uh, count of votes uh, for Donald Trump had dropped by 19,500. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now that that should not happen. Uh, in fact, that typically could not happen unless there was a malfunction of the automation itself, the automation code. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I hate to cut you off. I want to hear where you're going with that. But I have paid a lot. Of, I've thought about that a lot. I think it's a huge problem that needs to be audited and examined and addressed. And uh, I think that it is some bad actors involved. But then again, we don't know that for sure. I still withhold a, a small percentage chance that it's um, maybe some someone tabulating it wrong, like adding I've, up all the precincts. What's that? I was just going to – I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say I've seen a video – that um, states that what happened was all of the security that the security um, I'm trying to find the video. I've seen so many videos and everything over the last two weeks, three weeks. It's been crazy. But what I'm trying to say, um, I did see a video where um, evidently the um, security that is posted through the program that's on the, the voter machines um, was turned off. Um, I'm trying to find the video for that so I can verify that. But I, I remember watching a video so that, that all those securities was turned off and they're not supposed to be hooked up to the internet, but they were only supposed to be networked amongst um, all of, you know, the, the uh, voter boxes themselves, but not um, to the external to inter global internet. Yeah. Right. So uh, right. is it, well, are you talking about? Are you talking about the Georgia uh, counties that broke because they, uh, during the night, pushed an update? Or is it something else? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. I just wanted to say, because I, I remember there was something in Georgia where they broke the, the machines, and there, there were two counties that couldn't vote that morning until technicians came with additional equipment, they said, <laughs> to fix it. Yes. There was, I, it wasn't, I was thinking there was, like, the, the counties of Pennsylvania, too, or maybe all of them. I'm not, I'm not certain. Uh, oh, there was one in, in New head. York. There's another one in New York where the machines were down. And they're like, hey, just leave it in the emergency ballot box. And we promise we'll scan it when the machines come back. <laughs> it's like, oh, that doesn't sound like a huge problem. For whatever reason, you know, they it did state that all, you know, the ones, I guess, the ones that, that had to do the emergency shutdown or whatever, that's when everything that had already been tallied so far got sent to an offshore, um, I want to say it was who who reported on this. Uh, I was offshore. They sent all the information offshore, um, and I think it ended up like in Spain, somewhere. In yeah, a, Barcelona, some, I think. Uh huh. So that and then, sounds like that Siddle may that maybe that's why they were raided. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard I've heard different things. I just don't know how much of this we know versus speculation. Uh, but yeah, I just because I've only heard things and it's just hearsay at this point uh, because everyone's so hush hush in the you know in the positions of 
uh, in, in the various offices. So we're just kind of left to do our own exam or our, our own investigations and holding people accountable. And uh, it kind of sucks because we don't have all the, the info or the ability to, to subpoena people and stuff. And it just seems like the, the actual powers that be want this to happen because they're not investigating it. And even Trump is like, just kind of putting together this half. Well, I don't, I don't know if I can call it like a half-assed legal campaign, but it's like, you know, if, if some of this stuff is true, you think that they would go that route. But I haven't heard anything from the Trump team to suggest that they're going to um, talk about like servers in Germany getting raided or externally uh, sent around data or I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, you probably won't hear what they're going to do with, as far as that's concerned, because that's an ongoing investigation and they're not going to come out right out and say that. I mean, they're running out of time. Uh, uh, yeah, they are. And that's what's scary is, you know, they are running out of time. I, I just hear all these. I've heard all these theories for a while. Like, oh, Bill Barr is this great guy. He's going to come save the day. The lockdowns are about them arresting uh, pedophiles and all this stuff. And it's just like, a lot of times there's a lot of theories on the internet, and they're not all true. So I've been around a block, right, a block I, enough times to just not believe everything I hear. I I understand. Let's talk about Google though. In in the Georgia recount. Uh, they are taking, they're only going to recount 10% of the vote. They are, and most importantly, this is what I wanted to talk no, about. Is, no signature valif- uh, verification, right? Right. That is one of the the keys to ensuring that it was not a fraudulent vote. Why would you not check that? I even heard in, uh, in Pennsylvania, they, well, this requirement. could- Right, right. This could be a rumor, but I hear in Pennsylvania they they burned or delete, de- destroyed a bunch of these security envelopes with people's signatures on it. And then we heard in Arizona that they were using some software computer combo to determine whether two signatures are identify or uh, are the same person. And they somebody ran a test allegedly, and it was like it got it wrong eight out of nine times or nine out of ten or something. And uh, yeah, they just kind of arbitrarily set it at forty percent. It takes forty percent similarity to pass the signature and they just ran hundreds of thousands through without any sort of human oversight. And I think, wait for it. You're, you're a tech guy. Like I am like, that's a pretty hard machine image problem there to decide if two signatures are valid, especially in such a high stakes situation. Yeah. And you also have to take into account these signatures are, are being applied to the outside of an envelope. Correct. I believe that's how it works. I believe they might sign it in multiple spots. I could be wrong, but definitely on the security sleeve. So if there is something inside that security sleeve, is that going to alter how you sign your signature? Is it going to roll off a curve or a uh, a, a bump? Um, right. You know, is, is, it gonna, is it going to mark that as an invalid signature, a valid signature? You know, is that why they set that threshold so low? Um, that, yeah, and, and and should that even be allowed is, I guess, a better question if there's that big of a threshold for error. And then um, we heard, believe- real, real quick to add, and don't, uh, for, to definitely remember what you're going to say there, but um, I remember there was even, like, in, in Detroit, I think, they were told, like, not to even throw anything out for signature problems. <laughs> And uh, anyone who challenged things on on the ballots were getting kicked out to, to rounds of applause, standing ovations. Go ahead. 
Yeah, and so this same error threshold is is why jurisdictions are are not being allowed to use AI face recognition uh, to uh, charge people with crimes or or to uh, provide evidence of them committing a crime because of that same error threshold. Um, and and with facial recognition, you're talking about the a, a much more accurate threshold or uh, set of data. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I don't even. I could sign the same my signature ten times, and it could be different. You know, right? Six and imagine times. imagine writing a piece of software to identify that. And then also, uh, like there was a great press conference in um, Las Vegas where they were talking about this and. One of the guys there was like, just think about the process of verifying two signatures. You might have one guy who thinks, uh, yeah, it's a match, and someone else saying, no, that's a, that's a forgery, right? It's a very difficult problem, even for humans, to make that call, and, and it, there's a huge level of error. And also, um, there's a, like the possibility that you know there's some inside moles or something that have access to people's signature files that'll end up being uh cross-checked and they can just use that to forge stuff you know what i mean and if if you have uh, if you have somebody's signature you could probably get close enough for humans to be like uh it's you know close enough (laughs) you know what i mean like if you're just guessing somebody's signature you'll probably get it way way wrong but uh but still even if even that in that case uh it still might pass through some of these you know lackluster processes right are, are they completing people's signatures like they're completing their unfilled old ballot <laughs> um, right <laughs> good question did you hear that there was like uh twenty five thousand nursing home residents or assisted living uh uh residents that requested their ballots at the exact same time uh in one state <laughs> it was like wow yes yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy. There's been so many of those little things that anyone who's been paying attention to all of this, there's more than enough uh, to to really question it. And it, yeah, it's it's crazy. And but yet the Biden camp thinks that any anything to the contrary to what they think is some sort of seditionist treason. And uh, they're they're already talking about trying to you know get Trump thrown out for trespassing in the White House. And so I just I just see a very interesting few months coming up in terms of the the transition of power or lack thereof. Yeah, and it all kind of circles back to to the other right. Why are they are they really trying to create that uh, uh, that strain or that uh, are they trying to implement some kind of divide and conquer type uh, atmosphere where the left and the right hate each other so much that no matter who wins the election, there's going to be that quote unquote civil war. Is that really the end game? Right. Um, it's like, it's like they're trying to design this to be as jarring as possible to a bunch of people. Yeah. And uh, I, I worry about what's going to happen. We saw just like people out there, you know, in support of the current president and they were met with, roving packs of antifa uh what should i call them i don't like using the word terrorists but uh thugs i'll I'll say thugs because at least there's not a bunch of laws on the books about (laughs) 
how awful thugs are and what they just you know they lose all their rights um but yeah i mean uh just it's crazy and all the people were out there were doing is uh just having a political rally you know first amendment it should be easily protected we've been watching the left have rallies for years and years now uh especially months and months ever since the uh the george floyd thing and leading up to the election and uh, it seems like those have really died down after the election all these black lives matter and antifa protests seem like that has to do with them get, trying to get joe biden elected because as soon as it ha- as soon as that happened they were just tapped yeah we're we're look at all the funding uh i, I guess what irked me the most um i i saw some very great comments on this all the funding that black lives matter has received you don't hear stories about them building homes for black for the black community you don't hear you know great heart string tugging stories you hear about them bailing out protesters and uh real nefarious acts something it just doesn't pass that smell test right it it doesn't make sense and then you can follow that money trail too and i know you're a big proponent of having that proof but uh you know it sometimes gets hard for the average show to i guess pull that information when a lot of that money is rooted through shell companies um, where we don't really have that, that insight. Um, right. Right. That, then that's where we just have to say it. I mean, we just have to say, uh, we're not sure that the election is legitimate. We, we have our, we have big extreme doubts and we're skeptical. And I, we just can't come out and say though, that, you know, such and such a company rigged the election. <laughs> Cause it's like, if we don't have proof, then, you know, I don't know. It's not. It's not my style. Well, yeah, and, and that's a very admirable thing to to uh, to say and 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 do. Um, you know, it's it's a horrible thing when somebody gets accused of doing something um, they had no part of. Uh, but you know. When well, when we have something that's potentially impacting uh, the entire future of our world uh, because of how influential America is on the world, none of this should be taken lightly. This this should be something you know. Everything should halt uh, until we figure this out. Uh, life should not just go on as normal. Um, I, I think. <laughs> right. They need to 100% validate every aspect of the election. Right. And let's take uh, Dominion Voting Systems, for example, because they've been on my radar, a lot of people's radar. And uh, they came out and they said in their dispelling misinformation and disinformation piece on their website, which they're linking to all over the place on Twitter. Um, they said that th- th- they made a number of statements like there was absolutely no votes switched. There was absolutely none. There's a hundred, a hundred percent false. And it's like, okay, well, how do you know that? I mean, there's like their own documents that say there's a high risk of malware flipping votes. And have you seen that document? 
Yeah, uh, there is uh, some more information floating around there about malware being found on on those machines as well. Um, if it's if it's on there, yeah, I saw something about like an uh, an uh, authenticate. What's it called? Um, credential grabber or something i don't know how to describe it. hopefully you guys know what i'm talking about basically it like waits for you to type in passwords and it sends it off to a server somewhere um you know like a tip like that's a whole class of malware apparently there was something on there as a you know it's a known example of that uh, well i don't know exactly how the person found that out though you know I'm, I'm seeing lots of claims from independent researchers and like that sounds like a hard thing to know and, and like how many machines are affected and all that kind of stuff so I should probably use my same, you know, rule of thumb. You know, I can't really prove that. It's just hearsay. But I just don't know how they can come out and say so defin- That That's what we're up against. You know, I, I, I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to say anything that I don't know. Yet Dominion's going to come out and they're going to just lie through their teeth and say there's absolutely no way anything could have gone wrong. It's the, And then uh, the DHS comes out and says this was the safest, most secure election ever. And so we're just dealing with people who sound confident and just come out and say things and, and they're deemed the authoritative sources and, and we just don't have all the information to dispel it. But like the the 19,500 votes switching on live CNN, I think it's such a big story. And I, I just have a feeling that it actually happened a lot more than just that one time. I mean, there's the, the other the other possibility where it was just a fluke or some tabulation error, like some New York Times data guy just had it in the wrong column or something i i don't know what i haven't heard a good explanation yet but um if there's some sort of software uh switching votes from one candidate to the other and we noticed it in, on one occasion there's other occasions where it's going to be hidden like i saw one for, for instance where uh trump goes up two thousand and biden goes up like forty thousand so it's not quite uh you know, minus the same amount that Joe goes up by. But if you think about it, if if you have a big amount subtracted from Trump, brought over to Biden, and then a bunch more ballots are piled on the top, it, it could look like Trump has more than the last time. It looks like he didn't lose any, but he didn't do it as well as Joe Biden did that time. So a lot of the times, vote switching could be hidden by the onslaught of new ballots being added. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean... People that are writing these algorithms, they're not dummies. They're smart people, right? They're they're going to think of those obvious uh, telltale signs when they're writing their code. Right. Um, I'm surprised we even got that one, uh, you know, brazen example. Uh, <laughs> that's like the building seven of the 2020 election. <laughs> yeah, good analogy. Um, and the. I guess the bigger uh, shocking uh, thing to me was that we had multiple dumps of 100% of the vote going to a single candidate. That doesn't happen once, let alone in multiple states at the same time, right? Within an hour or two of each other. It's, right it's it, it just doesn't happen That's, and you know what what, no what i worry about though is like this type of stuff is that going to be able to be uncovered and unearthed with a good audit or is it once it once it hits the tally that in that fashion if they can launder ballots if that's what they did there um is it too late you know 
if it gets through without being challenged or I don't know, maybe the auditing process could have challenging in it, but we know in Georgia, it doesn't sound like, well, like what are they even doing in Georgia? They're just going to see if <laughs> the machines just happen to spit out exactly like totally wrong answers, like that they can audit 10% of them and see, like, I don't buy it. Right. So they're, so from my understanding, they're hand counting the ballots. There is no unique ID to a ballot to that record being tabulated in the voting machine, from my understanding. If there is, then there should definitely be a way to fully audit the entire process, uh, whether it's election or mail-in, every every single ballot, <laughs> and, and it should have been the case, right? You would you would think that every single ballot that was sent out or uh, filled out at the at the poll should have a unique ID. That's just best practice whenever you're entering in a data record, right? Right. Yeah. And they should so, have the the raw relational databases that should be looked at afterwards to make sure that everyone gets a whole vote, things like that. Like I'm hearing some horror stories about possibilities that they're using fraction magic and uh i just wonder it's like how hard is it to have a, a database table with all the votes for each of the different races per person and then make sure it, it tabulates it correctly and i think that's probably what's going on behind the scenes but if they can somehow in the data flip one from one to the other then uh the new aggregate totals the sums are gonna have a big switch like we saw in pennsylvania from from uh trump to biden but then again, like, how would a recount not catch that? That's the other thing I'm having a hard time with. It's almost as if, like, that's too sloppy of a, a technique. I mean, I've heard other things, like some of these uh, vote scanners actually have the capacity to print stuff, print responses. So I'm just trying to think, like, okay, how, how did this magic trick, if there was one, get performed? Like, what what's the... So it would only be sloppy if it left room for a recount to be requested. And, and that's the problem that Trump is having in some of these states is that the difference in votes uh, is too great. That right. Can't so they, they like targeted beyond the threshold for an automatic recount. Right. That's how I see it. Um, in, in those states where, you know, he is able to re request a recount states like Georgia, that makes it more eyebrow raising that you're only going to count what 10% of the vote. Um, you know, that's not even enough to give us an idea on whether or not these, the numbers, the automated uh, process was returning was, was semi-accurate, right? I mean, I guess you could run some stats on it and maybe get some percentages and, and see if there's room, if a need for more, but yeah, it's sad because they came out, Georgia was like, "Hey guys, we hear you. We're gonna do a we're gonna do a hand recount, guys." And we're like, "Oh, that's awesome! Hats off to Georgia." And then then the truth yeah. comes out, and they're like, "Oh yeah, like ten uh, percent, and we're not gonna really look at them <laughs> or something like you know we're not gonna look at the signatures." <laughs> it's like what? Why? Yeah. Why? Because yeah, they don't want to throw out anything that's been accepted. It sounds like. Yes. Yes. It, and when <laughs> I have a. a the bigger problem there is if they're supposedly supposedly doing a random draw of these stacks of ballots, well, isn't the issue that 
a bunch of Biden votes came in at the end. So shouldn't you really be focusing on that last, what was it, 20% of the votes that were cast? If you're only going to do a 10% count, what isn't that the area or the time frame or the uh, collection of ballots that you would really want to target? Um, a full random uh, from every single pile of ballots that you have, that's that's not going to root out whether or not any nefarious acts occurred. Yeah, right. And speaking of speaking of nefarious acts, one thing that jumps out to me as a red flag is that they had um, they right before the election they changed a lot of rules in a lot of states to allow mail-in ballots more time, as long as they got postmarked in time and then we saw like the project veritas thing where they saw or allegedly uh were backdating ballots and it just seems like okay how big is this coordination if it involves state legislatures um the usps and um and then whoever's potentially laundering these ballots in i mean it just sounds like a maybe uh like well joe biden said he assembled the largest voter fraud organization in american history yeah. <laughs> so maybe we should take yeah, him at his how, words. How does that not get blasted over uh, or, or picked up on any major news outlets? I think Fox ran it once or twice. Yeah, it's, it was a crazy comment. Front, yeah, like how do you not, not just like how do you not hear your own words and be like, oh, shoot, I didn't mean voter fraud. I meant uh, voter. And then, like, come up with something. I mean, it was beyond a Freudian slip. He didn't even correct himself. Yeah, right, right, right. Or <laughs> <laughs> who knows? I mean, they'll probably just say like, "Oh, well, that doesn't prove anything. He just uh, slipped up." You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy though. Did he follow up with a, a press release of why he said that. I don't. I don't know that he ever did either. Well, here's my question. Like, okay, let's get back to the Democrat. It seems like the Democrat. People, the Democrats and all the in all the state governments wanted to extend how long they'd wait for mail-in ballots, right? And uh, then all these ballots for Joe start trickling in after election day. It just it seems really weird to me. And then they also had this like story where it's like judge orders USPS to uh, canvas for ballots and do a to net for ballots or something like that. And it was like. Am I reading this right? And they'll talk about, oh, it's voter suppression um, undone. Like, or it's, it, they're trying to fix voter suppression. Or, are like, what are they really doing? I'm not sure. You know, just because they have a nice-sounding headline and they sell it to us doesn't, doesn't mean that it's well, not nefarious. Well, it's interesting that, you know, everybody knows there is an issue with the United States Postal Service getting mail delivered on time when there's a high volume such as Christmas or another holiday, right? So when you stick voting by mail into that uh, equation, what do you think is going to happen? Well, my thing is like, I think most people understand how long it takes to send something in this country and they're not, they're not traveling that far. It's not like you're sending it across the country. Aren't you just sending it to your nearest precinct or something? So right. it's like, can't people get them in a couple of days before the election day? Like, can't we have a deadline like a few days before the election day and send them out? It's like, I don't see why this happened. It's almost right. like they wanted, like, uh, I think even Trump has alleged 
they wanted to see how much they how many votes they had to manifest <laughs> you know Ooh, yeah that's a good point but here's another one for you if social distancing works if wearing your mask works um there's going to be no difference in the time you have to wait in line the lines are going to appear longer because you're socially distanced but you're still going to wait in line the same amount of time that's not going to change so it still harkens back to why should we even need to mail in votes at all regardless of the coronavirus situation right right why was that so important this round in there they got it they were able to check a lot of boxes with covid and uh not only the getting a bunch of mail-in ballots but also kicking out a bunch of Republican poll watchers. Did you see that video out of Detroit where they were like, oh, you can't come in because of COVID? Yeah, yeah, but the, the Democratic er, the Democrat were poll fine. watchers could. Well, I think that's because yeah. none of the Democrats ever catch COVID. Have you noticed that on the news? <laughs> it's always Republicans. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And I think so, they're trying to create this stereotype, like that Republicans are like dirty and, uh, you know, infected. Oh, Republicans? <laughs> I know it's it's uh, it's ridiculous when you think about it, but uh, I kind of get this impression like they'll they'll act like Lindsey Graham is like the dirtiest person ever. Did you see the, his um his what's the what's the term uh the person he was running against uh put up like a plexiglass barrier for their debate? Mm-hmm. It's just like to create this image like oh I don't want to be infected by this guy. Uh, yeah, it's 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 the golden goose or as um. Uh, Jane Fonda said, it's God's gift to the left, <laughs> which is a ridiculous well, what, thing to, to say if you really believe that it took out 200,000 people. Yeah, right. Uh, so MB just put in chat, uh, he mentioned the watermark bombshell. Did you hear about that one? <laughs> yeah, I think he, I don't know if he's joking or not in the chat, but um, yeah, a lot of people thought that they... Uh, that the DHS or CISA, I guess, the, what is it, cyber, I forgot what CISA stands for, security, something like that. And I, I hear that people were hoping that they put watermark ballots on there and were able to catch people just printing them off, I guess. Is that the theory? Yeah, um, that is the theory. And that it was planned ahead of time with the insider knowledge that this was going to be attempted. But since we were on that same topic of CISA um, or CISA. Oh, and real quick, before you go in on that, CISA did come out and say, and I forgot to mention this, they, they came out, oh, no, we didn't do any watermarked ballots. They were just completely open and, and vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> they, I, put, I, I added that bit, but it's funny that they came out and they're like, no, nope, those are rumors. We didn't put watermarks on the ballots. It's like, wow, why are you bragging about that? Uh, that's, a, that's a weird flex. Yes, especially when they argued that this is the most secure election ever. And then within hours, uh, we had resignations. Uh, with Now, two days later, we had four. A single what the fuck are you doing? Direct, uh, single organization. All right. Sorry about that, guys. I, I muted him. The person couldn't hear. No one could hear it except for that uh, that first obscenity. Uh, sorry about that. Wait for it. I figured that was a uh, an actual person not trying to troll me. Go ahead. 
<laughs> so there were four. Oh wait, wait. Uh, oh, wait, sorry, I had you muted too. I, I had him like double muted. Go ahead. There were four resignations from CISA or CISA since they made that announcement about it being the most secure. Why? Why? Why are there so many people stepping down or, or resigning unless there is concern that they might be scapegoated? <laughs> I'll say that one more time. That guy phased me a little bit. Who's, who's being scapegoated? So there were four resignations. Right. The, the main one, I think, in, in my eyes was the guy who, uh, so Bill Barr came out, Trump said, you're authorized to look into, uh, I forgot the term, inaccuracies or something like that in the uh, voting data possible, look into the fraud. And then he's like, and then I guess he put out a memo saying, okay, we're going to do it. And then the guy who's supposed to look into election fraud stepped down. It's like, what? Like, it's your whole job. Like, you only are going to do anything once every four years, right? And it's like, here's your time to shine, man. What have we been paying you for? <laughs> yeah, at first it was just one. And then there's, here's an article, top two Homeland Security officials forced to resign by the White House is, is what right. they're saying. So I guess one was in the DOJ, right? That was the bar-related one. Then they started cleaning out the DHS, like you're saying. Is that really what's going on? Are they cleaning it out? Is I, there are, are they being fired, right? Or are they saying resigning? Well, they're asked to resign. Uh, <laughs> so fired. And, terminated, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, did you, oh, the other one was Esper, right? What's the guy's I always forget the guy's name. Mark, uh, Mark es, Esper. Yeah. Did you see that one? Yeah, so I'm looking at it all. Or maybe that, was, maybe that was one of the two uh, DHS, because this guy was defense secretary. And by the way, if people don't know, secretary means secret keeper. <laughs> um, it's important to remember. <laughs> yes. So Valerie Boyd resigned. Uh, where, uh, what's his first name? Uh, Christopher, known for Krebs. He's still there. Brian Ware, I believe it was. He was the one who resigned from CISA. Oh, okay. I didn't know about that one. Yeah, it's weird that a lot of people are resigning, but sometimes the, the media loves that. Like, that can be invaluable to the media to say, oh, look, people are uh, are quitting because they don't want to go along with Trump's dictator moves, right? So they can always spin that. So it's almost as if they're like, give it, like if anyone resigns, not a, the firing's different. Although firing, well, let, let's just look at the re resignations. A good resignation is what I meant. Could be a big uh, story for the the mainstream media to say, "Oh, look, even even Trump loyalists are are bailing on him now. Everybody's turning on Trump, right?" So, so all it takes is someone compromised to to pretend like they were asked to do something that they didn't feel comfortable doing or something, and they can make a big story out of it. But the the firings and stuff are interesting. What do you make of this? Yeah, I I mean, I, I don't know what to make of it yet because now I'm also seeing reports that Christopher Krebs is also expecting to be asked for his resignation. Uh, that many people at one time, that's just... Uh, 
again, it doesn't pass the smell test. Um, we were warned to watch for indictments. <laughs> uh, still waiting to hear about those. But they said the same thing about, you know, uh, the Clinton investigation. They said the, they same, said the thing. same thing about everything. There's always yeah. like 10,000 arrests coming and just just wait a little longer guys it's like okay yeah i mean i'm a i'm a big proponent of you know uh promises made promises kept yes trump did a lot of what he said he was going to do but one of the biggest ones that i held on to was draining the swamp because we all know corruption is huge in politics yeah that's something that i didn't see in any way uh follow through on not at all there were anybody that is no longer in office that had a position that was accused of any wrongdoing was never charged criminally right um that's not draining the swamp i don't think so yeah i i've been let i felt a little let down by trump um I remember on election night, I was actually pretty happy because, you know, not not this election, the last election, because uh, I had already it was kind of the opposite of this one. I I had already kind of assumed that Hillary was going to win. And so I was like, hey, that's a good, happy s- surprise, I guess. The outsiders getting in and he said he's going to drain the swamp and lock her up and all this stuff. And just never happened. I mean, he ended up just uh, re- re- uh, reciprocally giving you know, Wilbur Ross and that type of crowd and uh, John Bolton positions. And yeah, it's been kind of disappointing. Uh, and pe- a lot of people will defend him and say, well, you know, he has to play ball or the people. I don't know. I don't actually, I don't know what they say to, <laughs> I haven't heard anyone give a good explanation for John Bolton and Wilbur Ross, but I guess, uh, oh, people will say like, it's not a good explanation, but they'll just say, oh, he just made a couple hiring mistakes. He's still a great guy. And I just, you know, at some point I've got to be, well, I'm always extremely skeptical because they're always going to try to to package and, and market their evil deeds as ignorant mistakes. Like that's what George Bush did. That's what Obama did. That's what Biden's doing. That's what AOC does. I mean, they, they, they don't, they play dumb, I think, when they're really very cunning and they know what they're doing. Sure. I, I, I could see see that argument uh, the other one we're leaving out is durham where's durham's report it's now after the election how much longer do we have to wait <laughs> <laughs> who's durham again because i saw somebody making a comment because um sydney powell was, bo- was born in durham north carolina and somebody was like oh someone was freaking out on my timeline because they were like they they thought they had pieced together some some communications or something i'm like i, I don't know about that but uh, who's Durham? Because I was wondering about that. That's uh, John Durham, the investigator. Um, uh, what was the exact name of it? Uh, While you pull it up, uh, Zach Voorhees. The Russia who, inquiry. That's what he was investigating. Oh, was he? In, was oh he was looking into like the Russia election interference. Uh, actually. Uh, the legality of that was, investigation. He was investigating the investigation. Yes. The Interesting. Of 
investigators. Investigation inception. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to cover this here. Zach Voorhees, who I had the pleasure of interviewing, uh, who was filing an emergency injunction. Uh, I follow him on Twitter, and he put this out. This is interesting and related. He said, and should we be surprised that Google is blocking the search for Dominion Voting Systems whistleblower? So you search for it on Google. It's got like <clears throat> three top stories pinned here. No evidence Dominion Voting Systems caused widespread tabulation errors that flipped votes for Biden. No, Dominion Voting Machines did not cause widespread problems. How many California counties used glitchy Dominion Voting Systems? No evidence from PolitiFact that Dominion voting systems caused dot, dot, dot. And then on the right, you search for it, and uh, you see Dominion voting system whistleblowers are coming forward. And this is DuckDuckGo, by the way. We were kind of talking about DuckDuckGo earlier, obviously. Uh, FBI whistleblower, Dominion software, critical insider. Dominion systems whistleblower goes public. Justin, Rudy Giuliani suggests Dominion whistleblowers. So Google's supposed to be the smart company with the best AI in the world, millions of servers crunching numbers to give us the best results, and yet they just rig it. They, they talk about machine learning fairness and the biases in the data and conspiratorial leanings and all this stuff and, and how lies spread faster than truth. And they have the obligation and the duty of responsibility, duty of care to give people truth and it just ends up being such crap at the end of the day. It's like, what's the point? Like, don't tell me you guys have the best AI in the world. If I look up building seven, it's just like a bunch of damage control trying to get me to look elsewhere. It's like, <laughs> you guys are hey, just well, uh, Google, cover up. Google's, Google's a commerce domain, right? It used to be that. It's a what? Say that again. A commerce. Commerce domain. what? D commerce domain? Like Google, yeah. Google.com. Dot commerce dot is that what you mean? yes well that that's true but a, like most websites are dot com right well there used to be a distinction um you used to be able to rely on dot org organizations being more truthful and reliable well that's a lot of the wayside yeah that's gone to the wayside because people have become so used to using dot com that one seems more normal to people Right, but so, org, org is trusted too. If you have a good org, sometimes that that goes a long way. Right. So look at all these fact checkers that, that are that we're looking to. Right. They're all dot com as well. They're all businesses making money. I mean, we so, know. Yeah, we know Google's in it for the money, and well, so, I think they're also they're in it for catering. the power. Yeah, they're catering to their advertisers, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think they're catering to a lot of special interests, advertisers included. And uh, some advertisers are, are are definitely given the special treatment and uh, unlocked all, unlock all the little manipulative tools that Google has to uh, dispose of. And um, so, if, go ahead. If you want to advertise on your site, who do you go to? Google Advertising. They are pretty much a monopoly as far as Google ads, yeah. as, as far as ads go. Yeah, I mean it's a vicious circle. And if you want to buy ads, where do you go? You go to Google. And you know what I know? <laughs> what I like to point out to people is think about what happens in terms of the flow of money in an election cycle, right? A lot of good, hardworking Americans get swept up in it, mostly because they're so afraid of the other side, right? That they feel like they need to donate to the candidate, be they the Republican or the Democrat. 
And then that person raises all this money, billions and billions of dollars. And there's also all these other races, right? Governor races, Senate races, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All this money gets raised, but where does it flow to? Let me just ask you that first and I'll tell you what I think. So I personally think it flows to the, even, even nonprofits, the same, same, they work the same way. It flows to the salaries of the people they're employing. It does not go to where you think it should or would go. Well, that's, that's true, especially for charities, but I think like, I don't know exactly the percentage, but doesn't a lot of the percentage of like the billions of dollars they raise go to advertising and a lot of the salaries they hire are people do. I mean, that's kind of separate, I guess. Yeah, that's I'm glad you said that because I I look at it a bit differently, but you brought up a great point that I didn't think of Uh, salaries and, and basically paying off people, consultants and so on and so forth. Yeah. But then also they make a ton of ads and air them all over the place. So a lot of it's getting funneled into these major companies like CNN and um, Fox News, Google, Facebook. It's just like an injection of cash into these major, major corporations. Um, That should be illegal. Welcome to the panel. Uh, Is that crypto? Crypto node. Welcome, man. Uh, You you think that what should be illegal? Advertising? Totally illegal. Any... I mean, the, the government represent the people. The pe- they should get their funding from the people. I think that corporations should be completely stripped from being able to lobby and to uh, contribute to campaigns. Right, that, I agree. But they also, why- they also benefit immensely from campaigns, especially like companies like Google who are selling ads on, on YouTube, for instance. Think about how much money Google made off of the, right. the last well, election. That's, billions hey, that's and billions. Problem. That's the normal flow of business, right? So right. if you're promoting your business or I'm promoting my business, we we make money through business. We take a portion of, you know, a percentage of our money and put it towards advertising to get our name out and to get more business, you know, so people can find us. But I think the, I mean, it's a much bigger picture. The situation we're in today with the division, you know, between the Republicans, Democrats, whatever, and civil unrest and all of this uh, you know, that's going on in today's society. It's all because we're moving from a government that used to represent the people more to a government that represents large, you know, big corporations and, you know, central banks. Yeah. Yeah. I remember telling, uh, having a conversation with my, uh, young cousin and he was like saying something that I, that I felt before, but I don't feel anymore. He was saying, all of these politicians are so dumb. And I was I was telling him, I'm like, I don't think they're dumb. I think they're very smart, but they don't work for us. They work for the special interests. And uh, people, lose, people lose all trust in someone if they think that they screwed them over intentionally. But if they think it was accidental, then they're much more forgiving. You see what I mean? Yeah. And the problem, and and that just stems back to your psycho, you know, psychological, you know, psyops of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what advertising is, and you know, it basically it's programming, right? I mean, TV right. ads and social media ads—they're programming our minds, and it's all part of it, and it's a, it's a, it's just all mixed together, and so that's how they control the legal sheeple. I mean, we're just basically cattle you know, to the higher ups. 
So, yeah, if, if we got rid, I mean, if we had to reform our government, um, you know, and move towards a, a freer democracy again, you would have to make it uh, corporations. Corporations are already legal entities, right? They have mm -hmm. their own presidents. They have their own board of directors. They have their own, they basically have their own governance already. They don't need a, gov a government to necessarily represent them, right? So why, you know, they should make their money, do business, have customers, and if they want to advertise, advertise from their profits. But what they're doing is they're leveraging the, that their profits, uh, giving it to government officials and to lobbyists, and you know, and in the back end, they're they're you know, it's getting into the whoever the state representative is or the president or whoever, and they're they're profiting from it, you know. And Biden, you know, Biden's a perfect example this year of, of how he's kind of circumventing, um, you know, his political influence and uh, using his son to kind of circumvent the whole, uh, you know, pay to play program. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough problem that we're faced with. I mean, a lot of people like freedom and, and freedom for people and freedom for businesses. But then again, if the if the businesses are all free to do whatever they want, we're kind of all screwed. Like there's some of the, the biggest problems that we have are these big businesses and how much power they wield and how they really have this huge profit incentive and uh, not as much responsibility to the people, you know? Well, what would the world look like or what would the United States look like if corporations couldn't, it would be illegal for government officials to take any contributions from corporations. I mean, what do you think that would look like? The budgets, obviously, for, for their campaigns would be much lower. Right, right. I don't, I don't, I, it would be a lot less brainwashing every four years, right? Because the, the, think about what ads they're making and stuff and the messaging that they're putting out there. I'm not really a fan of the either, if either party and their principles, you know? Uh, right. One I think is worse than the other. That's just, excuse me, my preference. But um, really, every four years they raise a ton of money and run all these propaganda ads, and they're getting better and better at it now with the ability to micro-target and run A/B testing. And so, like, I don't know if you saw what Joe Biden did, and I think Trump too. They make like all these little ads. They just take as many different shots as they can. They have their their authors and these video editors and they buy stock footage and get some music. They just throw together a bunch of different things and then they try them out and then they find out which ones are effective and they just increase the budget on those. They cancel out the ones that aren't working. And so uh, it, it's really insidious, I think. And especially, especially if they have Google at their back, the wind of Google at their back. Um, yeah. Google and Facebook. Right. Yeah. And Twitter. Although Twitter doesn't do the uh, political ads as much, I don't think. No, but they, su uh, but they suppress, they suppress right. political, uh, they rig you the know, information environment. Definitely. Outlets, depending on which side you're on. That is true. So in a way that is advertising because they're using their customers, right? Right. They're using their customers voices and they're raising up the people who they prefer and they're suppressing the outside. So right. anyone it's almost that, a, a political contribution, a uh, 
what's the term? A I think that's right. A, a contribution, non-financial. Well, it's got a financial value, right? But it's it's non-financial, well, if all you but it's hear, a huge contribution. Yeah, if all you hear and see on Twitter is uh, all Democrat chatter, right? Between all of the between each other, right? It's between customers, between voters, whatever. But there's no uh, Republican representation in that chatter. Then it's obvious it's leaning. It's called steering in the real estate world. Um, you know, people towards that opinion, and yes. that goes back to probably the beginning of your stream uh, of psychological um, tactics, right? Yep, absolutely. The more, yep, the more you see of a certain uh, message the more you're tending to believe it and, and lean towards it and buy into it. Right, right. And then within the message, they can also do other other techniques, like have somebody that you uh, feel similar to give you the message. Uh, all sorts of different techniques in, in advertising, as I'm sure you're aware, um, that are more persuasive to people and, and uh, different ways that they can uh, pull on people's heartstrings and sell people ideas and... and like, for example, I've heard that Democrats and probably Republicans, too, but definitely Democrats like vote on how they feel. It's like not. Well, so you're talking about micro targeting. Right. So now you found your Democrat and now you're going to micro target them. Basically, if they maybe they care about the economy, you're going to show them economy ads. Right. Uh, right. You tailor the propaganda to each person. Abortion ads. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, gosh. Or Republicans, you know, I mean, if you're, you know, a Second Amendment uh, advocate, then you're going to show someone, you know, Second Amendment ad. Yeah, that's so, like the biggest rule when you're making um, any piece of content or you're making a public speech. Know your audience, right? That's like the number one rule in public speaking. And it's much harder, I mean, to, give, I, it's much harder to give a message to an audience of 300 million people than it is to give an audience or give a message to an audience of 100 people who are all the same in their their taste profile you know what i mean yeah if i own a, a a pet store i can go into the back end of facebook and micro target all of my uh customers you know people who read uh you know dog magazine uh facebook knows exactly who those people are uh people who show dogs on their facebook pages right this is my dog charlie you know yeah so you can actually in the back end of facebook go Okay, I want to pick uh, these interests, people with these people, interests, uh, people who read dog magazines, people who, you know, people who follow the, this account. It's, yeah. And in the past, if they've purchased dog food or dog collars or dog beds, you know, they know all of this. It is insane how much they know about individuals. Right. And and they do open up some of that to sell us out to the advertisers, and I think that they they obviously know a lot more than they expose to their advertisers, which is already a scary, creepy amount. But um, like I, I talked about this before, after, like going back to this uh, psychology book that I'm writing um, about mind control and how we're deceived, um, the ability of them compared to the past to run exponentially more psychological experiments. So automated yeah. science. So back in the day, they had to get someone in a, like uh, Watson or Skinner or Pavlov or something to find out a truism about how the human mind operates. But, you know, it's only so good. In general. In general. In general. As a right. population. 
Right. But now with Google and Facebook, they have micro down to a science driven by just yeah. terabytes and terabytes of data. Exactly. Yeah, it's terrible. And it really you is. Uh, you posed a question earlier in the stream too. You were kind of going down your bullet points there about childhood. You know, uh, I forget which one it was, number three, four, five. Um, yeah, a chapter three, worldview development in, inf in infancy and childhood. Working yeah, class youth that, indoctrination through modeling and reinforcement is my working subtitle. Right, and that's where they start to get you to get used to McDonald's and uh, cream, What uh, cheese, what's that, cheese macaroni, you know, macaroni and cheese, you know, right. stuff. They'll influence the parent, right? The mother usually uh, to go out to the grocery store and buy it. But they're also right. influencing the children to, to tug Demand on the mother's yeah, apron and say, hey, mom, I want, you know, can you buy me Kraft macaroni and cheese? You know, uh, and that's why then we grow up later in life. Probably that's in your pantry as a, yep. you know, as a, as and a value, food. value is subjective. So if they can get messaging to you. <clears throat> They can make something more valuable to you. They can even make you associate some of the most strong drives in humans, such as what you mentioned there, the, the hunger drive. And if they can uh, tap into people's hunger drive and profit off of it by making you go to their brands whenever you're hungry, that's going to be a golden goose for the rest of, the, uh, the rest of your life for them. Well, places like, too. Yeah, toys. places like McDonald's, Burger King, that's why they painted their insides like orange and red. Because they wanted you to eat faster. Yellow and red. Yep. Oh, and the yellow. playground. They had playgrounds. Yeah. yeah the they really. Yeah. They they have some dirty tactics about like making junk food fun. <laughs> it's it's crazy. and big farm, not big pharma, big tobacco. Back in the day, I think they used to give free cigarettes to people who were in war, right? So when they right. would come back, uh, they would purchase those lucky strikes. Not only were they addicted to them during wartime. But now that they come home, you know, they're deployed back home. Yeah, That's drug dealers drug dealers uh, famously give out the first, you know, dose free, right? Yeah. Back in the Vietnam War, they gave the, the soldiers, um, what, LSD and I don't know, what cocaine and opiates or something to keep them awake. Amphetamines, and yeah. Then, yeah, so then they came back home, they were all, you know, addicted to drugs. Well, I think they were also using it as, uh, you know, when they would get injured and they were being, you know, helicoptered somewhere to their mash unit, uh, you know, these op opioids and LSDs and stuff like that. And that's how I think that's how they kind of got used to it. You know, they would get injured. They'd lose an arm or a leg here. You know, we're going to pump you up with these uh, these drugs. But when you got home, now you're addicted to those drugs. You and know. there's also a big traumatic aspect where you have people kind of fleeing reality and uh, what they what they were you know made to do in those situations. Well, that wasn't that MK Ultra. Well, MK Ultra was the mind control experiments in uh, the CIA, and I'm actually I have an interesting book here called "The Search for the Manchurian Candidate: The CIA and Mind Control," and it goes through a number of different things. I think this author was actually one of the reasons why uh, they were able to get that freedom of information from the CIA. But that's really, guys, that's just the tip of the iceberg about what the government has done in terms of uh, yeah. mind control research. Like they, after Nuremberg, they, they uh, stole, not, I don't know the right term, they acquired a bunch of Nazi uh, mind control stuff. And I, I think this stuff we know about, like the, uh, the LSD experimentation and stuff, I really just think that's like the stuff they were willing to put out there unclassified.
Like, imagine what they're, you know, afraid to put out and, and declassify. Well, I, I believe that they brought a lot of the Nazism, the Nazi tactics over to the United States. They brought a lot of the doctors over and put them in our military bases. Yep, Operation Paperclip, 1600. And, um, well, the, you know, and the United, the, the uh, United States, especially California, really influenced the Nazis. So I think a lot of that was already here. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why Kissinger has been uh, a favorite for so long. And those same doctors are the ones that was performing experiments on, you know, the public without their knowledge. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah, they've been doing all sorts of crazy experiments. Um, like there was a, there's like an MK, a famous MK ultra picture. I don't know if it's real, but it's like a little, little girl lying in a bed and it says something behind her, like strain urine or something. And I, I don't remember what that was about, but I like, that's one of those I can't get out of my head. Um, just a weird, let me, let me see here. Trying to track down the origin of MK ultra girl. Um, right, no, I... right here. Have you guys ever seen this one? Maybe it's a fake or something, but it's just like, what are these people up to? And what, what have they done that they will never admit to? And who's, Did who's I'm in possession of all this info at this point? I mean, they call it the central or, uh, central intelligence agency. And they're definitely privatizing and centralizing stuff in the knowledge, but what, what knowledge what intelligence have they centralized? We don't know. We're we're in the dark. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not going to tell us. Well, I remember a couple years back, um, I came across uh, a show. Um, was it uh, America Horror Story? And it was the like one of the first ones. Has anybody seen that show? Yeah. No, no, I haven't. What what happened? You haven't. Well, anyway, um, the first one I just was flipping through channels, and then it just was late night. And I saw, uh, you know, them doing something in this, um, like a sane asylum and the tortures and this and that. And then I figured out that it was a series and everything. But um, after that show, I mean, I really was like, wow, that, there's no way that that really, that's, that's you know, because it's, and I, I started just digging into it and I figured out and started you know, discovering that, yeah, they, they did used to do that to people. You know, just this, the the horrible things that they did to people in some of, them, some of these insane asylums just was horrific. I mean, just all these experiments and everything that they did, it was, it was just... You know, now that you say that, and that Tim kind of put this image up on the screen, uh, it, it, it kind of reflects to what's probably happening today, but in a different way. It's social engineering. I mean, they're they're right. tapping into our minds, uh, not as crude as that back then. But well, we don't know what they're doing to everyone. They could be running cruel experiments on people based on what information they're they're serving them up when they're on the internet, right? Like they could be well, that's running what I mean. Crazy experiments on like little kids just randomly to say like, okay, what happened? It's it's really a lot like uh, you know what movie I keep thinking of more and more, Clockwork Orange. You know that scene where they like open up the eyes and they just put a bunch of stuff in front of them and they, yeah. they basically yeah. use that to, to program them. Like that's what everyone's going through right now. And they don't even know that's, it. They, they, they're so addicted to it. They wake up and they, they turn their phone on and they check their notifications. I do it too. But, um, I, I try, I like to think that I can navigate somewhat. 
and uh, use these tools. But I feel bad for the young folk who are just trying well, to just figure it. out how the world works and you know who they are and how to behave. They're addicted to their phone. The phone is the new drug. And, yeah. you know, they cannot put it down at all. Right. Especially some of these like sex trafficking survivors that have come out and said that, you know, they were experimented on as well. And some of the horrible things that was done to them. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah, I think this is uh, we're getting to the point where, you know, it's it's an end game because they're not just doing it to the children. I mean, obviously, the adults are kind of tapped into it, too. I right. mean. Now, I, I personally have never signed up for Facebook or Twitter, and uh, I just I just never did. I'm a little bit older, so um, I just never saw the need for it. And I also kind of foresaw what they were doing. So Facebook, to me, was kind of like a CIA op, right? I can't DARPA confirm or have you Have you heard of LifeLog? No. Oh, you got to check out DARPA LifeLog. Let me read you like their... Uh... Their mission statement here. And this was uh, phased out the day before Facebook launched or something like that. Like the, the timeline here is, is crazy. But according to its bid solicitation pamphlet in 2003, it was to be, quote, an ontology um, based subsystem that captures, stores and makes accessible the flow of one's person's experiences in and interactions with the world in order to support a broad spectrum of associates, assistance and other system capacities. Um, to be able to trace the threads of an individual's life in terms of events, states, and relationships, and it has the ability to take in all of, an, of a subject, all of a subject's experience from phone numbers dialed and email messages viewed to every breath taken, step made, and place gone. So, I mean, all yeah. all it would take for them to say they have achieved this is if they're got if they've got their hands on Google and Facebook. Like those two things together accomplishes this for most people. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. I, I, I thought that I, there were three major database companies before Facebook and Google uh, for credit card companies. So every time you swipe a credit card, anything you purchased, you know, at the grocery store or wherever you went to buy something, they would save and they knew exactly if you bought butter, bread, milk, whatever. Um, I forget. I don't know the names off the top of my head. Have you ever heard of that? That there were some major data collection services. Oh, uh, um, were- it doesn't surprise me. I know, like, I, probably not what you're talking about, but I heard Target got in trouble for sending ads to people who they determined they, they were pregnant before they knew they were pregnant based on their buying habits. And they were yeah. able, you know, to use machine learning and AI to basically preempt even before they, fe- like, to, you know, it's all subliminals, right? Like, below the conscious perception yes yeah. perceivable someone doesn't eat pickles but then all of a sudden they start eating pickles then it's like oh well and you're a female and you're young and and you have a we know you have a boyfriend or fiance so therefore you're pregnant right yeah you know they come up, to, up with that conclusion no but there were there were two or three uh data collection services prior to the basically the internet you know uh, because we've been using credit cards since I would say the mid seventies, um, early seventies is when MasterCard and Visa came out. <clears throat> so, um, and yeah, so they were doing this the whole time, you know, and it was geared towards collecting that data, selling it to advertisers. 
and and so on. You know, uh, it's interesting. You did an interview, or you were doing an, an expose on something, and you mentioned this guy that claims to have invented email. Yeah, Dr. And Shiva. Said, okay. Do you happen to know when he claimed he invented email, or do you know when email was invented? Uh, apparently, it had to do with ARPANET, so like real early internet. Let, uh, let me see. Dr. Shiva invented email. Um, they say it's widely disputed claim that he is the inventor of the internet, but this is Google, right? And I don't think they like this guy very much. Um, does it give it a does it give it a year? Yeah, it says his claim is based on the software he wrote as a 14 year old student in New Jersey in 1979. Some sources say 78. He wrote an implementation of an inner office email system, which he named email. Okay. So I don't even know I, if it's like the same protocol they're actually using. And of course, it's not like no one can say they invented the the internet. That's like saying you invented the highways. Right. No, I just thought it was curious because he looked about my age, right? Uh, in his mid to late 50s. Well, hey, and check this out. Oh, go ahead. I wanted to say something else when, I, when you're done with this one. As a 17, 18-year-old, I managed this this uh, this health club that was attached to a hotel. Uh, I, you might have heard of it, the Charlie Club, because you're from Austin, Texas. They had one down there, too. Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. Charlie I, I, Club. I don't know the, the full details of it. He opened these 24-hour health clubs because he was a fitness nut, but he always attached them to, like, a Best Western or some type of hotel chain. So you'd have a hotel and a 24-hour fitness club. Anyway, I, I was a young manager just getting out of high school. And all of a sudden, you know, he put in the system and we were emailing each other because he was from Texas and I was manage, managing the Chicago location. And I thought, wow, I can communicate with him through the computer. Now, this was a DOS system, right? A DOS system. So, uh, but I thought it was unusual that we could have these conversations and it would take, fair, you know, like 30 seconds for our communications to get back and forth. Uh, but back then I knew it was email. But I think most people today, they don't think email was invented until actually the Internet itself was introduced to the wide public. Um, when? Back in 97, I think? Uh, I know that's probably when it was becoming widely popular. I would say before then, but you could be uh, right. American Line? When did they launch? I think it was 97, 96 or 7. Yeah, right, right around there, I think, if I had to oh, guess. Wait. Maybe earlier. I don't know. It doesn't matter, really. Uh, go ahead, though. So, no, anyway, I just thought that was kind of, uh, we were talking about, what, email and the guy, uh, Dr. Shiva and stuff like that. I just thought it was interesting. I, I, well, uh, I that is interesting. Let me, let me add to that, because have you ever heard of this document, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars? No. Oh, it's a fascinating read. Some people say it's a hoax. Um, it was allegedly pulled off of an IBM copier from an estate sale, um, possibly... Well, they say here it was a doctrine adapted by or adopted a doctrine adopted by the policy committee of the Bilderberg Group during its first known meeting in 1954. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it's a very interesting document regardless. And it talks about the need for silent weapons to to basically engage to try to conquer people without them even knowing. And uh, it kind of ties in with Sung Zhu, who said. For, for to win 100 victories and 100 battles is not the acme of skill. To subdue the enemy without fighting is the acme of skill. And this document is very interesting because it talks basically about um, 
well, about a number of things, but it almost seems to be talking about the internet and how it could be used um, as a silent weapon, one that doesn't go bang, but still you know, has big effects on the people. And it, it has a couple of interesting lines in here. I'll read them real quick. It says here, the public cannot comprehend this weapon and therefore cannot believe they are being attacked and subdued by a weapon. The public might instinctually feel that something is wrong, but that is because of the technical nature of the silent weapon. They cannot express their feeling in a rational way or handle the problem with intelligence. Therefore, they do not know how to cry for help and do not know how to associate with others to defend themselves against it. And then at the bottom of the document, it talks about, um, there's a section here. Let's see if there's a broader section. Short lists of inputs. See if there's anything, scroll up a little bit. See, um, Introduction to economic amplifiers, economic engineering. It's a scary term. Um, if a person is spoken to by a TV advertiser as if he was a 12-year-old, then due to suggestibility, yeah. he will, with a certain probability, respond or react to that suggestion with the uncritical response of a 12-year-old. Okay, I never heard of yeah. that part. But um, what I wanted to read here is the in, what they call available input signals, uh, which are very interesting. It says, general sources of information, telephone taps, analysis of garbage, surveillance, behavior of children in school, um, telephone calls... Friends and associates, memberships and organizations, political affiliation. Then it says the person, personal paper trail, personal buying habits, personal consumer preferences. This is what I, why I brought it up because you mentioned about like the data collectors and, and MasterCard and, De and Visa and stuff. So it says yeah. here checking accounts, credit card purchases, um, universal product codes being, being uh, tracked, uh, assets like bank accounts, real estate, businesses automobiles, safety deposits at banks, stock market, uh, their creditors, enemies, loans, welfare they're on, social security. Uh, yeah, it, right I, there, personal paper trail. Right. That's what they were doing as a bulk collection prior to the internet. Well, prior to the internet being becoming popular with AOL. And now it's on steroids, right? It was basic information. Right. Because you, you sign up for a checking account, you sign up for savings. They know your real estate based on the rec, you know, county records. So they were kind of putting all this stuff together uh, in your file. Right. Anything attached to your name. Right. Like a profile. And exactly. Yep. Yep. That's what they were doing with the credit cards. So it mentions credit cards, loans, uh, things like that. And that goes way back. I mean, uh, lots of governments have done this and, and they do it to pretty much the extent possible at the time, given the technologies. But um, like well, the they want to know. Did yeah, it. they want to know everything about every every legal citizen. You know what right. I mean? They like, want to be om omnipotent. Your Social Security number when you're you know given a Social Security number, at basically birth, uh, you're one of their subjects mm -hmm. and they want to know everything about that piece of cattle you know it's like it's like marking what are they when they burn uh branding branding you know yeah so yeah and, and, and so, uh, that that also like okay it's not just about collection it's also how to when and how do they act upon the knowledge right that's the second half of the equation and uh, also and how do they brainwash you into the desired or steer you like you said into the desired uh worldviews into yeah, into the desired pen that they want you to to, to move yeah, towards. Yeah, you, know, you think about yeah, like sheepdogs, you know, moving sheep around. Um, 
and and the, this paper's dated what 1979, right? And that's when Apple and IBM were really ramping up uh, in 1980, 81, and 82 with their computer systems, personal PC computer systems. Yep. To bring them into people's homes. So I think that's interesting too. Yeah. Very. See how it's evolved. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if this is a real document or not. It's super interesting though, and if it's a hoax, it's like. It's a good hoax. I mean, it's it's interesting and it makes people think in a good way, I think. Um but it, there it, goes it is, in, IBM copier that had been purchased. Yep. At uh and they say like I guess they left it on the tray or something, or maybe in the cash or something. I don't know how they got it out of it, but it seems like a big mess up if that actually is the case. But they talk about how economics is uh, an example of a natural energy system, but there's really all these natural or there's all these energy systems and they all operate in the same way and they talk about Rothschild and how he made credit or how he made what's a good term currency liquid and then tightened it and then basically was able to uh make or countries make foolish decisions just because they had to because they didn't have any money and then he owned them essentially and they got central banks in it's just like oh my god it's a rabbit hole you don't i mean <laughs> you yeah, want to read that, uh, if 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 you're bored tomorrow or something, you should read this document. I'll leave it in the uh Discord uh chat. Yeah, le- leave it in Discord. Cuz I would sure. be interesting cuz I know you've got a good uh financial mind. Uh I can tell. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to well, see the, the, if if this holds any weight from somebody who's an expert in the field. I mean, just from your review, maybe, you know, even from a novice perspective, but as a researcher, I think you just the bullet points you've spoken about are validated on my end. So, uh, I mean, already everything, I, I don't see anything so far that can be uh, disproved, right? Right. It's, um, it's a fascinating document. And at the even if it's made up, it's like a good, an interesting well, way to look at they, it. They, they create they it. And that's why Rothschild and, and uh, J.P. Morgan, um, you know, they had, uh, did you ever read the book, uh, Jekyll Island creature from uh I haven't read it but uh that's G Edward Griffin right Yeah so I've heard if I've heard him speak on on the subject but I haven't actually read the book have you No I haven't read the book uh but I you know we know what happened on on Jekyll's Jekyll's Island they basically exactly. set up the uh Federal Reserve which is a communist right. pillar to set up central banks inside of a country Exactly. So the preface is basically to control the money supply, right? And right. they say when you control the money supply, you don't care really who makes the laws. Right. They're upstream. Your whole, your whole economy or your whole people are running based on trade and, and money. So And isn't and, it interesting? We never hear anybody in politics talk about it. Uh, well. Minus Paul, uh, Ron Paul. Ron, Ron Paul, right? And yeah. uh, Rand Paul. Well, so, Rand is, yeah, but, isn't as good as his dad, in my opinion. But no, no, he's not. But maybe he learned from his dad that he can't push back so much, you know. But yeah, who who knows? But at least he was probably, yeah. Ron Paul was the uh, the one and only really trying to push back on it, you know. And like Kennedy too, try before he was assassinated, giving it that speech, warning the American people about the uh, military-industrial complex and the secret powers that be. I used right. to really like that speech. I used to really like Kennedy's um 
we choose to go to the moon in this decade and other things, not because they're easy, but because they're hard. Um, yeah. I went to school where he gave that speech, and I've since gotten kicked out, uh, threatened with arrest right. if I ever go back. And I think they're full of shit. That I think uh, all those space fakers are you know, not my favorite people. But um, what was I going to say? Oh, the Kennedy speech about the secret societies. You know, the, most people hear a very edited version of his speech that makes it sound yeah. like he's like the the – you know, some conspiracy theorist trying to red pill the world, but he's really giving a speech to some newspaper, like a, a room full of newspaper men and women. And uh, yeah. he's basically telling them like, don't, don't give away any national secrets because there's all these uh, communists, you know, who, and that I think is what he was talking about. I think he was talking about Russia and um, they were the monolithic conspiracy that was being discussed. Um and then he's saying, you know, secrecy, no one likes secrecy, but I, I need you to be secret because loose lips sink ships kind of thing. So that's my interpretation of it. Uh, I, I encourage people to watch the whole speech. Maybe I interpreted it wrong, but I, I you know, I've, I've heard like the edited pieces of it when taken out of context sound really good. And maybe it's good for people to hear those and think, you know, you know, get excited well, make, and rally. Make, but yeah, make up their own mind. Right. On what he said. I yeah. Mean, the yeah. speech is out there. They can listen to the whole speech. But uh, I, I just think it was interesting that he kind of touched on those those things that people wouldn't really know about or understand. And this document that you're you're showing us on the screen, mm -hmm. um, oh boy, I lost my train of thought on it. Well, let me let me say something about it, and then I'm sure it'll come back to you. But it basically, one thing I thought that was interesting. Um, here it says the a national economy consists of simultaneous flows of production, distribution, consumption, and investment. If all of these elements, including labor and human functions, are assigned a numerical value in, un in like units of measure, um, and then it talks about flow between them, and it, it basically talks about like any, and I wish I could find this section. Let me see any um, any improvements in understanding one energy system can be applied to another energy system, and uh, that's kind of what they're what they're talking about here, and. Uh, What's interesting is at the top, they talk about how you've been selected because of like pers like your personality traits and how you're able to objectively look at the world and and not be I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. Let me let me read some of this. Um, it is patently impossible to discuss social engineering or the automation of a society, i.e. the engineering of social automation systems, silent weapons on a national or worldwide scale without implying extensive objectives of social control and destruction of human life, i.e. slavery and genocide. This manual is in itself an analog declaration of intent. Such a writing must be secured from public scrutiny. Otherwise, it would be recognized as a technical formal declaration of domestic war. Furthermore, whenever any person or group of persons in a position of great power and, with, and without full knowledge of consent of the public uses such knowledge and methodologies, for economic conquest, it must be understood that a state of domestic warfare exists between said person or group of persons and the public. Uh, the, solu the solution of today's problems requires an approach which is ruthlessly candid, with no agonizing over religion, morals, or cultural values. You have qualified for this project because of your ability to look at human society with cold objectivity and yet analyze and discuss your observations and conclusions with others of similar, similar intellectual capacity without the loss of discretion or humility. Such virtues are exercised in your own best interest. Do not deviate from them. So, and then it yeah. talks about the historical introduction. But, I mean, some of this, like, makes me wonder if this is, like, a, a great, like, hoax. 
But no, you, you I think don't it's believe legit? it. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I'm like because right on the fence. I think I, I, like I want to say it's legit, but I also don't want to be played like a fool. And, and it's just like, why would they put this at the front? It just sounds like like if you're going to say you're declaring war on humanity and you're afraid of people because, finding out, why would you write it in black and white? Now, is this total? Is this related to the Bilderberg Group? Uh, Allegedly. The, okay, so this is a document that is sourced from the Builder Group. Bilderberg. Group. Well, that's what it says at the top, but I don't know. I'm sure they don't. They don't agree. They won't admit to it. But yeah, well, we, right. Admitting okay. that's a good point, though. Bilderberg is like. Like it says here, ruthlessly can't. Uh, what what was the term? Um, ruthless, well, well, was, cold objectivity. Um, yes. Basically, like it, it's like we talked about earlier. Know your audience, and it, yeah, ruthlessly candid. Um, no agonizing over religious, moral, or cultural values. I, I could see. Yeah, it, like throw, we know the building. Throw that crowd. out the door. Yeah. Just throw it out. I mean, you have to be cold and calculated, and not care. You have to be a psychopath, yeah, right? And it says, do not so, deviate from that. <laughs> and it's a secret society thing, all right? So, um, yeah, in a way, it's a secret society, right? And and I learned in psychology back in high school and, and beginning of college that you uh, treating people like 12 years old, talking to people like they're 12 years old, advertisers using these tactics as well, right? And I think that's why a lot of people like Trump is because he talks like a, you know, like an like a everyday idiot on the street kind of guy, you know, hey, you know, like uh, like walking by uh, construction workers that whistle at, you know, sexy women walking, you know, just that object that kind of like that rough, raw, I'm from Jersey, you're from Jersey type of attitude. Um, Affable, likable. Yeah. Well, yeah, that and, and just that uh, maybe. People think Trump's an idiot and maybe he's dumb, you know, and he talks like, you know, whatever. And I think that's why the masses like Trump, because they kind of talk at maybe I would say their level. You know what I mean? Not to say anyone's stupid or dumb, but um, we're not feeling talked down to like a lot of politicians typically do, you know, like a Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, whatever. So, right. Uh, yeah. Well, I know, I know from like, I th that's interesting. I, I never thought about like how, what, what you said there and what they said in this paper about talking to an adult, like they're a 12 year old and then them acting like it, you know, but, um, I, I did spend a lot of time with children growing up and I'd be like a couple years older and coaching them and swimming or babysit, babysit them or something. And, and I found that, uh, yeah, people just like to, and children just like to be treated like a human, just like you know, just genuinely and, and real and, and not talking down to or patronized. And um, so, yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, this whole yeah, document is fascinating. and It gets really complex, too. Like a lot of stuff, like a lot of intricate diagrams and stuff I don't fully understand. But um, like, let me read this next part real quick, unless you wanted to say something else. Uh, no, I let me read this because it looks interesting. It says historical introduction. Silent weapon technology has evolved from Operations Research, OR, which is something they do. I, I've been doing a lot of research, and I'm stepping out from this book here, but uh, I've been doing a lot of research into, like, Army PSYOPs and um, psychological warfare. I mean, there's, like, documents out from the Army about this, and uh, and there's also JTRIG documents that have been leaked. Have you ever heard of JTRIG? You guys have to look up... J oh, there he is. 
Have you heard of J Trig? Yeah, no, no, I haven't. Oh, heard you got to check it out. Uh, look up J Trig, uh, the Intercept or something. It, they just have a bunch of. Uh, it's basically a UK government agency which gets on the internet and tries to uh, convince people and, and basically influence people in a desired way. Um, and they, they use a bunch of crazy tactics and technologies and, and some of their manuals have been leaked and stuff, but, um, they, they, everything's like, like they'll talk about information operations, but call them IO and they talk about information environments and they call them IE. And, uh, then they'll just use these terms a lot. Like there's also this, uh, wish I had it in front of me. I think I do have it in my notes. Some, I know it's in my notes somewhere, but they had something. Okay. It's in my book. Um, I think it was. It was like one of these like predecessors to MK Ultra, and it talked about. Let me see. Was it Artichoke? No, it was a uh, Bluebird, 1950 CIA's Project Bluebird, and they have a document, which um, was retained yeah. from a FOIA request, where they land out where they laid out their plan, and they they said in here. I'll just read these out and then say why I brought it up. Can accurate information be obtained from willing or unwilling individuals? Can agency personnel or purchase or persons of interest to this agency be conditioned to prevent any outside power from obtaining influence uh, by any known means? Can we um, gain control of the future activities, physical and mental, of any given individual, willing or unwilling, by application of SI and H technologies. And it's like, they just use, they just drop these acronyms. And if you don't know what it is, it's very cryptic. And they never defined it in any of the other documents. So it's just proof that they didn't release everything. Because surely they, they defined these somewhere. And uh, the only, only uh, definitions or guesses that I've heard as to what those acronyms mean, subconscious isolation and hypnosis, which is a terrifying phrase. <laughs> subconscious isolation like what the hell does that mean uh sounds like some covid shit but so going back to here they talk about operations research a strategic and tactical methodology developed under wait yeah, wait pause so what you just said sounds to me like what facebook and twitter are doing right i mean there's reports now that uh kids and people who are addicted to these apps they're psycho they're um what's the word in trances maybe well that and in isolation because they're getting everything from their phone from their bedroom they don't need to go out and play anymore they don't right. need to go out pick up the phone and talk to their friends they don't uh go to the playground and meet you know with them mm -hmm. so they're they're restricted they they've been kind of um pulled back into not loneliness, but that's where they're getting their stuff from, is through that device, right? Whether it be uh, joy and pleasure and feel-good feelings, or if they're being bullied, or they don't like the way, you know, people say they don't like the way they look. Right, then or, they or knowledge, or how to, how to communicate, everything. All their signals are coming from the, their devices. And I watched, a, there was a documentary on, I think it was Netflix somewhere, about you know the, the social the, the dilemma. Like button, the social dilemma. Yeah, you know, heard, the, I haven't seen it, but I keep hearing about it. What what, what does it say about the like oh, button? Man, about, I've heard that. people talk yeah. about like the dopamine hits that people get well, from from that kind of stuff and how they hire 
uh, gambling experts to to you know make their software more addictive, and then of course they can use machine learning to to make their stuff more addictive too. Right. So they're machine learning. They're collecting that data on their end, but the consequence of uh, the like button or the dislike button to the person using it to the user can be very detrimental. Meaning, you know, one day they're popular, they have a lot of followers or subs, and then the next day you know, someone's uh, picking on them and then all of a sudden now that they're not liked, you know, they've been unfriended, they've been, you know, the, the, the down button, whatever it is. See, I don't use it, so I don't Yeah, I mean, just, just the like to dislike ratio can make, or, or how much people interact with their tweet, I mean, will we'll steer somebody into thinking, okay, I'm going to be more like this more popular form of myself, you know. And, right, and that or can be, you can, that can fall be... into depression. Yes, yes, but I mean that can be infiltrated. That can not be uh, weaponized, right? Like all Google has to do is spread your stuff farther to more people when you say something they like, because then you'll be getting those reinforcements. And especially with children and stuff, when they're first getting started, you know, what can you get more thumbs up on? If if someone makes like a SJW tweet and stuff, and, and Google can get them a bunch of thumbs up, how you know, however they do it, um, that will you know be a positive reinforcement that makes them want to do it again and get that that hit again yeah exactly which means that maybe they're not being themselves anymore maybe they're conforming they're dressing different they're maybe putting on different makeup you know yeah, when they yeah. shouldn't be you have know you ever heard, maybe they're sexu- you, maybe they're sexualizing themselves you know trying any, to be anything, more sexy they can do anything to the to the people once they have these mechanisms but have you ever heard of the ash conformity experiment uh no i'm going in and out here uh no Okay, uh, people should look this up. It's a great proof that, um, well, I, I, I don't know if we can fully trust the data, but I think it's been replicated. It's pretty much uh, like one of the best proofs that people conform to the group. And what they did is they'd get a bunch of what they call confederates, which are just the people that are like on the side of the experimenters that act, that are basically actors, but they're, they're on this, you know, they're working with the, the uh, what's it called? The experimenters, and so they they'll have a situation. They'll have a room full of people, and they'll ask them a simple question like, "Okay, here's one line segment. Tell me over here what's an equal line segment, A, B, or C." And without any other influence, people get it right like 99% of the time. But when when they have these uh, confederates say all say the wrong answer, then they get to the real person and they ask them, "What do you think?" They would get it wrong like a remarkable amount of time they would go with the go with the crowd right and uh, then they'd also do variations where the person would write it down versus saying it aloud and that would reduce the conformity a little bit but the, the fact that people are like making public statements in front of the group a lot of times they just go along to get along or n- not want to be seen as dumb you know the emperor's new clothes effect and uh I, I i imagine that that has to be happening online right because people are making public statements around other people and they see how other people are acting and they conform to it. But there's just a great quote this guy Ash said here uh, that well, or excuse me, that intelligent, well-meaning young people are willing to call white black as a matter of concern. So I, I just like to bring that up when people talk about how people have a tendency to conform. Just, you know, there's scientific yeah. experiments that prove that. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's huge. And I think that's what's happening uh now as a result of people being addicted to these to these programs and these apps i mean it could very well explain 
how we got to the point we are in our political system, you know, and how well divided we are because of people's base or core belief, whether let's say you're a Democrat or Republican, right? That's your core. That's your foundation. Maybe that's where you start. But then the media starts to uh, manage and then micromanage and then super micromanage the messages that you hear on those uh, e either to reinforce your party or to uh, have you maybe make you have more disdain for the other party. Right. You know what I mean? And I, I have so, this interesting book here uh, called Ethics in Crime and Justice. So, uh, you know, I, I think morality is a very tricky thing. And, and a lot of times we just accept the morality with, we're presented with. And there's an interesting part in this book, um, Learning Theory and Behavioralism. So it, it, it kind of goes through different uh, different explanations of how morality can be defined. And they talk here about how learning theorists look at morality. And uh, they say here that learning can take place through modeling or by reinforcement. And so modeling is like when you're watching the television and you're trying to see how to act, right? And you 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 basically, or like the movies and stuff. And, and like when I was a kid, I used to want to watch all the movies. Uh, so I, I was better at interacting with people and that I'd have things to talk about and no one would ever bring up a movie or television show that I hadn't heard about. I could carry my own. Looking back, it was a total waste of time and just a huge propaganda you know, weight on my shoulders that I should have never subjected myself to. But what I wanted to bring up is there's the reinforcement part. And that's what the like buttons can really do to people or the, the comments and stuff. That's, that's going to be positive or negative reinforcement. Yeah. My, my example as a kid was, uh, well, two examples, but the first one is, you know, you've played dodgeball, right? Dodgeball yeah. or, or, you know, baseball in gym class. So you never wanted to be that, that last kid picked. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, right. That's embarrassing. Right. You know, like and you're the worst. True. You're the last one. Yeah. Why doesn't anyone want me? You know, right. Uh, maybe that's why my parents aren't nice to me or wait. Maybe that's why my sister doesn't want to hang around me. You know what I mean? So it could it could add it to each other. So what do you do as a kid when you're picked last? Well, you, you probably go home, you evaluate in your head. You don't realize you're doing this, but you're probably thinking, oh, my gosh. How can I maybe become a little bit more popular or, you know, right. uh, maybe befriend somebody that got picked in the middle. So then next time I'll be picked in the middle, you know. And then uh, uh, my second one was, uh, what were we talking about? Well, let me add to that doing? while you think of it. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think, is interesting here. I think it's an imperfect model of why people act, but it does, you know, hit on some key points. And that is, you know, we have philosophical needs, air, water, food, shelter, et cetera sleep and then as you move up though then there's safety needs you know personal security employment resources health and then after that though love and belonging friendship uh intimacy family sense of connection so there's all these drives in humans and um that is another one that you know people that ha that swells up in people they want to be uh loved and, and have a sense of belonging and after that uh esteem respect self-esteem status recognition um, yeah. So I think that this is really important. And it also reminds me of that, you know, the I'm sure everyone's heard of it, that classic Beatles song, All You Need Is Love, right? I yeah. always think about this this hierarchy here. It's like, okay, what does that mean? All you need is love. And why does that resonate with so many people? Well, maybe it's because most people have physiological needs checked off, safety needs checked off, but a lot of people are lonely and, and you know, so disconnected from everything. 
Absolutely. You could have all, you could have everything in the world, but if you don't have that last component of feeling loved, uh, what does it all mean? You know, are you still sad? Are you still lonely? Are you still isolated? Uh, the second um, thing I was thinking about uh, in relation to that was I never wanted to miss uh, parties like in high school. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if there was a party on Friday or Saturday night, in my brain, I never wanted to miss a Friday or Saturday night because I, the, now the reason is, one, they're fun to go to and you're meeting up with your friends and, you know, getting away from home. But two, I didn't want, I couldn't, in my head, I couldn't fathom uh, not being there and finding someone else talking about me when I'm not there. Isn't that weird? Like, or like, or, or the feeling of like not knowing what, what's going on or what's happening, right? Right, right. And maybe uh, filling in just the blanks. A side note, and, but yeah. Yeah, it's a silly and it's, it's a stupid, um, you know, false nomer, but it, it's just that's what was in my head as a kid was like, I, I, I have to be there. Otherwise, I don't know. I'm not in the know. I don't know what's going on, right? So, um, but if I'm there, then I know, and I can also control kind of the situation, whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, very strange what we do as kids and as children. Right. And how much of that is natural and how much of that is put into us, you know, and, and, uh, I don't know, I don't know. And, uh, it's definitely a part of the human psyche one way or the other. And, and there are people who understand the human psyche a lot better than others and a lot better than I do, for instance. And then there's people who know, understand it a lot less than I do and are probably just, you know, really susceptible to a lot of these tactics. Here, let me read this part yeah, from this book. It's fascinating. Yeah, uh, it says here, social engineering, the analysis and automation of a society, requires the correlation of great amounts of constantly changing economic information, a.k.a. data. So a high-speed computerized data processing system was necessary, which could race ahead of the society and predict when society would arrive for capitulation. Relay computers were too slow, but the electronic computer invented in 1946 by J. Presper Eckert and John W. Mockley filled the bill. Fill, excuse me, filled the bill. Uh, the next breakthrough was the development of the, the simplex method of linear programming in 1947 by the mathematician Danzig. Then, in 1947, the transistor um, promised great expansion of the computer field by reducing space and power requirements. With these three inventions under their direction, those in power of uh, those in positions of power strongly suspected that it was possible for them to control the whole world with the push of a button. Isn't that, isn't that like spot on what's happening? Now Google can just add to their list of like desired outcomes and the this, this system will just churn through all the data and just all the impressions and the uh, interactions that people, you know, did with their software, with all the user generated content, what it, what it led them to do in the future, how it changed and, and morphed them. Um, they can weaponize all that and then just put in on it with a push of a button, uh, you know, new topics and, and which way to steer people. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing it happen right now with YouTube and I don't know, I don't use Facebook and Twitter, but, but with, I know with YouTube, uh, you know, if I'm watching uh, mostly whatever political Republican ads, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to show me more people who commentate on that, uh, you know, typically, or if I'm interested in cars, you know, uh, it's going to show me 
hey, you watch this, you know, the suggestion box, like, right. hey, you watch this channel and this channel that, that watch car, you know, shows. So maybe you'll be interested in these people that produce car, you know. Content. Right. It gives you some recommendations. Yeah. So, I mean, and we're not even at full AI yet. I mean, and, can you and, imagine what it's going to look right. like when it's steroids? Now, here's the other thing, though, is uh, people understand that they're getting recommendations and they're like, oh, these are somewhat, you know, I can see why they gave me these recommendations. I like watching car videos and, you know, but little do they know that um, maybe that car video is more insidious. Maybe they're like, hey, you know, we know your your weakness is car videos. Here's some propaganda for you, or here's one of our, our agents that we really want you to start following, and here's a video you're well, going to love, you know? <laughs> well, here's a car guy, but he's a Democrat, so, you know, like, you don't right. know it, but, you know, maybe subliminally he says things or does things, that, and then now the next video is someone who's a little stronger Democrat. Right. And then maybe they're steering this car guy who used to be a Republican to now a car guy that says... Hey, maybe I should be a Democrat, you know. Exactly. So, and it's all it's all very very slow and, and gradual and insidious. And I liken it to a chess computer. And I always make this example. People are probably sick of it, but you can go to chess.com, you can play a computer. I recommend jacking it all the way up to level twenty five and just play around for a little bit and it's very quick. Uh you'll realize that the computer is better at us and it's better at making the best moves and it, it can crunch all these numbers and and I liken that to the algorithms that they can make, and I think they already have made at companies like YouTube. But instead of alternating turns between the human and the computer, it's more like the computer just gets to make all these moves, recommend all these videos for whatever reason. You know, here's the 20 videos that we, you know, and, and it's it's really deceptive because you might think you you understand what's going on, but it's just operating 10 moves ahead of you, right? It's got like the whole thing planned well, yeah. out. Right. They, they, they anticipate what you're going to do. Yeah. Right. So you're not reacting to them, but well, maybe you are, but they actually kind of know when they make their move, they probably already know what you, move you're going to make. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And but, there's other ways they could do it. Think, think about this. If uh, this is just an example, but on the home page, if they give you 20 awful suggestions and one decent suggestion or one really good one, they probably know that they can drive you to click on it. Like there's so much that the computer can, can steer us with that. I don't think people even really consider, or maybe they just don't think it's been um, rolled out yet. Maybe they're right about that. Maybe it's being rolled out, but I, I'm just very, very hesitant or um, I, I think their algorithms are very creepy and they can be weaponized to do near anything. And especially well, as the technology gets better and the math gets better. Well, like the Bilderberg document we've been reviewing, it's uh, kind of the same concept. And what what uh, Snowden kind of um, revealed about government uh, data collection and stuff yep. like that, like it's all happening behind the scenes. We don't, we're not privileged enough to know about it because we're all the dumb 12 year olds and the people who are involved with, let's say, Bilderberg, they're the higher ups. They're the ones that are more sophisticated. They think that we're a bunch of, um, you know, uh, idiots and sheeple and uh, that we need to be controlled. We need to be handled and we need to be um, steered, mm -hmm. I think, through, uh, a paragraph in there, to where they want us to go and how they want us to act and how they want us to. So, uh, you know, so the illusion of control, but we don't, we're not really in control. And I don't, right. and, and that's, 
you know, another thing too is sports. I think there's been an argument in the past that, you know, sports is on TV to really keep us occupied and keep us dumbed down. Um, you know, uh, and the elements of sports, there's, there's two teams, right? So now you have two fractions. Tribalism. Tribalism. Uh, so you're rooting for one or the other. You want the other to lose the other, you know, the other side. Yeah. The other side of the stadium is your enemy. Um, you know, all of that. So which quickly transfers to, to geopolitics, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's, that's fascinating. And, um, what, there's a great line by Orwell, I think in, um, animal farm Orwell, uh, something about gambling and sports. Let me see if I can find it. Um, yeah, here we go. This is George Orwell quote, uh, films, football, beer, and above all gambling filled up the horizon of their minds to keep them in control was not difficult or yeah, to keep them in control was not difficult. So, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And films is a huge thing. Like I, I think about it now, like people go into these movie theaters that they used to in the old normal. Um, and they, they would just fill up their entire visual, uh, what's a good term, uh, perceptive field or whatever the phrase is, their entire view. I can't even think of a good term, but let's just say their entire view, their visible. I mean, basically the, the screen fills up your whole view and then you have the speakers all around you. So you have sound and vision just, uh, or sound and, and, uh, visuals just bombarding you and every little thing is like controlled frame by frame and every little sound is in there for whatever reason. And yeah, they can create like amazing masterpieces of just like really powerful, uplifting, empowering stuff. But what do they really end up doing? I think most of the time it's, it's propaganda and showing people what to think and showing people what to feel. Yeah. And get people chasing emotions that they can later (laughs) harvest for like when they're running political ads or something. uh, I was just looking at the screen. Don't move it. Um, That last sentence uh, it starts with the creation of the master in 1954. Hmm. The the Mazer. Wait. The Mazer, I think, is a, um, let's see, a device that... Oh, the Mazer. That is interesting, though. Uh, let's look this up. Uh, the, a Mazer is a device that produces coherent electromagnetic waves through amplification. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, so and then so let's read on. I want to read on to the end here. It's uh, the promise of unlocking unlimited sources of fusion atomic energy from the heavy hydrogen in seawater and the consequent availability of unlimited social power was a possibility only decades away. Wow. So there's a couple of key things in there that they're I think referring to and it's uh, fusion atomic energy from heavy Heavy hydrogen and seawater. Basically, well, like they have free energy almost, potentially. And remember the hydrogen cars Bush wanted to introduce to society? Which Bush? Where, uh, I think it was Bush Jr. Okay. Uh, you I know, heard, when you're I, looking all at I heard electric, about hydrogen cars electric, is there was like an, an inventor or something that was like, hey, I found a car that can run on hydrogen. And then like he dies or something in the, the big, big oil like or big automobile like covers them up or something i don't know if that's true though yeah i don't know about that but i'm just saying if we had a hydrogen car the uh output of uh the emission output would be water right it wouldn't be co2 
So that's that's why they were looking into that. But the the last line, availability of un, the fact that they just referenced that that hydrogen is an unlimited, uh, you know, energy source available from unlimited social power. Right. So the application the of reference... energy into social power. That's fascinating. And I think that's uh, where we're at today is unlimited social power. Yep. All they have to do is keep all these machines plugged in, all these servers churning away. That's right. I mean, do you know one thing I, I like to think about crypto is how much time like a big corporation like Google has, especially Google. Like they have, let's say, let's say three to five million servers and hundreds of thousands of employees. And then all of the users who are just giving them user generated content to profit off of. So if you add up all those factors and you just look at, say, an hour and compare it to one of us. So you and I both have an hour to spend with each of our hours if we're not asleep or something, right? And But Google, they have like a million years per hour or something. I, I don't know the exact numbers. Maybe that's a bit excessive. But basically, there's like huge differences in like what an hour means to Google versus an hour to us. Right, because they've collected it all. Right. right. A million, you know, how many millions of people are in the world or, you know, what is it? Millions or billions? Seven billion, I think. All right. So seven billion people a minute. Right. right. If yep. they're if we're all on the Internet at the same time, seven billion people per minute. So that's seven billion minutes per minute <laughs> or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Everyone just pouring their energy into their the uh, Google Empire, and and it's free, you know, right. more or less. Giving, they give, they pay out social, a little bit here and there, but it's pennies on the dollar. Our social habits, our social identity, our social speak, our social theories, our you know everything, uh, and then that they could probably come up with kind of like this psychological prediction pattern, uh, you know, based on people's ages and, uh, you know, male, female, whatever. It, yeah, I can't even, it's making making my brain go crazy. You got more <laughs> stuff in there? Yeah, check this out. This, this quote is kind of creepy. Um, well, I'll read a little into it and then we'll skip to the creepy quote. Uh, Energy is recognized as the key to all activity on Earth. Uh, and then it skips, it goes into a little bit more depth. Uh, it says, therefore, mathematics is the primary energy science. Um, and then it says, all science is merely a means to an end. The mean, the means is knowledge. The end is control. Beyond this remains only one issue. Who will be the beneficiary? It's just like that. Knowledge, <laughs> knowledge and control are right. the key words. Right. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? Yeah. And they're, and they're hitting on social science. Right social psychology my god it's it's an amazing document and this if, if if this is real think about like what are they talking about now like and that's another thing you mentioned us being 12 year olds in comparison to what they're they're in oh. like imagine once you get initiated into this group like the libraries of knowledge that you get access to and these... read the last line of that first paragraph and the bookkeeper can be king if the public can be kept ignorant <laughs> Of the methodology of the bookkeeping. Wow. And what do they call him bookkeeping here? Um, uh, they say natural science is the study of sources and control of natural energy. 
and social science theoretically expressed as economics is the study of the sources and control of social energy. So they talk about natural energy and social energy. They say both are bookkeeping systems, mathematics. And then they talk about how you can be the king if you're the bookkeeper, if the public can be kept ignorant of the methodology of the bookkeeping. Wow. So if the public doesn't understand social science, if the public doesn't understand natural science, then the people who do can rule over them uh, by by weaponizing those things. And uh, that's what they do, and I call it the privatization of knowledge. So there's there's useful knowledge that exists, and it's kind of separate from humans, in my opinion. Humans can try to understand it and write it down and stuff, but uh, more more and more over time, that knowledge gets privatized, and I think ideally to them, if they can obfuscate the uh, information environment by injecting and um, diluting it with just massive amounts of lies and deceit, right? They were, they steal the real knowledge and they replace it with confusory lies. And uh, Do you think our government is an archaic system? And that perhaps, because you remember um, all the social media guys were in front of, uh, was it Congress or the Senate? They had to uh, testify because of the last election, right? Zuckerberg, uh, and the other guys. Are you talking about the one just like a few weeks ago? Well, a few weeks ago, but prior to that, after the last election, you know how they were saying Russian influence and all that. But yeah, how how they're being uh, brought in front of our officials and they're they're testifying towards, well, how can this happen? How can we allow people to do, what are they accusing them of? Like fake, uh, false, fake news and fake propaganda right right and all these guys are basically kind of saying okay well i guess it could happen but so that's why we're going to put these limitations on and that's why we're going to shadow ban and uh that's why we're going to uh you know put out truth uh truth teller alerts um do you think that maybe we're moving towards a social media governance i do i think um I've heard it said before, I didn't come up with this, but it seems like, you know, Google terms of services are almost more important than laws and edicts from governments. And uh, Google's sitting on a lot more cash than the U.S. government is, although they, uh, the U.S. government has a sweetheart deal with the Federal Reserve, you know, as to be the strong arm, I guess. But So maybe Google, maybe the media companies or social media companies can say the same things the central banks did. Uh, I care not who makes the laws. As long as I can control, control the information. information. Exactly. Well, yeah. Yeah. Spot the on. Social, the social information. Right. The, fl- the, fr- the flow of information and what people yeah. believe. Right. And what people can, can get out into the open. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if they did this intentionally, but I do kind of think that uh, COVID is in, in some ways. <laughs> I got to be careful how I word this. Uh, it's not exactly what I think, but it's gonna, what I'm going to say on YouTube right now. Um, in some ways, that it may be a, a, a parable for how do we stop the spread of dissident information or inconvenient truths from going viral in an age where anyone can say anything online and anyone can retweet it and it can make its way to other nodes in the network who might have a bigger voice and can get it out to more and more things, more and more people. Um, and they're, they're saying, okay, how do we stop that from spreading? Well, we can uh, quarantine it if it comes up. We can uh, yeah. force people to be distant and isolate people. Uh, and there's a great 
telling slide that uh, the Quill monster over in New York was showing where he had three columns and it talked about, like, okay, depending on the infection rate, what'll happen? And the first one showed like uh, somebody and then nobody getting infected and the virus dies off. And then the second one shows one person infecting exactly one person and then it just kind of keeps going linearly. And then the other one shows one person infecting on average two people. And then that's when you have a pandemic and or an infodemic, as the World Health Organization calls it, in, in terms of uh, inconvenient truths. So, uh, yeah. And there's other things they can do, too. Like, uh, I, I think I already said quarantine or isolation, but uh, shoot, I'm trying to think of what else we could co- compare between muzzle or mask. Oh yes, muzzle people, the censorship. Thank you, thank you. That's a good one. So, the, so what I'm saying is, they're doing it to us as real human beings. They could also be doing it from a social engineering aspect, putting muzzles and masks on people that they don't want spoken out there. Right, right. So all the people that have been shadow banned, all the people that have been taken down, all of the people that uh, they just erased the threads. That's a, a muzzle or a mask. And they're also talking right. about how they're almost like trying to make it criminal for people to spread a virus, right? They're, they're saying like, well, you know, you're yeah. a bioterrorist if you go out without a mask because you might be carrying the virus asymptomatically and you can spread it to other people and it's harmful. So you have tort right. law involved. And now they're talking about online harms where just, yeah. you know, giving someone the wrong piece of information. Like they've even used COVID as an example in this UK online harms legislation initiative they have. And uh, it's cr- have you heard of the online harms stuff they're talking about yeah. in the UK? That's terrifying yeah. to me. R- ridiculous. Yeah, like an, a UK internet regulator forcing terms of service on people and being able to jail and fine tech CEOs. Like it sounds yeah. good though to people because they – it's weird. People hate the, the major tech companies so much right now, at least on the right, that they're, they're looking for – they're looking for someone to come and like – and hit them. You know, they want like section 230 to be pulled away or something. They think that's the answer. That's what they've been told is the answer. And uh I think that this this is going to be weaponized. It's the Hegelian dialectic, the problem reaction solution. People are so upset and demanding action, but that action might actually be what they wanted to do all along. And, well, it's uh, a great tribunal. I mean, the people, the people, the citizens love to use it. It's a great information age. Uh the government doesn't know how to control it. Um, and the social media companies themselves are in it for themselves, right? They're, they're, you know, just like the central banks. I mean, they have all the information and government is almost like dependent on them. So if the government wants information, they have to go to the social companies and request, you know, or subpoena or whatever to get the information that they want in order to do criminal referrals or whatever it is. But now that they've gotten caught up in this, um, the uh, political landscape where we have elections and now the government feels, hey, they're affecting us now, so we better do something about it. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of like a, a third leg on a three-legged stool. Government's not equal to the social media company. Right. So I think government's probably saying, hey, are we losing our place in line here? And how do, how, how do we go about either gaining our control back or learning how to suppress 
or put rules and regulations on a comp- these type of companies. And that's something that's that absolutely terrifies me. And Joe Biden has been using this uh, phrase duty of care, which if you look throughout history, duty of care is a way that um, governments can basically force, you know, professionals like, uh, for example, that one of the major ones is psychiatrists. They can say, oh, you have a duty of care. This, these are the, the level, this is the level of care you must provide, which sounds good, right? Until you realize that they can basically weaponize the authority that those people have. And since, you know, authority is like a, a currency in this world, the way it's set up, um, that's very powerful for the government to be able to say, okay, psychiatrist, you have to diagnose these people with sluggish schizophrenia, even though they're more elegant than you and more intelligent, uh, because they're not going along with the the cult. So your job is you have to, you know, send them off to the asylums or you know give them quote unquote treatment, um, or we'll 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 uh, take away your license or throw you in jail. So you know, it's strong arming, and, and we're hearing that term come back now with the. Uh, with this online harms regulation in the UK, they, they want to impose a duty of care onto tech companies to censor. And uh, also like all sorts of things like give users a way to flag information and to actually follow up and take stuff down and to, to sync up with like global databases of banned material that they call like uh, drivers of terrorism. But that's probably going to become more and more broad so that they can just put whatever they want or whoever they want on this list of un- undesirables that must be excluded from all websites. But who's ultimately going to win? You know, that's the question. Are the tech companies going to resist and basically not comply? It seems like they're doing a pretty good job right now. I mean, maybe they're they're doing a bunch of this suppression stuff um, to keep the government happy, but on the back end, they're still collecting all the data. Right. So, yeah. Are you the one that had the uh, image on on the stream with the big hand up in the left hand corner with a leash going down to a citizen with a mask? And then (laughs) no, I think that was like the the economist or something. And oh, okay. And the citizen with the mask, right? um, But a lot of a lot of people have been showing that on on like truther type channels. But yeah, I've seen it. I I, it it makes me so sick to look at it. Yeah, I hate that kind of uh, that kind of stuff. So I don't like it to show that It should be the opposite. Imagery. It should be the people up there with the leash down on the to the government. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, there's that great expression. Tyranny is when the people are afraid of the government. Liberty is when the government is afraid of the people. Right. But what I'm thinking is it might be social media is up there as the big hand with the leash onto the government and the government with the leash onto us. Yeah, then, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of hands and leashes. You got like the CIA and these um these government operations like DARPA, which may have even spawned these social companies, in which case they probably still have some control or tie-ins to it. So I wish I knew exactly how it was all structured, but I kind of get the feeling that they, they're all on the same team and they're working together and they're trying to create this illusion, uh, this veneer of being separate fronts, but it's really a unified front, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think we're at a time uh, where you mentioned before industrial age, and and, and you, I think you mentioned it was the second industrial age. The fourth. I think, I think they called it the. They're calling it the fourth industrial revolution or something. I don't know how they got to that number, but that's like it's kind of like great reset. That's like but, one of their buzzwords they keep using. It's not my. I didn't well, come yeah, up with it. and the, 
Yeah, the Great Reset's real. It's out there. The documentation's there. It's right, right from the, the government websites. But I, I don't know how they can call it in the Fourth Industrial Revolution. It's got to be a social revolution. Or maybe they called it. You know. Yeah. Let's see. Fourth Industrial. It is uh, like a social revolution, definitely. Um, yeah, we the World Economic Forum in 2016 called it the Fourth Industrial Revolution. I just googled it. Uh, it says the yeah. first the first industrial Re- revolution uh, used water and steam power to weaponize. Or excuse me, I'm just that's an o- a word I overuse. Um, <laughs> the first industrial Re- revolution used water and steam power to mechanize production. The second used electric power to create mass production. The third used electronics and information technology to automate production. Now a fourth industrial revolution is building on the third, the digital revolution that has been occurring since the middle of the last century. It is characterized by a fusion of technologies that is blurring the lines between the physical, digital, and biological spheres. Well, that's creepy. Physical? Wait, what? Physical, physical, digital, and biological spheres. Well, biological, there we go. We got COVID. (laughs) Well, no, I think they mean like human. Well, yeah, I mean, COVID, but I just, I mean, we're we're biological, right? Like, what do they call it? Like wetware? Or the carbon units walking around everywhere. Right, right. It's, yeah, like this yeah. Uh, transhumanism, right? Like taking nature and fusing it with their tech and their digital world. But yeah, that and that's why I think the political atmosphere we're in right now, we're at a turning point, right? I, I think the, politi- the the election itself is very small compared to what's really coming. Um. I don't think it matters who's in office, Trump or Biden. I think the agenda is going to move on. And if the the document we've just been reviewing from the Bilderberg group, if that has to kind of give us any kind of, uh, I don't know, confirmation, they've been working on this for the past 40 or 50 years. Yep. You know, as I guess you could connect it to uh, the new world order. Check they, it. They've just, yeah, yeah. Check this out right here. Um, these these paragraphs are fascinating. It says, in conclusion, the objective of economic research as conducted by the magnates of capital, banking, and the industries of co- commodities, goods, and services is the establishment of an economy which is totally predictable and manipulable. In order to achieve a totally predictable economy, the low-class elements of society must be brought under total control. They must be housebroken, trained, and assigned a yoke, and long-term social duties from a very early age before they have an opportunity to question the propriety of the matter. In order to achieve such conformity, the lower class family unit must be, dis- must be disintegrated by a process of, of increasing preoccupation of the parents and the establishment of a government-operated daycare center for the occupationally orphaned children. Wow. Uh, the quality of education given to the lower class must be of the poorest sort, so that the moat of ignorance isolating the inferior class from the superior class is and remains incomprehensible to the inferior class. With such an initial handicap, even bright lower-class individuals have little, if any, hope of excreating, excruciating themselves from their assigned lot in life. This form of slavery is essential to maintain some measure of social order, peace, and tr- tranquility for the ruling upper class. So, I mean, just brutal, uh, brutally clinical. And uh, wicked, evil. I mean, just outright disgusting to say, you know, just wasting kids' 
uh, time in childhood with poor education, so they're ignorant. I mean, who says that? That's why some some of me wants this to be a hoax or thinks it's a hoax, and maybe that's just wishful thinking. But I just have a hard time believing anyone's so callous. But then again, like we saw with 9-11, there's people out there who are mass murderers that are still on the loose walking around, in my opinion, sipping martinis in big mansions. So, you know, there's a there's a class of people out there that's just so cunning and so ruthless that, you know, th- this type of thing, I guess, shouldn't surprise me. I guess we just kind of got our hands on a copy of it or someone did a good job forging it. But I think this is really how how some of these people think. But it's just, uh, it's despicable and abhorrent. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big document. It gets into some oh. like intricate diagrams and stuff. And I don't know. Um, it, it seems like all the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. I mean, everything we've read so far seems like it's happening in real time. Right? Mm-hmm. And when you say calculated and cunning, that goes back to the very first paragraph when it says, hey, we're, we're this group and there's that group and we have to keep this secret. And, um, you know, we're better than them. And this is what this is our plan. Um, Yeah, it's it's uh, it's insane. What's going to what what's I think coming in the next 10 or 20 years? Hey, uh, you know, what kind of ties into this? And we talked about this before, you know, that movie Gray State. Um, Do you mind if I read the synopsis real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Because it's kind of like it ties into this. And uh, David Crowley, the guy who um, created the trailer for Gray State, who's no longer with us, uh, you know, this is kind of like his whole idea behind the movie itself. But I think it's prolific in a way because he wrote this in 2012, but it seems like it's where we are today. So uh, give me just a minute or so, and I'll read through the whole thing real quick. It's about four paragraphs. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, go for it. So it says, uh, the world reels with the turmoil of war, geological disaster, and economic collapse, while Americans continue to submerge themselves in illusions of safety and immunity. While rights are sold for security, the federal government, swollen with power, begins a systematic takeover of liberty in order to bring about a new world order. Americans, quarantined to militarized districts, become a population ripe for tyrannical control. Fear-mongering, terrorism, police state, martial law, war, arrest, internment, hunger, oppression, violence, resistance. These are the new terms by which Americans will define their existence. Neighbor is turned against neighbor as the value of the dollar plunges to zero, Food supplies are depleted, and everyone is a terror suspect. There are arrests, disappearances, bioattacks, public executions of those who even suspected, who are suspected of dissent, even rumors of concentration camps on American soil. This is the backdrop to an unfolding story of resistance. American militants preparing for guerrilla warfare, there are mass defections from the military as true true patriots attempt to rally around the Constitution and defend liberty, preparing a national insurgency against the federal forces, knowing full well this will be the last time in history the oppressed will be capable of organized resistance. 
uh, it's a time of transition, of shifting alliance, a mass awakening, and a mass execution. It's an impending storm, an iron-gray morning that puts into effect decades of overcomfort and complacency. And Americans, let's see, and Americans wake up to an occupied homeland. Uh, it's a time of lists, blacklists, whitelists, and those still caught in the middle. Those who risk physical death for their free will, and those who sell their souls to maintain their idle thoughts and easy comforts. It is in this gray state that the uh, perpetuation of human freedom will be contested or crushed. Is it the near future or is it now? The gray state is coming by consent or conquest. This is Battlefield USA. Wow. So, so the gray state, it sounds like, is the, the area between the whitelist and the blacklists? It sounds like it. Wow. And that, how <laughs> true know? is that? Like the social credit systems and it's like the battle's going to be in between. That's, that's fascinating. There's so many key words in here of things that are, you know, you could say have always gone on. I mean, there's always been wars and things like that. but Devaluation, neighbors, neighbors feuding. The, the accumulation of all this stuff that he's talked about, it just seems that, uh, man, you know, he wrote this in 2012. What, what did he know that we didn't? Right, right. And if he was killed, probably a lot that we don't know. And uh, some dangerous, inconvenient stuff, to say the least, to the, uh, the, the, to the plan, maybe, or to the people behind the plan. Did you ever bring up that one map where... Um, it was showing districts of the United States. I showed a map about um, the CDC. Uh, kind of like not, a CDC outline or a FEMA kind of outline. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like different... that. And it, yeah, it has like these big zones, that, like bigger than states. And uh, yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. I've seen actually different ones, but I'm trying to think now because I've seen, I've seen like the FEMA zones. Uh, what was one? It was not Ruby Shield, something like that. Um, can't remember what it was but called. But they kind of split the United States up into like nine different sections. Right? Yeah, right. Like jurisdiction, they, zones, yeah, they, control, just divide yeah, and conquer. They, but yeah, I just thought this was interesting. I did. I put it on your Discord, so I don't know if uh, I did see it. I, was, I did see it. I, I'm getting more into Discord again. Um, I just uh, haven't been. Uh, I wasn't. I kind of got really behind because people always post stuff, and sometimes I don't. I mean, I don't have time to go scroll through everything. Although I, I should, because um, like I, let me, I'd be, I ought to go through mass mind control. Maybe they had people have been sharing information about about how that works. But um, yeah, Discord's a great a great tool for us since it doesn't seem to be too censored because it's just like people post and other people can see it. Like that's great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it seems like, you know, the information shared, it hasn't been deleted. Right, right. It's yeah. up to us to, to self-moderate, although this probably won't be around forever, and they'll probably start putting a duty of care onto the Discord server, per the person who set it up, you know what I mean? Like, who knows? But right now, it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm loving it, and... It's, it's, yeah. I think what I, I liked most about that uh, synopsis you read is, like, is it in the future, or is it now? And the idea that like it could go either way, and that's what I always wonder. It's like, okay, are we, are we ten steps behind? Are we uh, behind or under the eight ball or whatever the expression is? Um, or 
is it going is it are they losing control of the situation due to increased communication was covid always the plan or was covid damage control or um or was it organic i, I gotta i guess keep that as a possibility uh but yeah i like i would like to know like how how much are they sitting back saying yep yeah, it's all going fine <laughs> or, or yeah right we're, we're 10 Check years mark. ahead of schedule you know <laughs> who knows if they're freaking well, out or loving life right now i'm guessing loving if life we hit, if we hit on some of his key words i mean the, the fear-mongering is that going on you know today uh terrorism police state i mean during uh before the elections and and everything that was happening up in um you know all the states where they were going to put what uh, all the federal agencies going out to take care of the riots you know so were the riots planned you know are they are they sending out like agent provocateurs to go out there and try to start trouble you know so they're able to deploy the uh the national guard and and declare martial law right and people will, will call for it demand it you know, it's all, you know, it might just be genius social engineering. I, I, part of, I, I definitely think so. And our FEMA camps, are they really kind of like, I mean, we call German them FEMA camps, camps, but it might be like German Concent camps. You know? I, I don't want right. yeah, uh, to say, yeah, I didn't want to say the word on your. Oh, go ahead. I, I call public school, or not, I don't call it extermination camp. I call uh, public school concentration camps. And I was calling it that back before they started putting kids in uh, muzzles and cages. And little small cages around them. You know, there was always the the classroom cage. But, um, you know, I was yeah. listening to this great... People probably might not like the song like I do, but uh, there's a song called Another Age by Phil Oaks. And I just want to read a little part of it that, you know, was making me um, think a lot the other day. Uh, let's see. Just sounds like straight up what's going on right now. It says, The blood running down the blackboard of a blank screen... The, convict, the convicts shake their cages of a bad dream, and they'll coach you in the classroom that it cannot happen here, but it has happened here. I remember nothing that I memorized. I got my education from a black eye, and they'll teach you law and order if you dare to play your hand. Uh, spare the glove and spoil the man. So I just thought that was really interesting. And, and just like this Prussian education for nation building and just total control, it really bothers me. It bothers me that they um, they just turn everything on its head. What should be empowering is enslaving, and, and what you know, just everything. Like so movies. Maybe they feel it's easier to control not just society, but like the the kids, the children, the, right. the new the next generation. They have to, to get them early. Stay, stay at home because it's easier for us to control you and your mind behind your computer, you know, like computer classes that they have to go through. Right. So not in-person classes anymore. No, no, no. We don't want you talking to each other that way. They or, want everything uh, to go through the tracking and, and chronicling. Everything gets in the databases. That's right. They have to go yep. through the the this YouTube every time they want to go watch something or be entertained. And every time anybody loads a page on YouTube, the computer, which I liken to like that chess algorithm, the chess engine yep. gets to make 20 and moves the on them. And that adds up. And the that and when they're in classroom, the teachers in the classroom, right? On what are they using? Not FaceTime. Zoom. Oh yeah. Uh, oh Zoom. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's interesting how Zoom came out and was so popular right before COVID happened. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. like, like within a year. You know, it was kind of like that was its launch. Yeah. But um, 
that now they can also control and and eavesdrop on what's the teacher teaching the kids, right? And you know what are the kids' responses? And now the so teacher all, now the teacher never knows if they're being recorded, surveilled, right? Right. Back in the day, exactly. they, they're like, "What's the odd? What what are the odds a computer or someone's going to be?" mic in their room and hearing exactly what they're saying to every student. I mean, the student might go home and say, Hey, look, guess what I guess what teacher said today. But um, there's always the potential that some some people would exchange information or yeah, I think that they uh, it's kind of like how they're dealing with COVID. They're just like over shutting everything down. They're like, Okay, guys, this is such a big deal. We got to take this seriously. Like what if they're freaking out about information getting out? And this is just like, they're doing the exact same thing with information. They're like, guys, so this is serious. We need to all just shut everything down. Info- this information's got to stop spreading or we're- it's the end of us. And by the end of us, I mean like the, the power elite. Well, it's kind of like corralling the animals into their cages. Um, you know, like at a zoo, if uh, a lion misbehaves or something, it's like, okay, you don't get free time out here in the play area. You have to go back into your cage and, you know, time out. And... Uh, you know, they, that's what they could be doing with us. It's kind of like, go back to your homes, shut your doors. Uh, you can only have Thanksgiving and Christmas with the four to six people in your house. No, no visitors, no neighbors, no nothing, you know? Right. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. And here he talks about the dollar plunging to zero. That would be kind of like the uh, social credit, not social credit score, but the uh, social money. Right. They want to do universal basic income for mm-hmm. everybody. Right. Food supplies are depleted. We see record food lines everywhere right now. We see farmers uh, during the covid crisis part. You know, farmers had to kill their cattle, throw milk down the drain because they couldn't. Truckers couldn't get it to their distribution centers and stuff. So, you know, food waste and, and getting rid of all that. Right. And who knows right. what happens if a round two comes along? Uh, what are they going to do to the food supply? You know, are we going to have enough? Are they going to tell people to ration? I'm not trying to fear monger. I'm just saying maybe this was just a test, you know. I don't know. It's, right it's, that's the thing. It's like sometimes people like to talk a big game and, and think they have it all figured out. But I've just got to admit I'm, I'm agnostic. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly how their mechanism operates. It's so hidden from me, so occulted. I'm so far removed and not in the know. I mean, I I, I like to keep my ear on the ground and, and, and piece together as best I can how they're operating, but a lot of it doesn't get out. I mean, there's some people you'll hear on the internet that say, oh, these they're all Satanists and there's a there's a rule. Their, their morality says they have to reveal their method and then they can do it scot-free. And I'm like, I don't think these people will just do all these heinous, wicked things, but then think they'll be okay, be okay only if they reveal it. Like, <laughs> I, I but think isn't that part of the conditioning, the social programming? It's you're getting used to FEMA, you know, uh, not FEMA, but you're getting used normalizing. to normalizing, yeah, enforcement, uh, suiting up and you know, beating people up in the streets. And uh, uh, not that that hasn't happened before, but it's happening not, it's happening like all over the world. You know, and we never thought we'd see it to such extent here in the United States and disappearances. He wrote in here. What about the room? Not rumors, but, you know, those white vans with federal agents, unmarked federal agents in a white van pulling up and just 
pulling people off the streets. Yeah, what's that uh that line? I forgot who who it was. Uh Buffalo Springfield. You get out of line, the man comes and takes you away. <laughs> um somebody and in the chat says they are satanic. Well, that's that's not what I was mocking. I was kind of mocking people who think uh that they tell us everything that they do because if we don't if we don't um say we don't comply, our silence is is consent. And I think there's a little bit of that. And they they definitely mock certain ideas to make it outside of you know, acceptable public, public, acceptable public discourse. But I just think people like, and I, I'm, I might not be talking to anybody out there that actually feels this, but I, I, I run into people who say this all the time that they have this, this thing called revelation of the method, which they have to put it out there in order to get away with it without any issue. And I'm like, I really think that in the grand scheme of things, kill it, mass murder, you know, makes omitting evidence or admitting your plan really pale in comparison you know what i mean like like hiding in plain sight they're they're putting the info out there it trickling it out well that's what people say that's what people say but i I think they do trickle some out but i don't think they trickle it all out at all well i think the magician the magician never reveals their secret I mean, and I'm exactly. sure a lot of magicians are Satanists too. I mean, <laughs> the magician doesn't reveal their secret because then it stops working. So that's my my take. I think some of their most powerful tools are not revealed to the masses, even though I, I run across people who say, no, man, the Simpsons, they, they put it in the Simpsons. And I'm like, come on, guys. They're using some very advanced tools on us, some very advanced yeah. technologies, <laughs> and they're not going to be breaking it down in the Simpsons. Well, that would explain how they get to the people, you know, with the 12-year-old mind. Right. If if you're showing it to the people that watch cartoons. Right. And, and there is a reason. Know. There is a reason why you would reveal your method and uh, normalize it or make it look ridiculous or that's a different story. But I don't think they do it because it somehow exonerates them um, in the court of the, the higher lords or something like that. Is, that's just oh, that I see what you're, yeah, um, I see what you're saying. Right. And maybe you haven't heard that theory before, but I've heard I've heard it a lot because I, I run in conspiracy circles sometimes. I, I find it interesting. I don't believe everything, but I, I like to hear what people are saying since I think there are obviously conspiracies going on, but I don't I don't think many people know exactly what's going what's happening and who's behind it. And that's engineered. You're right. Right. Yeah. It's, Just it's, like it says in the document, you know, we're gonna do all these things, but you have to keep it secret. Right. If you're in our club, if you're in the Bilderberg club. You got to keep it secret. You look at people like Dan Dix and um, Luke Radowski and all these guys that went out to interview like Bilderberg people as they're kind of like going into the meeting and coming out of the meetings. Um, You know, they're out there trying to get like questions answered and the people are very hush hush. Like, oh, no, we only talk about like, you know, uh, you know, how how everything's going and all of this. They're not planning anything. Of course not. Nothing to see here at the Bilderberg group, you know. We're yeah. just a bunch of people that love to just chit chat with each other. That's all. Nothing to see. Well, I want to give a Move shout on. out. I want to give a shout out to Panda Man in the chat who sounds upset with me. He says, or she says, "Wow, am I getting deleted? I'm a, been a Patreon 19 a month. Really, not cool." Well, I really appreciate the support, and I I didn't delete you. Um, put your comment again, and I'll I'll read it out. Um, maybe Google deleted you. Google has been deleting a lot of people, and it's crazy that they do that and they don't tell the people that it's Google, and then the creators, the people making content get all the backlash. Um, but you know, I didn't, I didn't delete you and I don't think any mods did. I think grants the only mod I have on this channel. So, um, 
Pandaman64 here. I'll give you a wrench, and uh, then you can post the link. Um, I think you might have to have a, a, a... Yeah, so no no hard feelings, man. No, um, nothing personal. I didn't delete anything. Um, much love. I appreciate all the all the people who support and watch, especially those who support. So, Well, you had some of these problems yesterday too, right? Google yeah, all this and thing. I've been seeing it happen more and more. People keep saying, uh, I, I've been watching, I, like I watched Anomaly a little bit. I, I have more of his video to finish up, but he was like pointing it out in his stream and he made a joke. He, he's a funny guy. He was like, Oh, if there's a, a computer bot in the room, just uh, know that we we love computers. Humans suck. Computers are awesome. And if it's a it's a if it's a human Google employee, um, then uh, yeah, we we don't need to chat. Get rid of the chat. He <laughs> <laughs> was just like it was funny, but um, I think you're okay with Panda Man now. He said okay, okay, awesome. And he he got his link in there, so go check that out, guys. Um, and yeah, you should you guys tell me if you're a Patreon supporter, and I'll definitely make sure to wrench you up. Um, cause that, that really helps out and I can trust you if you've got some, uh, skin in the game and you're supportive. So, so I appreciate knowing that, uh, your supporter Panda man will give you some extra attention with your chats. Uh, Tobias Grant says silent weapons for quiet wars. Yep. That's what we're going through here. And, uh, it's a terrifying stuff. document. It's fascinating. And I, I, it's, it's also one of these things that leaves me really uneasy cause it, it's a big difference if it's fake or real. <laughs> and if it's real, that's huge. If it's fake, it's uh it's definitely well, interesting. Well, if it's real, man, you got to be prepared, right? I mean, or yeah. or or do people or do people like you and me and and the people listening say, "Well, what can we do? We're just individuals living our lives." Right? We just have to kind of go with the flow, go with the program. Right? Uh, yeah, I was reading the chat. You're saying, what can we do but go with the program and just operate under the rules of what Yeah, we if can it's do? real, hey, this is pretty devastating stuff. Like, yeah. what are we in for? What do we, you know, what do we have to look forward to or not look forward to? Right. What, what's the world going to look like in 10 years? Oh, my gosh. You know, are we at the precipice right now where everything's going to shift? And wow. um, are, are we going to become more under the control of who knows what? Right? Are we? Is it China? Is you know? Are we going to be under the control? Oh, tr not maybe not China, but maybe a new world order. You know, what does that look like? Will it be the uh, UN? Will it be the World Economic System? Um, you know, it's fear of the unknown. I guess where I'm trying to get. Right. Right. Hey Tim. Oh, let me turn you down a little bit because you're coming in hot, uh, and then I really want to hear what you have to say. Oh, um, Macron's in the chat. Hey, Macron, how's it going, man? Yeah, I've always, I've always wanted to call in and just, just say hi. Your, your, show, your show's awesome. <laughs> I, I appreciate it, man. Much love. Uh, you're, you're a crowd, a crowd favorite. Um, for people who don't know Macron, he'll, he'll uh, take the, uh, the uh, persona of some, some big, <laughs> some big uh, personalities across the world and, and make some funny points. Is, um. Is Macron one of your favorite go-to people, or is that just the one you used to troll me because I used to cover the yellow vest? Uh, it's it's the one I like to troll on this channel. I actually sometimes do Joe Biden, George Soros, <laughs> a couple of the other guys. <laughs> it's funny as hell, man. And uh, I I liked the uh the stuff you made with like Macron's and in, in the NASA stuff. I can't remember exactly the joke you made, but you made some really oh, funny yeah. visual uh, <laughs> jokes. Do you remember what you did with that? Uh, 
you you made him like be on the moon and stuff and uh oh that was on the float on the float uh website yeah i did a couple of photoshop bash ups just for fun and uh you're in australia right how's how how are things um in Oz, in australia you know it's surprising um in my current state so i'm in a state called south australia or adelaide and uh, our state's actually pretty good. Um, we have basically no restrictions. Uh, we're free to move. But I was actually in Victoria. I was working there at the start of the year. And um, when all the COVID restrictions started coming, I just got out of the state. And uh, I've been working from home for my company for like about six or seven months. And then now I have to actually go back just to try get some of my stuff out because my rent's sort of finishing up. But even Victoria's starting to open their borders again because Australia's moving into their summer. And I think like when we get into summer, I think it's going to be really hard for them to enforce any of these laws. Like people aren't going to go along with it. I think they'll just sort of alienate people too much. So I think oh, so you guys already you guys already got through the dark winter. Oh yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> heading right into right into the start of summer, so weather's getting good, the sun's out, and I think it's just really hard to get people to stay under the thumb of the government when when the sun's out. People just won't listen. What's the general uh, feeling of people there? Are a lot of people just under the spell of and going along with it, and, and really worried about COVID, or is it is it a lot of uh, dissent? I would say in general, I'd say Australians sort of take the viewpoint of they're either disconnected like they just don't care at all like I even like members in my family um, they just tend to not really be engaged at all and then they also on the varying end of the spectrum I'd say like some of my workmates who are actually in Melbourne who've lived under these lockdowns surprisingly are extremely for it um, I've talked to them I couldn't believe it like they they it's almost like they they tow a, almost like towing a party line and they say that you know, oh, it's, it's for the best, you know, if people actually follow the rules, we'll get through this. And then you hear them lambasting, like when they see those little uh, protests, counter protests, they seem to treat that with disdain and say like, oh, these people are, are ruining it for everybody else. They're the so reason. Like, They're the reason we have to do the lockdown longer. It's exactly. not, it's not Daniel exactly. Andrews. It's them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's like typical. I think the, I think it's, what is it called? Is that, is that collective punishment where, you know, they, they'll start a, you know uh punishing the entire stockholm group syndrome yeah stockholm <laughs> syndrome is a good one too but like i remember i think it was like swimming or something uh i'd be on a team and whenever anyone messed up the whole group had to do push-ups or something i forgot exactly what it was but it creates this mm-hmm. situation where like everyone feels obligated not just to the coach but to the rest of the the team and it keeps people in line and then if anyone messes up the, everyone's groaning and hates them and it's just like this really unpleasant thing and i think it's like a war crime too like to do collective punishment on a population but it's for social psychology it, I, I guess it's really effective yeah exactly it's it's interesting as well because my um one of my brothers he works for uh, the state government and he actually he works as a media advisor for the premier of our state and it's quite interesting because for someone so deeply embedded in government i often ask him like what he thinks of all this and whether like what the sentiment within actual public service is like uh do they, does the premier believe in this crap? Does the health minister believe in it? And then, cause even the premier, like my brother sometimes is, you know, he goes, he, he travels with the premier and he said he was on the, he was in the car when the premier was on the phone with our prime minister, Scott Morrison. And Scott Morrison was asking the premier why he'd closed the borders and that. And like my brother was alluding to the fact that even within government, it doesn't seem like ministers or even as high as premiers are necessarily all in on some large cohesive plan but it's almost like a. Um, it's yeah. I would say that they probably just their their positions are almost ceremonial, and they probably get a paper handed down to them from somewhere. A health minister gets advice from 
someone way higher up above them and then they basically it's a ceremonial position they sign papers they do addresses to the public but they might they're not necessarily the brains behind anything nor are they any more sort of privy to any of this crap than 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 the average joe is like and and it's it's strange because i mean i often the, fill in a lot of those blanks myself uh I, I always think that you know these organizations are more cohesive than they really are but then it's interesting to hear from someone inside government and hear that no sometimes it's it's just they're just as clueless as we are at times. That's fascinating. But then again, I guess there's the, also the possibility, right, that they put on an air of ignorance to all people, including, you know, including, you know, people that are close to them, um, just because ignorance is going to be lo- frowned upon less than malice. Right. If somebody yeah. thinks that you're they're actively betraying you, that's going to you're going to lose all trust in the person. Meanwhile, if you think they're just uh, they mean well, but they just, you know, make the wrong decision. Although it's interesting what you said about them being like ceremonial and just kind of maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth, but kind of like a a figurehead. And they're just to kind of maybe take the the hate from the the population and be the one who announces things. Um, That's just their job to be the, you know, the spokesman uh, for the shadow government. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. But um, like and even within government, like there are people like, for example, the treasurer of our state, he's actually a pretty normal guy. Like he's he's pretty down to earth, realize a lot of this stuff. He's been in the system so long. He seems a bit jaded. But the funny thing is, despite everything, you know, he's, he's a good guy in that. But I think he there's a there's an apathy, I think, with some members of of even parliament and government where they feel as though there's nothing they can really do. Like, in fact, they understand the system so well. They understand how broken that system is and that you can't really change anything internally because even if you do, you will simply just be removed from your position or, or replaced by, by internal party politics. Like it's right. like swimming. I, against know, the current. I think they're, yeah, they're just as, can I ask, as, as anyone else's. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. My man. name is Crypto. Are Crypto, you, hey, are you both yeah. familiar with the, uh, like the eight, well, in the United States, we have the associated press news programming. That's worldwide, uh, I think. And so, have you guys heard of parroting, where all the networks recite the exact same thing across the nation? Oh yeah. Like you could you could put up a hundred uh, hundred broad, broadcasts from a hundred different networks, and they're identical. Right. All the yeah, words and sentences. It. <laughs> so, uh, well, they they they've done it here, where there's some examples. Um, this you is know, a big threat someone, to our democracy. That one. Well, you know, where they're all saying the exact same words together and they put all hundred TVs up and, and you kind of kind of hear them all say things in sync. I'm wondering if that's the same thing that our elected officials are doing, because when I hear people, the governors from California, Chicago, Washington, you know, all the different states, it's almost like they're exactly saying the same thing word for word. So it's scripted. So it yeah. is coming from above. Like some somebody from way above, a puppet master, is telling them, hey, this is what you need to say, and this is what you need to do. Yeah, well, I'd, um, I'd go as far, I'd, yeah. oh, sorry. No, please. Go ahead. I'd, I'd go as far to say that um, the narrative that you hear, even in America, like exactly the same stuff that you're hearing from the U.S. is being parroted in Australia. I've seen articles come out. I'd say they start in America. I've seen things about like, 
ages ago and they're talking about sort of vaccine restrictions and and you know covid passports and all this stuff i usually see that come out in america first and then i see it filter into our media near word for word in article as well like and then you start looking around the world and you realize and that's what i think's amazed me about this whole situation is i've never seen such global cohesion i've never seen such a widespread message you could spin a globe just put your finger on any country it lands on and that country has been been hearing the same rhetoric that everyone else has like it's it's absolutely like i've i never in my wildest dreams expected to see this happen in my lifetime like not like this right i agree agree. and and you know we were talking about that earlier and it's something i keep coming back to it's like one of the most important things on my list is like trying to understand the power structure and detail and, and exactly. And I don't think, I think I'm failing miserably at it because a lot of it's occulted, but I, I was really interested in what you started with there, Macron about um, your, your, your uh, relative who's close to some, some powerful people and his impressions. And that is interesting to me as like another puzzle piece. Cause that's a, that's a, a perspective that I don't, and I don't have, and I'll never have. So, um, yeah, I, I wish I understood exactly the mechanism. Like, uh, for example, I've seen some interesting graphics of like Bill Gates's influence and how he funnels all this money into uh, the World Health Organization and into, into BBC and into uh, all these different groups. And um, maybe it's people like him that get to call all the shots. I don't know, though. Do, does anyone want to take a shot at how you think this uh, this can be organized well, in a way that we, we see what we see? They're probably being controlled as well. I think the powers that be, the ones behind the curtain, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, Mm -hmm. right? There's someone controlling the levers, but they don't want to be seen or heard from. And they use these actors like Gates and like Fauci and all the others uh, to to deliver the message, the propaganda. Yeah, you think privacy and anonymity, excuse me, privacy and anonymity would be extremely valuable to those type of people to not even be on the radar of people as an enemy. Yeah. I, I almost think that um, if, if you almost look at, say, a rich a rich list, you know, they put they release these articles about, oh, here's the top like, 50 rich people yeah. in the world and who's number one. I really think the, the richest people, I don't even see, I actually think after a certain point in wealth, money isn't really an object. I think power is what's important, power and influence, and money ceases to... To, to be anything because I think the people at the top realize that money is worthless doesn't mean anything power is everything and I almost think those people who really pull strings you'll never see them never hear of them they're 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 not there to be you know in the mainstream at all and they're typically psychopathic I would have to assume I think yeah, you have to be I think you have to be to amass that much wealth like none of us mm-hmm. could get that wealthy and just keep keep ripping people off and, and building up fortunes and and not giving it to our friends and charities and and like just to keep doubling down. I guess I guess you know rich people don't get satisfied either. But yeah, I don't I don't have a lot of <laughs> hope for the rich people to to all of a sudden be the saviors, even though they, they're in a position to. Like the Vatican could really, you, you would think, be able to end hunger and like do Christ-like deeds, but they don't. They don't <laughs> seem to have any interest in that. But they don't. Right? Exactly. They don't. Yeah. You know, it's funny if you've ever worked like I've, I work in rather large, I work in like visual effects. So my, I work for companies of like 500 plus people, sometimes like a thousand. And the funny thing is in within a corporate structure, the fun, the higher up you go with like, so you go to upper management, then you go to the very top. 
like the actual board and that, you tend to find that as people get higher up in management, they become far more ruthless. Uh, and and yet actually, they sort of know less, they're almost more disconnected from the industry that they're in, the higher up the chain they go. And they, they actually become like, I can totally buy into the fact that the people at the very top, and that's just within a, a stupid company, like who, who's not controlling the world, but in something which has as much influence as you know, Microsoft. Now, I can only imagine what the type of people at the top are like, that they'd, they'd be that times a thousand. Right, right. I mean, that's the thing. We can only really um, extrapolate and guess based on what we know and, and what we don't know and, and how it, it must work behind the scenes, given how this has played out for so many thousands of years and how, how uh, power is consolidated and sponged up and how those who have get, so to speak. But um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating uh, line of research, I think, and it's really something I, I want to understand better. And it ties in with uh, this this book I'm working on about basically how the few control the, the many through weaponized psychology. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very concerning how like, yeah, what, what is Microsoft up to for instance? And uh, you know, even more concerning to me and I'm sure Microsoft's up to some shady stuff, but like Google and Facebook, you know, these, these arbiters of the, the flow of information, that's an incredibly powerful uh, role job in a society. And we already can see how they, they're letting that power get to their head and maybe that's what their whole existence was for in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just find it strange. I almost feel like we're sleepwalking into like a totally screwed up future. And, and I think most people just don't even realize it. And, and I almost think that the changes are so incremental happens over years. I mean, this has been a big, a big push, but at the same time, I think they pushed hard. It caught, caught people off guard, but then they normalize it. They get people used to this new, this new way of living. And then slowly they add in another restriction, another restriction. Then you live with masks for a while. You live with, you start to accept more and more like terms and conditions. And it's yep. like after 9-11, they put in a whole bunch of security things. They never took them away. Right. It's the same thing. I think they're just going to do the same thing, add more and more, and then they just never take them away. And people just get used to living with it. And then eventually, I don't know, I just, I just think, I almost think it's not like this, this extreme push where it will end in revolution. And I think they're more careful about it. I think they normalize it. So people, so people don't push back. So people just learn to accept this, this new reality. Yeah. And they're also um, training people and conditioning people and how to react next time. Like they're training all yeah. the people who hate Trump to say, Oh, Trump didn't act hard enough. And he, he should have shut down everything right away, except for travel from China. Yeah. And, and just like all this weird stuff, they can get people to parrot. Um, yeah, that's the thing. And, and even Trump will get in on that and, and teach all his base to say, oh, well, uh, Pelosi said, come to Chinatown and, and allow travel from China. And, you know, it's just like they they're all, you know, just training people that the good political response, if you're a politician, is to lock down as soon as there's a virus that the media starts freaking out about. That's why totally I no think way. this is a yeah. test. I think this is a test, you know. I mean, all good companies and corporate. What's that? I said it's one hell of a test. They're getting a lot out of this test. (laughs) Well, yeah, because if it does happen, let's say it does happen two or three years from now again, right? People are going to be easily, uh, more easily manipulated into like, oh, you mean go home like we did last time? Lock down, wear our mask. It's like okay, a resonant, no like a resonant frequency. Have you ever seen like where they put like the thing that shakes on the bridge and it's just the right frequency? It just keeps pushing it back right when it comes down and it can like get the whole thing swaying. It's just all about uh, 
timing and, and like, you know, just, you know, just uh, waves and waves and waves and just at the right timing and frequency. And now, yeah. And now that I think about it, I mean, there were a bunch of these programs that have been kind of revealed now. Uh, uh, oh my gosh. What are the names of them? You know, these all have a name, right? Um, like operation 21 or whatever. I mean, a lot of these operations, they have, what's that? Agenda 21. Oh yeah. Agenda 21. Um, what were some of the other ones? There was like a COVID one, like a three months before COVID actually came out. I think it was October event, event 201. Event 201. See, so, you know, these are all on paper ahead of time. And I think Fauci even said before there'll be a surprise, even, a surprise outbreak, right? Outbreak, you know <laughs> that, that that the world's never seen. Yeah, and he and he specifically said during the next administration. So, I mean, it's like yeah, they they let this crap trickle out. They have it on paper before they do it, and uh, you know. This could be a test, and in two or three years, it'll probably be much bigger for what whatever agenda they want to produce then. Interesting. Interesting yeah, yeah, fascinating. You know, Go ahead. There's this another thing I've always, I've always thought about, like on the internet. Um, you know, the whole meme culture that exists. Like, I, I, I actually believe meme culture in itself is like a, a, a psychological construct like it's something like yeah. it's it's a way to package a complicated issue into yep. such a simplified message They're and super then i powerful. think meme culture is so prevalent in society that there's just no way maybe it started organically i don't know but someone's definitely hijacked it and and it's it, i think it's actually it, it looks cute and it looks like it's a joke and it looks like satirical but i actually think it's a really pow a powerful method of just you know it's just an, it's almost like an old propaganda poster like of, bolsheviks you know, and the, the soviets yeah, yeah it really is and yep. I, and you you know the power of of imagery from your profession, and I'm starting to yep. learn it. And I don't think many people understand, you know, just how powerful, you know, a funny little joke with some big text and and an image, and it just sears into people's minds, and and it's it it lasts with them. Yeah. And Absolutely. I just well, we know there's groups like JTrig, and I was talking about JTrig earlier. Uh, have you heard of JTrig, uh, Macron? No, I haven't, I haven't. Oh man, people need to look this up. Uh, JTrig, look up uh, JTrig on the Intercept. So there's this great article: How covert agents infiltrate the internet to manipulate, deceive, destroy reputations. And uh, I'm sure these groups are making, you know, making lots of memes and spreading them around. And there's also things like the 77th Brigade and the Operation, or what's it called, uh, Office of Strategic Influence. But there's just some crazy documents that have been released. I think through Snowden. So they might be might be fake, but JTrig is crazy. Um, it's just a bunch of agents running around on the internet, and we know uh, the U.S. Army has huge classes of psychological um, psyop officers and psyop experts. You can just search this, and they're hiring like all the time. And they just like last year, they said they had the largest class ever of psyop officers. And they also they 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 put at the end of these job descriptions, it's like. Oh, once you get out of the army, there's lots of great jobs waiting for you in the intelligence agency that you'll be well equipped for. <laughs> it's like, oh wow, how many people on the internet are really just agents trying to steer us towards whatever they're they're trying to steer us towards and guardrail us? Yeah. Hey, do you, do you know what's funny? Uh, so are you going? Okay, go ahead with your thought. Yeah, go I ahead. I was just saying, like you know, people like uh, Snowden and and even Julian Assange. Now, do I actually believe sometimes that they're just 
controlled opposition. I'm yeah, not saying too. that the things they reveal are lies, but I believe that what the mainstream media do to like dilute truth is you basically have figureheads who you sort of have as mainstream puppets that that even Alex Jones and those sort of truthers, even Ike and stuff, they're good. I mean, they, they, they maybe awaken people a little bit, but at the same time, I think what they do, they mix lies and they mix truth with the lies and they dilute it. And basically it just, it just creates, I think the internet's just like a tool of mass confusion. Like it's, it's everything. It's the truth. It's the lies. And eventually you just don't know what, what's real anymore. Like I actually think it's, that's why they, they have these figureheads like that. Right. Yeah. Tim, how, how much do you get paid by the government, by the way? I'm way underpaid, but then again, oh. I'm, I'm like their arch nemesis, I hope, but I'm just kidding. I don't know how, how big of a thorn in the side I am, uh, but yeah, it's, um, th- there's a, uh, something in this document actually that you made me think of there, Macron. Uh, there's some, there's some tool. I forgot what it's called. Uh, I thought it was on this slide. I'll keep looking, uh, looking through here, but basically it's this, uh, premise where, and there's a historical, famous historical example, uh, but basically it's like you leave around some official-looking documents for the enemy to find. Then the enemy finds it and thinks they have your, your game plan, and they think they know your capabilities, but it could just be a lie. And then there's, um, there's also things like throughout history of like um, you know, inflatable tanks and stuff, things that have no, uh, no weaponry value. But they're just there to, to intimidate the enemy and make them think that they're up against something a force stronger than they actually are. And I wonder, you yep. know, what if they leaked all these Snowden documents and WikiLeaks stuff, and the idea was just to intimidate people and uh, make them think that they're up against some omnipotent um, super organization. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know whether I, to trust I, I, it or yeah. not. I think of the government like a shadow puppet projecting an image of themselves onto a wall which looks so huge and, and 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 terrifying and and whilst they are and they have that power i actually think their power comes from there it is i think the media is the most powerful weapon and i almost think that because they have to use that and have to be so smart in the way they weaponize that because there are billions of people versus even just them and even the military there's there's billions of us versus them but at the same time i think they've got us so under a thumb that despite like a numerical advantage i i think society is at a stage now where it's beyond I don't think there is a great awakening or anything. I think that great awakening, like if you've ever read like Gulag Archipelago, like the Solzhenitsyn. Yeah, that, yeah, I have the whole three idea. volume. I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet. What do you, what do you pick up from that? Yeah, I was just, I just like kind of like the fact that he alludes to it's only once, you know, the, the boots stomping on your nuts and you're at the firing squad that people actually say, oh, hold on, hold on a minute. What's going on? Like it's, it's at that last moment and right up until the end, they will hold on to their beliefs in, in this system that, that it's, it's really quite a frightening thing. And he actually has a, a really cool quote about something like along the lines of, you know, if, if you could play it all back, if only we could go back, you know, if we'd got our pitchforks and, you know, just fought the army and fought the military, we could have ended it all. But then in a weird way, he actually said, and we, we deserved it, like, because mm-hmm. we didn't do anything about it. Like it was our apathy and, and our inaction that we've kind of, in a way, it's almost like, I think like society has to be guarded against that all the time if you ever drop your guard i don't think these attacks on on, on society ever stop I, and I, I think it's always just i think it's a human dynamic and i think society's constantly under attack yeah yeah i've been reading this really interesting uh excerpt about brainwashing and like the difference between the soviets and the chinese and how the soviets would just like once the once they got the guy to confess they just firing squad just take them out, whereas yep. the Chinese would actually try to re-educate them 
And uh, then, you know, it ties in with the, you know, 1984, of course, where at the end, you know, they they have to get him to to love Big Brother, to actually love Big Brother. And um, I wanted to read here because it mentions in this section on brainwashing in this great book, uh, The Search for the Manchurian Candidate, CIA and Mind Control by John Marks. Uh, it mentions here about Gulag Archipelago. So I just want to read this and see if it uh, has anything of relevance here. So it says it stated flat or I don't know what it's saying. It's uh Hinkle report still remains one of the better accounts of the massive political re-education programs in China and the Soviet Union. It stated flatly that neither the Soviets nor the Chinese had any magical weapons, no drugs, exoteric mental ray guns, or other fanciful machines. Instead, the report pictured communist interrogation methods resting on skillful, if brutal, applications of police methods. Its portrait of the Soviet system anticipates in dry and scholarly form the work of novelist Alexander Schlotsch. I can't pronounce that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, in the Gulag Archipelago, Hinkle and Wolf showed that the Soviet technique rested on the culminative weight of intense psychological pressure and human weaknesses, and the thesis alone... Okay, so it just goes on. So I don't know if that really... Uh, well, it says here, the Soviets brainwashed people the way Pavlog, Pavlov had conditioned dogs. So what's interesting about Hunter apparently is he was a CIA agent who uh who was hiding was uh operating as a journalist it says here and i wonder how much that happens but yeah i just wanted to, to read some of that but it's it's yeah the re-education like, thing uh, go ahead it seems like it's all about posturing you know and control so but, yeah. when they're doing this they're 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 giving us the impression that they're bigger they're better uh more cunning and you know it makes it makes your opposition back down right but then again it's like maybe it's legit i, I don't know it kind of puts us in this position and that's kind of what um who was it yuri bev the notch bismanov thank yuri you bismanov and in that yeah. echoed kind of what you were saying earlier like people will have so much information that they won't know what's true and what's not and who to trust sometimes i think it's almost get- not it- Go ahead and oh, sorry, go first, on. and then, uh, then I, I think sometimes it's not really important to know every detail. I almost think in itself that can almost be a trap. I almost think like what's important is just to you look at the information, you look at all opposing sides, and I almost just think the ability to critical think and just not accept things is is actually right. the most important. Is like the most important aspect. And if you can do that, at the very least, you don't accept things on face value because you'll never know every every detail. You never know every sort of fact. Like, and I almost think that people get so caught up in details, they just <laughs> it, it can just go around in circles and, and eventually it's, it's, it becomes a, a rabbit hole that people go down and it's almost like it drives them insane. Like in a way, I almost right, think it, right. It, they never act because they're so busy trying to flesh out and get it exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, but doesn't that get you to the point where you're, you're, you just can't figure it out and that's where you find the, your head's under the boot? I mean, too little, too late? Yeah, it's it's a, yeah, it's a, but you know what's funny? Another thing I've noticed is that, like, I say I live in a suburb, but it, in today's world, like, I don't, I don't see mine. I can go for years and literally not talk to my neighbours, not see anyone. I can catch a train to work for for, for five or ten years since high school, right through the thing to the city every day, and I've never never talked to people on the train. Don't know anyone in my neighbourhood, and I almost think that with online, what we do, we do find communities of like-minded individuals, and we can exchange ideas. and And even if you were to have a million strong 
sort of uh, community of, of individuals who, who knew a truth, who were, who, who were pretty awake. The funny thing is, if you look in your own community, you look at your next door neighbor, you look at your neighborhood, the, the people who, to whom it really matters, who should know that can actually influence change within your local area and that, no, we, it's basically, you wouldn't find anyone like that. It's like, it's almost on the local, like the internet has dispersed. I, I almost think it's taken power from us by by diluting it into like an ocean as opposed to, I almost think in the past when there was no internet, when communities actually relied on each other, there was a sense of, um, I, I don't know, there's more power in that, like in the literal exchange of ideas with your neighbours, with, with your community. Like I think community is so important. And I think that internet and, and this whole push to, to break away, to break the family unit apart, all this kind of stuff I think is just to, to make us more individual and, and collectively, we've just split apart. Like, I agree. Yeah. Right, right. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. And then they hijack yeah. the drive to be part of a collective, and they, that's where the communism exactly. comes in, and the oligarchical communism, as Orwell put it. Was Macron in the room when you were reviewing the first portion of that Bilderberg document? Have you no, ever, I, didn't, I didn't see that. Have you ever heard of that oh, um, that document, Quiet Weapons for Silent Wars, or Silent Weapons yes, for Quiet yeah. Wars? What are your thoughts on yep, that? You think yep. that's do you think that's legit or a hoax? <laughs> I almost think that just in the way it's written. See, I almost think all the points are valid, but I don't. I I don't believe it was like a document that was left on some table or something. I I don't personally. Right. But I think like all the points in it are like bang on the head. Like I think someone's you know has been really perceptive and and accurately described what's happening. Whether or not, I almost think it doesn't really matter. It's not really important whether it was real or not, because I think, regardless, I do believe that that it, it describes exactly the kind of you know crap that they're they're using to exploit us. Yeah, their game plan. Right, yeah. right, and that's how I feel. Like I'm looking at the screen right now. I don't know if you guys can see the screen, but these are some of the JTrig documents allegedly. Um, and uh, I'm trying to find. It basically breaks things down into attention, perception, sense-making, effect, behavior. And it just talks about all these different uh, techniques. And uh, one of which, I'm trying to find it. I forgot what it's called. But basically, it's um, where, or here it says, swap the real for the false and vice versa. That's a huge tactic that we always see them using. Um, exploit prior beliefs. Create cognitive stress. Uh I'm trying to look for the one where they leave the documents around for the enemy to find, and then the enemy plays like thinks they know the playbook and, and tries to step in, but that's predictable, and then you know they get taken out. Um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating, and it's also kind of depressing this like loop of like uh, what Yori said, you know, just like the the people won't know who to trust and what to believe anymore, and. Uh, they won't be able to provide for their families or I, I forgot the exact quote, but he, he was spot on with that. And, um, I mean, just, I mean, this document, like this image right here, there's so many things in here that I think like the hindsight bias, confirmation bias, anchoring, <laughs> priming, building relationships, social penetration theory. I mean, I, I bet you like, this is a good roadmap for, you know, looking up some of the techniques they're using, but, um, virtual communities here, <laughs> Um, conformity and obedience. I really wish I could find that phrase. I don't know it, why I want to find it so much, but it's basically just uh, this guy who's in some exam, some in some incident, in some um, incident. I guess I, I guess not the right word. Instance. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> instance. Uh, he left the documents around for the enemy to find and. 
I just can't find the, the phrase, but it's not a big deal. Um, there was a movie recently in the past couple of years that uh, had that aspect in it, where one government was taking over another government, and uh, someone left something on a table about their, you know, war plans. Right, right. I don't know what it was. I don't remember the name. It's it's neither here nor there. But it's interesting that they, they put here magic techniques and experiment. Like I always, you know, when I was a kid, I was always interested in, in magic. And um, I grew out of it because the more you learn about it, it's just like tricking people. And then you, <laughs> and I don't like watching it on, like now that everything's so socially distanced, like there's no way I would watch magic on a video. You know, like that's so stupid because like, what's the point? Like it could just be video tricks, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, so it's all just, so it's all just trickery and, uh, exploiting, uh, weaknesses in the mind. And, but I think there's a lot of parallels and it's interesting that they put right at the top of this intricate diagram, magic techniques and experiment. And then, yeah, I don't know. Uh, just, a, just something for people to look up, uh, J trig, um, but yeah, guys, uh, we've been going for four hours and 16 minutes, but we, we have some great panelists up on the show. So I just want to give you guys the floor if there's anything else you want to say um, before, before we start winding down because um, it's already been kind of a, a marathon day for me. But uh, I, I'm loving be, being able to talk to Macrone for the first time and uh, to talk to Crypto again is always a pleasure. So you guys have the floor. What, what, what are you guys researching, I guess, is what I want to ask you. What, what are you guys into these days as far as... Um, trying to, to better understand well i think we went over a lot today uh i i don't have anything more so i'm just gonna bow out and let macron take the rest of the time well hey crypto thank you so much for uh joining i hope we can talk again real soon i always really appreciate what you add and your your insights and uh always learn a lot so thanks for stopping by all right tim thanks all Bye. right take care man have a good day catch you mate yeah so so personally i don't know i i think for me it's just I think it's just for me, it's just trying to stay, stay positive, like not, not letting all this, it's that funny thing, like just going outside, stepping away from a computer and just, uh, it's almost like there's, it's like a cognitive dissonance between what you see on the internet and, and in, on the media, it's just doom and gloom and, and fear mongering. And then you kind of go outside and I don't know, you just got to take that into context. Not, I mean, all these things I still think will affect our lives regardless, but I almost think that's a thing. You can't let it, you just can't let it, uh, get to you consume you uh, personally yeah you just gotta you gotta sort of stay somewhat distance from it I, I almost think like you go through different stages in in the whole journey of of, of kind of going down the rabbit hole and I, I think i've got reached a point in in that journey where where i'm sort of i've come to accept it like i accept that that's what it is and it used to really i used to really get angry and and, and pissed off and feel sort of helpless and powerless but now i just kind of I just try to take a step back and, and, and just, just ex not, not accept as in give in, like I'll, I'll resist in what little way I can, but at the same time, I'm not going to go out of my way to, to draw attention to myself or, mm -hmm. or anything like that. I just sort of, yeah, just, just keep it at arm's distance, put it all into context and sort of, and, and I, I think we're pretty fortunate in Australia. I mean, as bad as our governments are, we're always a couple steps behind. I mean, I think we actually lack uh, a lot of the technical infrastructure to, to bring about some new world order too quickly. Um, and we're pretty isolated and quiet and you can always flee to the country. And this, it, I think that's the thing you just, you, you, you have to have conviction in what you believe and, 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 you know, you realize that you can protect yourself in, in, in some little way, you, you and your family. And, and that's all you can really do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's a, that's a great answer. And uh, that's probably a good, healthy 
outlook on things. I'm not always the healthiest guy. I'm more just like so hell bent on trying to take this thing down that I don't care if I bring attention to myself. Um, it'll probably be my my downfall, but I just <laughs> I just want to to headbutt this thing and, and just you know go against it. But uh, it's almost insurmountable. It's just this big wall, yeah. you know. What's and, that and Pink Floyd line? That... The wall was too high. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But if you think about it, like I always, I always think about like imagine the people who lived in you know, Soviet Russia or or during the Inquisition. I mean, we're not the first people to go through all this crap. Like uh-huh. it's just a long cycle of of, of repetitive tyranny really it, it, it just goes in cycles and then you know this may last for 20 30 years however long and it will have a shelf life because ironically i think the more destitute and and the more freedom you take from people eventually i think ironically in the process of depriving them of everything you kind of wake them up and then inevitably it will one day at the very end once you've taken everything people the system collapses. Even if people don't rise up, I think the system cannibalizes itself. It collapses. And then from those ashes, you know, generally a slightly more positive society builds itself up and it has its golden years and then it has its productive years. And then it just kind of goes back into a, a, a cycle of decline. I think it's just a whole game of cycles, really, at the end yeah. of the day. Well, I heard an interesting phrase the, or another expression the other day. Uh, you can build a throne of bayonets, but you can't sit on it. And so I think, that, and that kind of goes in hand, hand in hand with that Sun Tzu quote, uh, for to win 100 victories and 100 battles is not the acme of skill. To subdue the enemy without fighting is the acme of skill. So that's yeah. what I think they're doing to us. They'd rather deceive us and uh, not have to wage war against us. But it's, it's just like, it's a slow boil. And uh, yeah, I, almost, I just think like we've reached a point in human like, I think it is unique in the sense that the technology and that we've possessed, I don't think at any point in history have we possessed the technology to spread a message so far, so quickly. Like before, you know, you, you, you know, unless you fly a pigeon or something, you can't just spread a message from one point in the world to every corner in the globe simultaneously. I think right. like in that sense, what's happening is unique and never seen before. But right. And I think in a way, it, it is leading us into uncharted territories. I, I, sometimes I wish I could have a time machine and just go forward like 30 years just to see... Like just just to see what it is, mm-hmm. just just to skip all the the bull crap in the middle and just get to the get to the end and see what the hell is it. Yeah, we have opportunities that other people haven't had, and we're up against enemies that nobody's ever been up against before. Power powerful enemies, that is. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's amazing that you and I can have this real time conversation, thousands of miles between us in real time, and then people around the world are listening to us in in just a milliseconds delayed. It's just kind of mind-boggling, and if you had told me this would be happening uh, 20 years ago, it would have sound, you know, impossible. And exactly. Yeah. C- CNN used to have to spend millions and millions of dollars, and they couldn't even do this. But yeah. but now they have all these tools and more at their disposal. I mean, the money always can buy the best stuff, and who knows what kind of technologies they can they they have for for mass manipulation that we don't even really understand. But. Yeah, and I think the I think it will play out differently. Like even though the world works in cycles, <clears throat> and in the past we might have had wars, and that I'm not saying we can't have a war, but I almost think it's just not in their appetite to do a a literal World War Three. I just think like the world is just full of everything's just like a virtual conflict. It's I think nowadays if you say there's a war, 
that's all that really matters. As long as you say it and people believe it, there's a war. If It's like a, a million false flag terrorist attacks and this and that. As long as you say it happens, I actually think that it's almost like the production quality has gone down. At least in 9-11, they blew up a building. And then you have the things like all the Paris attacks. It it almost They almost get lazy with it. They've gotten to a point where you don't even need to put on a show. You just put it in the paper and, and show a couple of pictures of police cars and, and it's real. Like I almost find that it's everything is just so getting so detached from reality it's like it's it's just pretty much becoming becoming the matrix yeah it's 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 beyond bizarre you're right and uh yeah it's it's it is detached from reality and yeah then they call us the, the the delusional schizophrenics and it's like no i think you guys created a reality that's detached from reality but um yeah it's yeah man this is it's mind boggling and yeah, it's it's uh it's great to talk to you for the first time. Um I wanted to ask you something I like to ask people. Do you think do you think it's possible for for this to to you know for for like we talked about how you know we can talk to people all around the world in real time and do you think it's possible that we can use these tools to overcome or are they 10 steps ahead? Like is is the cat getting out of the bag and they're and they're scurrying and worried and and or is it this is all going according to their plan and it's just you know, clockwork. I think I, I personally think like it is in some ways going to plan. I think the real challenge is if if someone does has a message does have a message or a platform that gets too big. I mean, it's so easy. They've centralized the internet so much that they can shut it down. And then in any method or any any channel which you have, whereby you can reach a more underground audience, or you know, put on the dark web or saying we're well, more uh, untouchable, it, the, the general populace doesn't have the the tech savvy to, to find those things. I think, but, but at the same time, I think the internet, like they run a risk of censoring every platform, like their, their micromanagement of everything can almost gentrify the internet to such a point that eventually they'll just, people get turned off. Even platforms like YouTube, I even found like in the past, like I'd use YouTube just for, for more general browsing and that. I've actually reached a point with the internet where I almost log on and I feel like there's nothing for me to look at. Like right. it's, it's, I felt like it's shrunk. And I think if yeah. they keep going, like with the rabid sort of intensity, which they're sort of uh, censoring everything, I think they're really do running a risk of cannibalizing their whole whole platform. Like in showing their hand. I don't know what, yeah, it's, 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 it's strange, yeah. I, it, it is, I don't really, it, it is that thing. I think it's that terrible feeling of not knowing, uncertainty is is one of the worst feelings. And I think that's yeah. what the whole, what at this current point in time, I think that's the whole thing. Uncertainty about everything, uncertainty about the future or about about what's going to happen. And I think that, like I said, that's why I always try to put it into context. And whenever I feel myself sort of slipping into that uncertainty, I just sort of, you know, step outside and say, oh, well, at least this is real, and and um, this is something I can that, that 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 they can't they can't alter and they can't touch. Yeah. Well, for an epic troll, Macron, you've got a very positive message. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's great to finally talk to you. You've got a good sense of humor. I, I like that. Uh, it, I want to ask you about that. Is that um, what what makes you like kind of trolling people and uh, doing it under names of famous famous people? If you is there any comment yeah, you, you want to make on that? <laughs> do you know the funny thing about trolling? I think that. Trolling is almost like if someone if someone trolls well, or sometimes you go on the internet and you, you get someone who's really good at it. And I, I think in some way it's like a way to put a message to somebody who understands the con- like someone who really understands the context will be able to unpack the message and see the satire in it. Yeah. And those who aren't really awoken enough, or those who haven't sort of 
those who aren't capable of critical thought or reading between the lines, they, they generally, they take bait and they get angry at it. Yeah. And I almost think it's funny. It's like, if you're still getting triggered at those sort of things, then you almost have to learn to open your mind a bit more and actually read between the lines. And, and I think, I almost think trolling in some weird way is quite a pure, it, not if you don't do it with malice, I think it can almost be quite a, it's impactful. It's almost like a way of, it's an art. Yeah. In yeah. a strange way. Yeah. It is very. It's it's an interesting way to to to, to express yourself, definitely. And, and we live in an interesting time where people can put Macron's picture on there with the red eyes, or however you do it, and uh, <laughs> put his name in there and just pretend to be him. It's hysterical, and you, you do a great job with it. That's that's funny. Um, yeah, man. Well, uh, we're gonna start wrapping this up. But uh, any anything you want to tell the people out there? I thought this was a great a great stream. Uh, we were talking about psychology, and uh, then we we just took it in a number of different directions, had some historical context in there. Uh, it sounds like you're kind of maybe a student of history. Let me, I guess maybe I'll ask you a, a more specific question, and you feel free to take it wherever you want. But um, is, is, his, is history an interest of yours? And, uh, and uh, when was it an interest of yours? Or is that becoming more and more uh, important I think, to you? Like, I think growing up, like his, I never really looked at history. Like I didn't, I didn't. It's actually probably a more of a recent thing. And it's probably my dad actually who, who got me uh, more involved in, it, got me interested in it. And it, it's interesting, like with grandparents and that as well, who who lived in, who, well, my grandfather fought, who's Croatian, fought in the in the war. And he actually fought alongside the Germans, interestingly enough. And he has a totally different, a totally different perspective on on the whole, on 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 Germany and 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 it's it's. Yes, I think uh, I do believe history is super important, and I think that in 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 contemporary society they actually alter history, and in some ways, in altering history, you can alter the future. Like it's a yeah. it's a weird phenomenon where if you change the narrative of the past, you can really you could like let's just say in 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 twenty thirty years time when all this crap sort of a new generation comes in, and let's just say they alter the the what we consider our current history. And they alter the events to say this is what COVID was. So they could make it out to be a bubonic plague event. They could tell future generations of the the suffering and and the the, the terrible crap. And then they could use that past to justify whatever future conditions those people are living in. And as people get older, you know, the younger generations tend to just discount old people, discard them, just say, oh, fuck it, I can't, I don't, I don't care about." I know, I know better than you, than you. Yeah, when I was a kid, yeah. I was like, I thought I knew it all, and I'm like, oh, my parents are so stupid, which is which is idiotic. But yeah, you're you're yes. right. History is so powerful, and that's why they need to infiltrate it and control it. And uh, they get history. You know, Victor writes the history books, and they also get to take all the real history and use it for themselves, and and you know, understand it. And then they get to, um, I guess, yeah, like I said, write the history, destroy. They get a burn. That's the other one I want to say. They get to burn whatever they want to take out of circulation. They get to inject lies. Yeah. And, it, and they also assign they also assign morality to history. They yep. say they assign a good guy and a bad guy to things, and there never is a good or a bad guy in history. It's it's grey, and every, if you, depending on what from which viewpoint you you look at it, I, that's why I don't like it when they arbitrarily assign. Yeah, in the war, the the English were the good guys, the Americans were fighting for freedom and justice, and the Germans were evil. No, it's never that simple ever. And and I don't like that. You know, and that's I think the Hollywood and all this crap has just basically hopped everyone up on. On, uh, on lies about history and, and, and there's no objectivity. I'm not saying that anyone, any one figure in history is good or bad, but I'm just saying that there's no objectivity in it. And, and I think that's a, it, and it's almost, you can't even trust the history you read, which is almost like when you go online, it's like, what, how do you, how can you tell that the history, the version of history you're getting is even accurate? Like right. it's, it's, 
Well, that's what I was saying. That's why I like listening to firsthand. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was saying the other day. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Epstein, or not Epstein, not, not the one you're thinking of, but uh, David Epstein, a psychologist uh, who studied the search engine manipulation effect and how the top-ranked search engine results affect us. And I was thinking, okay, if there's a search engine manipulation effect, there must be a an encyclopedia manipulation effect. And I know that Wikipedia, at least in the United States, is the number two site. Like, that's where people get their information from, Wikipedia. And we know that the editors there are very biased a lot of times. And um, people just take it on as factual. And whatever they see there is, like, what happened. And it's amazing that someone somewhere can just control what everybody thinks about a topic just by – well, not everybody, but, you know, enough – just by typing something in. It's it's remarkable. Yeah. But, hey, man – If anything – Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go no, I just want to say, like, for, for anyone, like, especially World War II stuff, like, have you ever heard of a historian called David Irving? No, I need to check him out. Does he have a, a YouTube? Uh, no, he's, he's like an old school historian. Uh, he actually author. Sort of grew up during that war and author. And, and he actually wrote a lot about, like, World War II and, and a lot about Germany. Like, his whole thing is about Germany. And he paints a very different picture from the mainstream. They call him a neo-Nazi. They call him all this crap. But David, you I said David that- Irving? Uh, David Irving. Okay. Just yeah. want to add Excellent to my notes. Historian, Go ahead. Like well-researched. And when he actually goes into a lot of these things about the Holocaust and, and uh, Auschwitz, and that, he, he pulls up all the original things from the Red Cross, like all the true numbers. He actually interviews the last living, like I said, first-hand accounts from people, not these sort of shills, but actual people who, who were alive during that time, uh, ex-guards of those sort of places. And he's actually a pretty amazing – like he provides – let's say, if anything, he provides an alternate view. To, to some of uh, to, to history. And I always think that uh, as it pertains to all the Nazis and that, I find it funny that they are so vilified in history. Like, and you always have to wonder why, what are they so afraid of with that kind of stuff? Like they're so, they, it seems like to this very day, they won't let it go. And it's in every movie, they got to remind you. And I always wonder, like, mm-hmm. I, th- I almost think that people forget what, what Hitler did for Germany, that in some ways he probably had a society that mirrors our own, the Weimar Republic, a society that was crumbling, social decay. And for better or worse, you know, he, he did clean that stuff up. And I'm not saying he was a great guy or that he's perfect. No politician is, but he did. I, b- I do believe in some way he did rock the boat in that he was probably the only man in history who ever stood up to, to like this, whatever you want to call it, Zionism or all of this stuff. I really think he did stand up to it in, in a strong way. And I think he paid the price. He paid the ultimate price for it. And I think, and history will always remember him as this guy who, they, I think they, they, they run that narrative. They run his name through the mud forever. And I'll never let, they'll never let people hear the truth because I think he was standing up to the same things that we're, that we're facing today. And what's it's interesting quite, to me is most people, it seems like, just kind of look at how many pieces of evidence are on one side and how many pieces of evidence on the other side. So if they can just flood the the information environment with all of these data points pointing in one direction, then they win and people just accept it. Repetition. And um, so I – yeah, I, I, I'll say my, my jury is out. I don't even know if that makes sense. Um, I, I – <laughs> I don't know how I feel about uh, the whole situation. I definitely say I don't know. You know, that's what I get mad about is they say you can't even question the Holocaust. And I'm like, no, well, yeah, exactly. OK, I get it. Maybe if you didn't I don't even get saying it should be illegal to deny the Holocaust. I, I don't think being wrong should be a crime. But um, the, to question the Holocaust is not allowed. Like everything in history is up for debate as far as I'm concerned, yeah. because of the yeah. history is written by the victors and all this stuff. And. It's like we can't even ask questions about history now. Oh, we, you know, six, six comma zero 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 comma zero zero zero. That's how many yeah. people died. It's like, uh, yeah, 
you know, it just sounds unlikely to me. You know, are you sure you guys got that number right? Can can I check your work? Um, and and I I don't like Nazi Germany, but then again, maybe that's just been implanted in me. I mean, I wasn't there. I have no firsthand account. I haven't talked to anyone. Uh, I mean, there's people who say that you know they're they're survivors and all that stuff. And I I, I the way I, my interpretation of I mean, at this point, it's almost like it's a, a shared understanding. It doesn't even matter if it's it's right. It's just like the Nazis were just the police state, you know, oppressive, uh, authoritarian, uh, violent against against their neighbors, taking over Europe, um, all this all this stuff, uh, persecuted the Jews, you know, this and that. And I don't know. I, I just kind of say, you know, what's what's the point in making in trying to first of all, I don't believe that they were that the, the higher ups in the Nazi government were great people. They could have been, I just don't believe that. And it seems like that's just the general consensus is that the Nazis were awful and they're this big authoritarian, authoritarian government. And I don't really like like authoritarian governments. So for me, it's just useful to, to, to call people Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't want to be left out of that game. It's everyone else is doing it. So, um, but yeah. you know, I, I could just be way off. It's just like, it's easier for me to, to fight today's battles using that as a card because yeah. that's just the accepted understanding, but it's a lot harder to the rock the vote and convince people otherwise. I, th- I think governments of any time, whether it be you know the Nazis or the commies, or whatever, I think at, at the end of the day, I think government in general is just a flawed, is will always be a flawed system and will always be authoritarian. Like I just think it always ends up that way. I, and that's I mean they're all imperfect. Yeah, no, I yeah, power corrupt. Like any of them at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I could maybe imagine a, a decent government, but it just never tends to happen. And then we have these people wanting to make the government bigger, these these commies who are saying, oh, the problem is that we have an evil government, but we're just going to make it better and bigger. It's like, yeah, good luck with that. But um, <laughs> but hey, man, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, any Anything you want to leave the people with in terms of just uh, motivation or anything? I, I thought you had a very positive message today. It got me um, yeah, more I, upbeat, so I appreciate <laughs> it. I know people out there did. So any more of that would be appreciated. <laughs> Go ahead. I think it's just the simplest, stay positive and trust your gut. Just trust your gut. When in doubt, just just go with your instinct. Really, good advice. Good advice. It's uh, very Jonesian. Yeah, Alex <laughs> Jonesian. <laughs> but uh, hey, man, I appreciate you, Macron, and I hope we can talk again real soon. You rock, and uh, people, uh, you you now have a a voice to put with the troll that you 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 know and love. So um, <laughs> keep keep up the good work, man. And uh, I can tell you're you're quite good at your your craft from what I've seen with uh, your your Macron photoshops and video you had a really funny video i can't remember what it was it was some some phallus joke i think with uh was it the one of mars yeah what, do you remember the, the joke yes, actually <laughs> yeah yeah the, the 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 um the the name of the uh satellite i used but the funny thing is the actual the whole mars thing i built that in uh like uh in it's a 3d like environment software so i actually built you actually whole, put that together whole, uh, you didn't just find like clip art or something that no, was an no, impressive no, no, thing. And what, did it look like something? I'm trying to remember exactly your joke. It was hysterical. Oh, I need to let me just go to your float account. It's probably still up there. I think I, I'm not sure if it's on there anymore. Oh, I you deleted just, it. Uh, you cleaned it up. While, but uh, yeah, because my the stuff I do, like the Photoshop stuff's just just for fun. But my actual day job, like my the 3D stuff I do, I, I'll if you want, I'll share with you my uh, my IMDb like and and my my actual stuff but like in my day job i'm a 3d modeler so i do a lot of the work for so i work on all the marvel films i've worked on game of thrones uh for ragnarok all those sort of films probably if you probably if you've watched tv or any of the big hollywood films you've probably seen probably seen my work yeah man i'd love to see your imdb and i'll keep it off the record obviously keep you uh anomalous or anonymous 
can't speak. This is so funny. I'm looking at your uh, your Macron. Um, uh, what's it, what is this like? Uh, King Tut or something? Some mummy? I mean, yeah. can you have him like running as a witness at uh, 9/11? This one. What is this? Yeah. Uh, Mayan statue. Macron look like. How long did you did it take you to make these things? Did you just like whip these not, out? Not long. Or? <laughs> they're just they're just quick photo bashes in, in Photoshop. Here's uh, the, what is it? Uh, Michelangelo's David. <laughs> I hope am I sharing my screen? I hope people are seeing this. Yeah, um, here's him with COVID uh, attire. <laughs> Rip Mamba, <laughs> one of the best players. Uh, let's see. Low orbit footage from Phallic satellite of North Polar Cap. North Polar Cap. <laughs> let's watch this. Maybe maybe uh, Float lost the video. I hope not. Oh, uh, they might have. They lose it. Ah, shit. Float. You dropped the ball. Um, <laughs> that's this was one of the funniest jokes because it, it, it came across real and I just can't remember. There was some funny stuff in it. Like, did the did the uh, face on the Mars look like a fa- uh, phallus or something? What was? Do you remember what you did in this uh, piece? <laughs> I, I really I died. I, to done, I just done like a, a a low orbit flyover just to make it just to show you can fake. Just because you, it's just to show you can fake like footage of a planet. Because if I had any free time, I've always wanted to make a fake, like a moon landing. I do it exactly like the thing, have people believe it's real, but show that no, in, in Hollywood, we can do anything we want, fake anything we want. Movie magic, as they say. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. that's amazing. And uh, I, I'm definitely a fan of that type of work. And, uh, I want to ask you a question. If you if you can mention it, uh, when, do you get like very specific instructions about like what to put in the frame and stuff? Do you ever get like the sense that they're trying to do subliminals on on people? Anything you can blow the whistle um, on on that? With with stuff like that, like in films, yes, in film everything's super deliberate. Like a, we have like in hierarchy, we have a visual effects supervisor, and uh-huh. the visual effects supervisor is in contact with the director. And so, do they storyboard everything out? And stuff like that. Yeah, but see, the studios themselves, like we ourselves don't actually dictate what goes in a film. Our artistic direction is dictated by, by like, say, Marvel or Disney. And then they tell us what to do. And the VFX supervisor is the middleman who, who provides us with the instructions. However, the funny thing with film is that if usually they're telling us to put something in, it's either sponsorship, like uh, someone's product placement like, uh, something. either product placement. Um, and then sometimes, ironically... In, in films, like as just as a joke, sometimes like the artists can even like I was recently working on a on a, there's a Netflix movie and there's I, I modeled like a AC one a C one thirty cargo plane and like sometimes you can just put your name in alphanumeric sort of symbols on the actual tail and that and no one knows you just submit that through for approval and like little jokes like that get through but um, I've never never been instructed to do anything uh, I, I guess I haven't worked on any of the really weird films uh, like like. Like some of those, you know, you see that songbird and stuff. I've never worked on a film like that weird. If I ever had a project like that, I'd, I'd love to be on a, a project like that just to just to find out what the hell's going on. But the most of the shit I've worked on is pretty pretty tame. Like things like Game of Thrones and and even Thor and that. They're not politi- like politically motivated films, really. They they don't really have much encoded in them. Like I wouldn't think they would. But Interesting. Uh, but um, but yeah, like you know, what's funny? You know, the iPad Goat film. Mm, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? So the interesting, yeah. So the interesting thing about that is like um, I was trying to get in contact with 
the animators, like a couple of the animators who worked on that film, because they work for companies I know of like Rodeo FX and that. These are like in the VFX things, there's probably about 10 extremely large companies. And so I was trying to get in contact with anyone who had worked on that film just because I really wanted to ask some questions about like what it was like to work on that and what was it that they were doing? Were they aware of anything strange? I tried adding them on LinkedIn and stuff and I couldn't, none of them, none of them would respond back. But a lot of them, surprisingly, I was checking it out, a lot of their backgrounds, they've gone into reasonably high positions in some pretty big companies. Like I know one of them was a VFX supervisor at like Weta Digital, which if you know Weta Digital is based in New Zealand, they're probably one of the biggest VFX houses. And so they're not like nobodies, surprisingly, because I looked at the work and it's pretty old and I didn't think it was anything like groundbreaking for, for in terms of like technically, but I was surprised that the individuals who worked on it, some of them were in pretty high positions in, in some pretty big companies. So maybe fast yeah, track. I've never managed to, yeah, I've never managed to get in, in contact with any of them though. I would have loved to just ask them some questions. That seemed like there was a lot of thought that went into that short piece. Like, yeah, for sure. And that was very encrypted and encoded. And it'd be interesting to see like, yeah, what kind of order, like what kind of uh, instructions did they get and how much of it was just, free freestyled and how much of it was like storyboarded out to the nth degree but that's yeah. fascinating stuff man and i appreciate the insights and um really cool stuff i i, I keep looking at this uh these pictures of macron and uh <laughs> and and so i think you took down some of some of the best ones or maybe i need to scroll down oh okay i can keep scrolling here uh here he is <laughs> getting surprised as a uh, lee harvey oswald is shot <laughs> Here he is in the reflector of the guy on the uh, in the moon landing set. Here he is in the <laughs> world order. Uh, this stuff was so funny because you were just like trolling me with Macron and the stuff I was talking about. <laughs> here he is talk. Here he is uh, running away from. Uh, here spotted at nine eleven, as you say here. Uh, just hysterical stuff. Oh, this one was you totally trolling me. Him wearing a <laughs> a, uh, a vest that says Flat Earth in three eleven. What what are your what are your thoughts on the um the flat earth theory and the idea that all of the uh the blue marble shots are uh composites or or uh paintings you know CGI? I personally don't buy into flat earth. Like I I, I find I think there's too much. I think I, I almost think physics would would break down if if we if we had flat earth. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can't buy into flat earth. I don't know. I, I don't. I, I just don't buy it. Well, let me <laughs> let me change. I appreciate your uh your your being honest there, and I don't buy into it either. I'm I'm more on the fence. Like there's things about what they tell us uh, about our relation to the sun, for instance, and the moon and how the moon stays in the sky for thousands of years that I just find hard to believe. Like it's just in this perfect Goldilocks zone where it just keeps going around and the centrifugal force is exactly equal to the downward gravitational pull, which is like, uh, I find that hard to believe. But um, like, what are your thoughts about like NASA, NASA fakery? Do you think that they're, they're faking stuff or do you think that that's actual I, footage? I like, I actually think the NASA stuff, I, <laughs> It's funny, I actually think, well, if you look at more modern footage, I'd say it's real. Like, I would say if they were to fake that for that time, it's pretty damn impressive. Like, it would be really impressive. Like, even in today's standards, we could, but, like, they would have had to have done that practically. They couldn't have used CGI back then. Well, it's pretty damn impressive to land a man on the moon and get him back. I mean, is it? Is you think it's harder than that? (laughs) See, the funny thing, like, see, I don't buy into Flat Earth, but when it comes to moon landing, I'm literally... I'm on the fence. Some days I, I, I can, one day I can think, nah, fuck that. It's too much. There's no way you could fake it. And then other days I think, nah, there's just no way in the, like, how can we can't, why haven't we gone back? Like, mm-hmm. why not? Like, it's been so many years and we, it's like we were popping up there, you know, multiple times. And then all of a sudden, what? Oh, we can't get back. We lost all the blueprints. We can't retool all the, uh, we can't manufacture the same, like what? 
I, I just don't buy that. Like it, it's, I, I'm on the fence of that. I, I can go either way. Interesting. With moon landing. Interesting. Well, I just had to pick your brain. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I hope you come back and this isn't the only time I ever get to talk to you, but uh, fascinating stuff, Macron and um, best of luck with, uh, with everything over there in Australia. What time is it right now? It's got to be. Uh, it's about 2 a.m. 2 a.m. Okay. Wow. Uh, so yeah, 2 a.m. <laughs> it's starting to become normal time for me and, and weird times for you. So, uh, so I appreciate you coming on the show, man. And, um, I, I, I'd plug your channel or something, but, uh, I know you don't, I, I figure you don't have a channel, although correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, not, not on Macron, but I, the only channel I have is like my own personal one for just because in recruitment for, uh, for VFX, it's like my show reels on there. That's about it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But, so you uh, probably don't want to mix the two. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, cool stuff, man. I really appreciate you. And, uh, Definitely stay in touch. Yeah. All right, yeah, man. Thanks Trump for coming on. One day. <laughs> Thanks, All right, man. man. Have a good one. You too. So, everyone, that's Macron. This is some of his work right here. This is him, like, epically trolling me. I don't think you guys even understand. Like, if when I first got into uh, YouTube, I was uh, covering the Yellow Vest because it was under undercovered by the media. It was just a fascinating thing. It was, like, after Act 8... So eight weeks in, every Saturday they were protesting. They were just throwing, like, barricades at police and just all this crazy stuff, tear gas everywhere. I was trying to understand, and they were like – it seemed like they were rebelling against taxes. taxes. And uh, I, I just kind of, like, talk about all sorts of different things, um, <laughs> talk about numerology and, and November 3rd. We were all looking at November 3rd. But what's interesting is 3-11 ended up being the day they uh, declared – the day they declared a pandemic with COVID, which ended up being the new 9-11 event, which I said was probably we were due for another 9-11 event, and we were all looking at November 3rd, but it ended up being 3-11. So uh, pretty funny stuff. Uh, Varian Redbeard remembers. <laughs> this is so funny, man. You know, great to finally talk to McCrum. Just hysterical. Very funny stuff. Oh, I missed this. The uh, the all-seeing eye on his uh, <laughs> his hazmat suit. That's funny stuff, man. That that made my day. And uh, big shout out to Wait for It, Magic Angel, and um, Crypto Node for joining in as well. You all rock, and excuse me. You all rock, and I really appreciate the chat. A huge shout out as always to the Patreon supporters. Uh, consider signing up to the Patreon, guys. It really helps me crowdfund these these uh, efforts, and we can uh, pursue different initiatives if we're if we're funded that we can't if we're you know dirt dirt poor shoestring budget. But um, we'll we'll always do what we can. And uh, I'm loving this new format of having a backup channel and a, a main channel and and spreading out the the strikes between the two. And I really appreciate the people. Uh, the people out there who make this a success without, without really all of you, this would be pointless. So, uh, I really appreciate people who tune in and, and leave lots of great chat comments for me to read and people who call in, um, sassy Frass says love Macron hopes he come, hope he comes back to the chat. Uh, Scott says good show. Thanks Scott. I thought it was a good one. Um, I thought it was a good one. Lots of great insights from people around the world. It is pretty amazing. Like Macron was saying, like I think maybe I said it, Macron hit, uh, was talking about it too, how 
new opportunities are available to us that, you know, weren't available to our parents and, and real-time communication across the world whereby we can all have communal congregations, public squares, and then people can tune in what to what they're interested in. And uh, in speaking of tuning in what you in what you're tuning into what you're interested in, I know all of you have a ton of choices as to where you spend your time on the internet, and I appreciate you spending some time with me here today. And uh, I don't want to waste too much of your time, so we'll sign up out of here. Um, I want to give a shout out to um, probably the video I'm going to go watch next, um, Anomaly, on YouTube. Um, I'm trying to get an interview with him. I think it's kind of a long shot, but. Uh, maybe if we all go over there and if people haven't found him before and you tell him Tim Truth sent you, maybe that can get us on his radar. Um, it'll change in a minute. says, he's a funny guy. I've seen him in many chats. Yeah, he's hysterical and uh, very smart, well-articulate. Uh, I can't even, can't even say it. That's how bad at articulating I am. Um, very well-spoken. We'll put it that way. Uh, all right, guys. Without further ado, I'm going to sign out. Uh, consider signing up to the Patreon for just $1 a month. You can access all the exclusives, all the documentaries, and um, you help me keep on keeping on. So um, I just want to leave you with one final thought. Remember, cheaters never win, and winners never cheat. And um, what else can we say here? Well, we'll just end with the Henry Ford quote. History is more or less bunk. So I hope everyone has a great day. And, um, oh, is the, is the link not work? Here's the link, guys. Thank you, everybody. Shout out to Panda Man. I appreciate your, uh, your financial support. It really does help. And, uh, I, I know you were angry at me earlier for deleting your chat, but I didn't, I didn't delete your chat. So hopefully you forgive me. Um, free canal uh, reading your chats today was a pleasure. I really appreciate all of you uh, dropping gems in the chat. T T four T sassy frass, you all rock. Cindy says, "How do you find this website they are scrolling through?" Oh, are you talking about uh, Float? This is a float.app. It's a it's a really interesting um, social media site that uh, doesn't censor people. So I'm over there as Tim Truth One. If you want to uh, collaborate, this is Macron's page that is just hysterical. Um, like <laughs> the guy we just talked to made this, where he he <laughs> superimposed uh, Macron's face and made it match the texture. And I, I don't know if this is some subliminal up here that that he he probably added this up here. Uh, that's what those those um what's it called? The animators love to put little uh jokes in there about sex, I guess. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Kevin says, Tim, I do apologize for shouting at you for your marathon coverage. I just believed it was a distraction for COVID nineteen. 84. I no, Co, uh, Kevin, don't apologize, man. Definitely don't apologize to me. I should apologize to you. I appreciate you kind of sticking it out and um and I appreciate your feedback. You might have noticed that I covered uh the Trump vaccine and and I I think I I took a lot more 
swings at them because of people like you uh, telling me what you think. And that's why I do this kind of to, to just express myself. I learn from it because whenever you speak publicly, then you go think about what you said and realize that you're an idiot. And I, I do that a lot. So shout out to Kevin. I appreciate you, man. All right, everybody. Uh, hopefully, um, hopefully you all have a great day. You all rock in my book. I love each and every one of you. And um, I wish the best for all of you and your loved ones. So we'll end with that. Stay positive. Stay happy. Just do it to spite the people who want you to be negative and depressed. Take care, folks.